Now, I'm also very pleased to announce, drumroll please, that the title of the movie is Rogue One. Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Forum UK podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner and this is episode 11, Recognising Foul Stenches. Joining me tonight as our Phantom Menace focus collector, it's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Next up is our vintage completist who loves to explore his oddballs. It's Mr. Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Hello! Up next is another familiar fella. He's a layer-loving giant who is actively seeking out pregnant Padme figures which I never knew existed up to about ten days ago. Along with his new nickname, it's Flaky Pete. Good evening, Pete. Flaky? And finally, we have a new addition to the podcast team. He's a forum favourite who was voted the Hero Forum Member of the Year in the 2014 Forum Awards, making his hosting debut this evening, but not his debut performance on the podcast. It's Jez. Good evening, Jez. Good evening. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Jez. Now... Jez was the key interview back on episode two and was also part of the round table discussion on the Christmas special. Now, Jez, I was going to go through a few bits and pieces to bring the listeners up to date with your collecting habits. But instead of doing that, I thought they can learn more about you over the next few podcasts. But for now, I've made a short montage of Jez's finest moments when he starred on the podcast previously. So let's have a listen to that. Star Wars Forum UK has just been, um, I don't know, a community like no other which I would have seen online before. I sold all of my entire collection probably when I was about 17, 18. I was just moving some things around and suddenly, just in the corner of the loft right at the back, I saw a scout walker. As I then crawled closer, I saw a figure and then another figure and then another and it just went on. I found the Hoth Wumper shoved up against the back of a unit. Um, but I remember actually the title put me off. So I was like, oh, wars. Yeah, not really into that. I remember saying to my mum, um, yeah, I, I love it. I really, really want to collect Star Wars figures. Pretty much dominated my life since. If anyone killed Darth Vader, then they'd turn to the dark side. You know, if Chewbacca shot Darth Vader, then he'd have to turn to the dark side. Star Wars will be with me for life. Well, there's no point in hanging on to these because I didn't understand sentiment back then. Pretty much, I think, my wife who got me back into it. I just thought, yeah, it's never gone away. It's just um, it's just going to come back. You know, I've got the elusive black Endor blaster um, missing from uh, my A-wing pilot. And I've got my Warwick has got a Lumat bow. The forum doesn't take itself too seriously, but it also gets the job done when it needs to. When I went to Afghanistan, I took a, a Luke X-wing with me just to... Um, keep Star Wars with me and give me a little bit of sanity in a slightly insane area. I, you, I would have brushed my teeth with a Return of the Jedi toothbrush. I want to get a lampshade. You know what? Room wouldn't be room without a proper lampshade. 
For me, it's just all about the Star Wars world. By Christmas, I will have a Chief Chirper mod. But this is my equivalent of the round of golf with the guys. This is my equivalent of doing something else or, or fishing or what have you. You know, I think, do you know what? Yeah, I am amongst friends and, and I'm amongst like-minded people. The Germany uh, celebration was just an absolute blast. What could go right went right. Meeting Mark Hamill, getting his autograph, shaking his hand. Always wanted the Falcon, didn't get the Falcon. Always wanted the X-Wing, didn't get the X-Wing. Want the Attack, didn't get the Attack. Uh, my parents were very practical, um, so I got the Rebel Transporter. Grant, about one bottle of Sam Yuka down, just comes up to me, grabs one, rips it open. You actually hear, you hear the aud uh, sort of audible tone of the seal snapping. Yeah, they, um, well, they were very nearly called Luke and Leah. Uh, let's face it, I've got boy-girl twins. Uh, my favourite purchase is when I click yes at British Airways to book me two flights to Anaheim. So I kind of like the idea of a Luke X-Wing focus. Now, Jez, as you've just heard, at the end of those clips, you stated that you were considering starting a Luke X-Wing pilot focus, and I know for a fact that since that discussion, this has actually begun. How's it going? Slowly but surely, I'd say. I'm looking at my little collection now, and um, I'm pleased to say that in the last couple of weeks I've doubled what I've had um, so I've now got four Minton cards they're just um, gracing a um, loose display which is um, a couple of Luke X-Wing pilots next to a Luke X-Wing to complement that I've got the fan art which was um, beautifully drawn for me by Michael Seth and uh, all in all it's, uh, it's already looking quite orangey and I'm looking forward to it growing even more beautiful, we'll look forward to following that over the next few months so now you're a fully-fledged member of the podcast, what are your thoughts on being here, and was there any trepidation on accepting when the offer arrived? Massive trepidation, in fact. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can probably tell I'm, I'm massively nervous. I'm, first of all, I'm delighted and, and well-chuffed that you've asked me to join the team. You know, I've listened to every single one of your podcasts, really enjoyed them, I've seen them grow, and you guys are at the stage now where you're you know, tried and tested season podcast veterans and I'm just coming in and rapidly you know trying to keep up and, and uh, get on that treadmill so um, yeah it is really it is really nerve-wracking but I'm going to give it my best and uh, we'll see how it goes. Well we're all going to love to have you on board aren't we lads? Right let's go on to our latest acquisitions. Pete added anything? Um, not a great deal I got a couple of things from our trip to the farthest from recently off our friend Nick Nala White, I picked up a, a very nice Lando Carissian general figure, all complete, which is a real pain to get hold of. And I picked up a, a mana 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 man staff because I had a, a repro which will be burnt soon. I shall film the burning of that repro staff, uh, which somebody sold me many years ago. And I also got, which is not here as yet, it is a nice carded Empire Strikes Back Leah Hoth, which completes my very mini Princess Leia on card run, which I now have one of each on a card on a card back. I've got to move on to something else now, but I've been mostly saving my money for Anaheim, so uh, where I hope to start my micro collection. Any particular pieces from the micro collection you're targeting first? I want to start the well, the one I always wanted as a kid, which I obviously never never had because it never really kind of existed um, in Britain, which was the the Bespin set. I think there's about three or four pieces of that, so I'm going to start with the. Uh, the one with the glass that Luke gets thrown out of, because apparently that's, that's reasonably easy to get hold of and not too expensive either, so uh, I look for that. So if anyone has one and want to sell me one, then uh, otherwise I'll look for it in, uh, in the US of A. 
Ah, so I look forward to your acquisitions when you come back. I hope so. You, you did mention your pregnant Padme. Oh, yes. We, well, we don't really talk about modern on here, but um, I've started, um, I think I said it on the, on the forum a while, but I've started collecting, I want to get all the Padme Amidala figures, because it's a, um, which obviously all modern. It's an amazing range of madness. Probably one of the most diverse modern ranges because it's just it go it's just a loopy loo collection, including two pregnant Padme Amidala figures, which I don't think you have many of those in any any form of collecting. Well, Rich, you added anything to your collection? Not a massive amount for me this month. Got a 12-inch R2-D2 complete with the Death Star plans from um, GB Fuzzy Boys. I picked that up off eBay. At Father's Farm, I picked up the Builder Droids Factory from Rich McLean. I got some acrylic cases when I was down there from uh, off Christian as well. I picked up loads of modern carded figures from Dave Tree, um, some from Pete and uh, Matt Booker. I picked up quite a few Star Wars comics. I got a loose Ewok glider complete. I got the second of the Wantons toy jigsaws, which I, I bought within 30 seconds of walking in. What I didn't realise was this uh, toy jigsaw was actually sealed, so I got that for a fiver, which was uh, quite a uh, steal. I got my first Bendem, and I am actually going to collect these Bendems now, n- now that I know there's only 20 of them. That should cost us about 80p to make that full collection at some point in the future. Finally, as I put on Facebook and on the forum, my parcel arrived, which was absolutely fantastic. That arrived last week. So just a big thank you for everybody who donated to... The, the rich collection stroke giveaway it was absolutely fantastic and what I got in that was um, the battle damaged TIE fighter I got a battle damaged Kenna X-Wing with working lights I got a modern TIE bomber which is the only modern vehicle that I own because I, I think the TIE bomber was absolutely brilliant I got the the Sears Imperial Cruiser loose I got a, a Han Hoth variant a die cast Y-Wing Slave 1 and Cloud Core and finally I got my R2 with pop-up saber in an absolutely immaculate condition, just came off um, a cord which had a burst bubble. So now you guys can't take the mick out of us. We're not having a pop-up saber anymore because I've got one. And if we remember Father's Farm, you guys then started taking the mick out of us by saying that I don't have the three-legged R2, which I now also have. So, in your face. I don't know if we can rewind this podcast, but what's the first things that came out of Rich's mouth was, I haven't really picked up much recently, <laughs> and then a big list of stuff that he's picked up. Is that just me? Yeah, it is. I noticed that he seemed to go through maybe 40 things, which he's added to his collection, <laughs> plus plus further indications of more mad collecting. I mean, bend them rich, really? Rich, as, as a loose collector, do you take the jigsaw out of the box and throw the box away? You know what? I was thinking of that. I, was, I would never have thrown the box away, but I was thinking of making the jigsaw, putting it behind a photo frame or something like that, and then selling the box on. Right, well, Jez, we're going to go on to your acquisitions. I don't know where you're going to draw a line to where you started buying. Last time we talked about your acquisitions, it was at Christmas. It's not been a um, a bumper year for me so far, but all of my acquisitions have been within the last three or four weeks anyway. I would say that that fits with the whole podcast trend. I've picked up, thanks to the Most Wanted thread, which we've got on the forum, I've picked up a lovely tri-logo Luke X-Wing. Mint on card, thanks to Paul Stormtrooper37, who saw my most wanted thread and just offered it to me before he put it up for sale, um, which was fantastic. And I also took um, one of Ian's, um, who we've all bought from Ian now in the US. Ian has given me a Power of the Force Luke X-Wing, which really, really complements my collection really nicely. I can't stop looking at it. The uh, bubble's really clear. For a power of the force, I was dead chuffed with that. I've also managed to get my A-Wing pilot his correct blaster um, after having been sold a, a kipper when I first started collecting loose figures. So he's now got the correct coloured weapon. And finally, again, from Rich McLean at Father's From, I bought myself a really clean-looking 
B-Wing, which I'm really pleased with and has now gone on top of one of my cabinets. So that's it for me. Um, obviously, we've just heard in that clip about that we just listened to about you, um, your blaster being incorrect for your A-Wing. You also mentioned it now. I can't quite remember. One of your Ewoks has either got a Warwick bow or Warwick's got someone else's bow. Has that been corrected? Yeah, that got corrected. Oh, when did that happen? That got corrected a couple of months ago. I managed to get myself a Warwick bow and move on the Lumat to uh, someone on the forum who needed a Lumat bow. So, all good, really. Everything sorted. No repro. All with the correct weapons. Happy days. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. And Grant, have you been purchasing? Yeah, yeah. I bought loads and loads and loads of oddball items. I managed to get a 65-back TIE Fighter pilot with the free coin sticker offer. These are impossible to come by, and this is the only one I actually know of. I've seen a 77-back with the free coin offer. Now, the problem with these are, is obviously... Uh, there have been reels of these stickers found that you can actually stick on any card. But the uh, the guy in America put it on eBay, and I recognized it immediately, and he said it was in poor condition, which to me was like, he said that the actual free sticker was in poor condition. And I was like, no, that's brilliant, because that means it's genuine. So, you know, I don't know how hard these things are to come across, but that's the first 65-back TIE Fighter pilot I found with a free coin sticker offer. So I was really pleased with that. And he also sold it to me straight away. I offered him $150 for it, and he thought I was crazy and took it straight away. Way, but I was like, no, that's the only one I, I know of that exists, so I'll definitely take it. And after 20, 20 years, 20 years and six months, I finally got a blue snaggletooth, so I'm happy with that. What, what about you, Steve? What have you been purchasing? Because I know you haven't bought anything for three months. Well, as you know, I'm currently not collecting, am I? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> like Rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My list is not going to be as long as his. I did pick up a couple of bits at Farthest From. Um, I picked up a pop-up R2 because I could not have one with Rich now having one. Also picked up a quite a nice Tri-Logo Romba down there and some lovely GW acrylic pieces. And I got quite a lovely gift down at Farthest From 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 Grant. I don't know if you can really recall giving it to me, can you, Grant? I, I don't remember it. Sorry. No, no, you called me out my room and presented me with two Greedo pictures and then gave me the biggest hug I've ever had. <laughs> Which, which was lovely, you know, um, which were drawn by Michael Michael Seth, which was a really nice touch, so uh, thank you for that. And also, I came home Friday, and Grant, you've been messing around with my wife behind my back. Yep, true. And uh, got me a surprise present, and I've got the Sigma Tonton teapot, which is lovely. Absolute crazy piece, but it's brilliant, and uh, even better in hand than um, in the pictures. Do, do you know what, what's crazy about that, Stu, is as you were on Skype recording a podcast with us, discussing about a uh, Luke... Sigma teapot that you found at the very same time Claire was actually purchasing one on Facebook with me and uh, I did everything I could to talk you out buying one because we'd already just bought one literally 120 seconds before you started talking about it <laughs> it is one piece that I'm allowed to uh, display indoors I've also purchased several Sigma mugs six in total but I haven't got them yet three are in England and three are still in the States I just want to I'll bring them up next month I just want to say a really big thank you to Ian Sanderson because without him, none of those mugs would be coming over here at the moment. He's been acting as my middleman. Um, like I said, I had a quote for £72 to send the first three to the UK. He sent them for a tenner. Big, big, big thank you for him. But that's it. That's it for my uh, purchases this month. So, like I say, not really collecting. Grant, I believe you have a question for the boys this month. I do, Stu, and I, I want to make it a little bit more exciting than we usually do. I'm going to go back and have a little quiz with you guys. First of all, though, what I'm going to say is I'm going to know if you guys are cheating, okay? I'm going to know, I can tell if you're going, um, 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 as you're flicking through web pages. And honestly, if I think that you're cheating, you're automatically disqualified. I'm also going to give you hardly any time to answer these questions as well. So the pressure's going to be on. 
I'm going to do it in order. So I'll go as the, as you guys are on my screen. It will be Rich, Pete, Jez, and Stu. And uh, are you guys? Actually, uh, let's have a warm up first. We'll have a, a quick warm up, okay? Just to just to get us going. So the, this isn't the actual question. This is our little warm up. So what I want to know is how many Jawas does Nick Isle of Wight own? Rich, you first. I think Stu's cheating already because he's the type. Um, I know the answer to this because we uh, talked about it yep. many times at Farmers Rom. 520. Okay, good answer. Peter? Uh, 529. Good answer. Jez? 517. Good answer. Stu? Well, if he's not bought any in the last week, I'm going to say 507. Correct, Stu. 507 <laughs> Jowers. You know what the, the best thing about this is, is he looks at me and goes, oh, I'm in trouble now because I wanted 500 because it's a nice round number, but now I've got 507, so I think I might just go for 1,000. <laughs> Insane. Okay, you guys ready for the question? The question is, is name a Star Wars vehicle that appeared on a Tri-Logo box. Rich. X-Wing. Correct. Good answer. Peter. TIE Fighter. Pete, you're out. Hey. Jez. B-Wing. Correct. Good answer. Stu. Um, TIE Interceptor. It's a tight <laughs> guess. Stu, you are also out. Rich. Y-Wing. Oh, really good answer. Jez. Falcon. <laughs> Rich, you're the winner. I won, I won the questions on bloody boxed items. You're having a laugh. How many, oh, how many yeah. were there, Grant? Well, there's the ones you answered, plus another another 14 on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> so we can go away, yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking at Ewok Village, Max Rebo Band, Rancor, AST-5, ISP-6, MTV-7, One Man Sail Skiff, Endor Forest Ranger, Imperial Sniper, Security Scout, One Man Sand Skimmer, Endor Chase, Ewok Combat, and Hoff Rescue. It was meant to get tricky. It got tricky straight away. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the way you've got your screen set up, though, from the ugliest to the prettiest going across. Last month, Grant, you asked community-based question. You asked what the first Star Wars licensee was. Hey. Uh, did you have much response, and what is it? Well, we had thousands, and it's not the licensee. It's the first licensed product that landed on the shelves. Sorry, I'm reading Richard's show notes. The best answer we had, if we just go straight to the best answer, was from James on the forum, and he said it was probably the 1976 paperback edition of Star Wars The Adventures of Luke Skywalker, with the Ralph Macquarie artwork on the front cover, and I'm thinking, that's probably right. Yeah, but though, although the Howard Chaikin poster was available in the summer of 76, we're probably discounting that because it wasn't really available on the shelves, which yep. is what the question was, yep. Yep, that's, that's bang on. Okay then, so on to the next section then, and uh, it used to be the Forum Roundup, uh, but we've brought it forward to the start of the podcast, and it's now called Vintage Star Wars in the News. Let's move on to this. Right, so now on to this month's Star Wars in the News. This is our segment which has been replacing the Forum Roundup. Welcome to Vintage Star Wars News. Facebook protests radically changes the shape of vintage Star Wars collecting. Also announced the winner of the Forum's Figure of the Year Award. 
So, Jez, what's been happening on Facebook? Well, Stu, the Facebook thing has really gone crazy in this last couple of weeks. It's really demonstrated the power of social media uh, and the passion which everyone's got behind a certain subject. Rather than me go through this, we've actually got a great interview with our very own Jason Smith and Ross Barr. Okay, guys, I would like to welcome Jason back to Star Wars Forum UK podcast. And I'd also like to welcome for the first time Ross Barr. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Grant. Well, guys, the uh, topic of conversation I want to talk today is reproduction and U-grading. And there's a lot has been happening in the last couple of weeks about this, and your names keep on popping up. Jason, can you tell us what has been happening on Facebook? There seems to be some kind of revolution going on. Oh, yeah, I mean... Facebook and Facebook groups is, uh, there's been a lot more groups popping up uh, in the last couple of years, and I've, my group's been around since 2007, but it's always been the wild west of collecting, so, you know, people are on there saying, oh, I'm, I'm doing, you know, I'm, re- you know, I'm retro-blasting my figures, I'm, you know, u-grading my figures, I'm buying reproductions, and, you know, over time I've been introducing rules to kind of educate you know, new collectors to say things like U-grading is a bad thing to do and reproductions are a bad thing to do. And I was just thinking with all these different groups, it would be nice if we can have some way of saying this is kind of a group with a kind of standard set of rules. So I thought about having a little ABTA type badge, which you have on a holiday website where, you know, if you if you if you saw this little badge, then it would adhere to a certain set of rules. But then you never know what their set of rules would be. So I thought, you know, if we have a little badge that says, you know, forum, you know, collectors guilds of Star Wars collecting, people really wouldn't know what it would mean. And we couldn't particularly agree on a global set of rules. So the two big things that seemed to be bothering most people, and most people had um, outlawed on Facebook, was reproductions and U-grades. Now, Matthias Randall did... Uh, no repo badge that's been around for a number of years where it's a Darth Vader with two crossed reproduction, uh, you know, double step telescoping lightsabers on it saying no repo, do not buy, do not sell. So, well, that, you know, there, there's something we could stick on a, a Facebook banner. And then we just needed um, a U-grade one. Uh, and Ross, Ross found someone to do the U-grade one. And then the campaign was born. So I, I, I basically redesigned the Facebook banner on my group to put the repo badge on the left and the new U-grade badge on the right. And then everyone else on Facebook who ran a Facebook group thought, this is a good idea. Let's let's have some kind of coordinated campaign to do that. And I'll, I'll hand over to Ross, who will tell us exactly how that came about. Yeah, I mean, that that is basically no more complicated than that. You know, as, as Jason said, there's, there's some coordination among the various admins of all the, the Facebook groups. And Jason proposed a wonderful idea about all kind of banding together around two items that there's very little debate or are harmful to the hobby, reproductions and U-grades. So we all thought that this was kind of a, a strong sign of solidarity. Um, and it, it really just amazes me that everyone kind of picked up on it. And even before the repro and and U-grade banners were put on. Um, I think over the last couple of months, whether it was posting certain articles about reproductions or U-grades and the harms that are there, I think there was kind of some momentum building. And, and you know, a lot of the a lot of the collectors on Facebook versus the forums tend to be newer collectors, right? Yeah. Or people that aren't familiar with reproductions and even what a U-grade is. So it kind of started with posting some articles here and there. And then the momentum build... And we put the banners on, and, you know, I think it's great. It's a good thing. It's led to a lot of discussion, led to a lot of education. 
Um, and again, on the forums, it's not as necessary. Most people on the forums get it. But Facebook, you've got a whole new brand of people that are coming on. And I, I really think the movement's done wonders for educating folks. And, of course, there's a lot of people out there that don't like it and don't want to be told how to collect or think that there's people telling them how to collect, which we're not. Um, just telling them about things that are harmful to the hobby and hoping that those people have that information to make the right choices. It was one of the great things was I basically came home and it was already done. So there must have been a lot happening behind the scenes between, uh, Ross, am I right that you, you are admin of three or four Facebook groups? It is three. It is three. three. Um, some of the, some of the niche groups that have, have popped up the, uh, what people call the 12 back group, which is really just a Star Wars, a new hope, the episode four focus group, Empire Strikes Back group and the Return of the Jedi group. So, you know, we, we all got on board and, um, I kind of worked with, with Josh Blake to design the, the U-Grade logo, which hopefully this is a spoiler, will be part of my giveaway at Celebration. Hey. But, you know, again, Jason was right on. Everyone kind of banded together and it was a, it was a group effort and everyone has really kind of pushed it forward. So Jason, how long in the making was the development of this plan? Um, we kind of spoke about it at the beginning of the week. Um, I designed the, we had the, the U-Grade banner a couple of days later. I had the new banner for my Facebook group the following day. And then we agreed to go, I think it was on Monday, about 4, 4 p.m. GMT, which was about a week after I'd had the idea. Um, and what has the reaction been, guys, to, um, have you had any complaints from members on your Facebook pages? Personally, I don't think there's been a lot of complaints. Um, you know, similar to what I said before, people don't like to be told what to do, right? That's always, the argument always goes, these are my toys, like, you can't tell me how to collect. So there's, there's a lot of that. And like I said before, I don't think anyone's trying to tell anyone what to do, but I don't think there can be a lot of debate that reproductions will ultimately cause harm. A lot of them will cause harm, or at the very least, they provide a vehicle for folks that want to cause harm to do that harm. You know, I don't, I don't think that there was an ever an expectation that we'd put a couple pictures on our banners and then all of a sudden reproductions would vanish from the face, face of the earth or that U grades would. But I think the point was always showing everyone that, that there's a couple common themes under which collectors unite. The, the effort was to educate folks. And I think that that is, that is what we're trying to do. We're going to lead on to the impact of this because um, whether these things were already in process before the Facebook protest is another question altogether. But when we move over to some of the forums, now even some of the forums have taken on uh, your protest yourself. Uh, could you guys tell us a little bit about what's been going on with Rebel Scum? I, I think so far Rebel Scum, we've, we've asked them to, to be part of and, and put the banners on the site like some of the other groups have, and, and for their own reasons. And, you know, I think Philip Wise has come on and explained why um, they've balked at doing that, and that's okay. We've we've had a lot of other groups and, and sites that have done so, including your your beloved Star Wars Forum UK, um, which was great. And, they, you know, they, they did it right away, which I, I found very impressive. But I believe, and, and Jason, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but... Star Wars Forum UK, I believe, has, has banned reproductions and U-grades to be sold. Yeah, they've banned on, on both of those now. And following on from um, Rebel Scum not joining the banner campaign, a, a week or two after that, there was, uh, there was a post where um, 
Mark Poon was selling uh, a reproduction Vlix that got everyone fired up, and as a result of that, reproductions were banned from Rebel Scum. There was a petition for that. So if they haven't banned new grading yet, I think we should probably do a petition on Rebel Scum. And I, I think it would be absolutely great if, if they united and joined in the banner campaign and joined um, SWF UK and TIG in that. And I would like to put out a personal appeal now to Philip Wise. Philip, if you're listening... You're a noble man. You're a great man. You are literally a wise man. Come and join the brethren of your fellow collectors and stand with us on these two issues. I appeal to I, you. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think it's a, whatever the reasons were and however it came about, I think that the banning of reproductions from, from Rebel Scum is a gigantic step. Yeah. Um, and if you look back at everything that's happened over, Jason, what is it, a month, month and a half, maybe two months at most? Yeah, it's getting there. I mean, it's really amazing the changes that have happened in the hobby and and people whose eyes have been opened up and and formal action being taken. I think we're going to get to the point that you'll you'll be hard pressed to find a place where you can sell outside of eBay, which, as much as Jason said, the, the Facebook groups of the Wild West, which they which they were and, and slowly I, I guess are becoming less so. eBay is for sure the Wild West. Um, I think. You'll be hard-pressed outside of eBay to find anywhere where you can sell reproductions or U-grade items. I think we wouldn't have had this success if there hadn't been this kind of grassroots feeling in the community that these were items where people were bothered about them and they were getting worse. It's like like we've got this kind of dry, tinder, dry forest, and we've done the the Facebook banner campaign. It's just ignited. And I, I was amazed by the number of people who were involving themselves and saying right, we can do something about this, we can get some change, we can make things happen. And and as a result of that, we, we've had some great news in the last week, and I think, I think Grant, do you, do you want to tell us all about that? Yeah. You, I'm gonna, you, you broke the story. <laughs> I'm not sure I did, did I? No, no. They, the you, you, posted on, you posted on SWF UK telling us all about it. Oh, no, you posted on Rebel Scum saying yeah, that post- it happened. He let his American brethren know about it. Yeah, so well, I was gonna, come, Grant, tell us about it. I was going to get that, to that in a minute. I, I, before I get to UKG, I just want to talk. Have you guys heard anything from the Imperial Gunnery? Have they had a stance on this? Uh, I, to my knowledge, I believe that the, the Imperial Gunnery has, has placed the banners on their page as well. Because I know that they are completely against Repro. I mean, they built their site on analyzing sure. reproduction. So I, I wasn't quite sure where they stood on it all. And Star Wars Forum UK, uh, Jason, let me get this right. They have banned reproduction. They yes. Have, they have banned U-grading, but they still allow U-graded mailers. U-graded mailers and, and modern and mint on cards from a shipping box. Right. Okay. This is, this is kind of fo- this is following on from from the announcement that UKG made, and just it just made sense that we'd start with that as a as a common base. Okay. I think. Let's move on to UKG. Guys, this must have been a massive surprise. I know it was for me. It must have been a massive surprise to you. UKG have now announced that they will no longer U-grade any items at all, but they will obviously take mailers out of uh, sealed boxes, and they will still do modern carded figures, which is a major step in the right direction. You guys must have been extremely surprised and happy with that. Absolutely. Um, I I think the thing it goes to show is that Steve is a very canny guy and he could see which way the wind was blowing in the community about these things. And it was just like, well, we can keep doing this for whatever profit we get off of of doing these U-grades. Or or we we face the the loss of reputation that people have in our in our company. 
And I think I think for him personally, it got to the point where you know the the one outweighed the other. Ross, as someone who you know, I, I know that you've had AFA pieces for sale on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you would consider now supporting UKG over AFA? I certainly would. I mean, there, there's there's the logistical differences that make it a little less feasible to use UKG, such as such as having to send everything that I want created across the pond. Yeah. But um, I, I certainly am a, a big proponent of UKG. Uh, you know, only ever heard great things about Steve. Really, exactly what Jason said. I think they saw where the tide was shifting. Um, it never sounded like, to, even going back before this movement, that it was a big source of revenue for UKG, mm-hmm. right? You hear folks, Steve himself, say that they'd only ever grade, you grade an item that was on a really beat-up card and they wouldn't do it on a mint one. Query as to whether that's true or not, or whether that's what they said. But, you know, maybe it was easier for UKG to do it for AFA because it wasn't a revenue source or not, but the important thing is that they did it. Um, yeah. And i, I got to tell you, someone who doesn't have one UKG piece in my collection, save the Palatoy Fett Mailer that I got a while ago, pretty rare piece, talk about it another time. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly would... If it wasn't for the fact that it would be a lot more expensive to use them because of the shipping, I probably would. Do you, do you think AFA will follow suit now? It's a tough one. You know, I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, what, I, what I can say is part of this movement, and hopefully I'm not saying something that was super secret, but I'm kind of at the, at the forefront of it. But it, it, as part of this process and part of this movement, there was a few folks, myself included, that were putting together a petition to send to both UKG and AFA. The thought was to have, publish it everywhere, have various groups behind us, as many collecting websites, as many of the Facebook groups, however many folks we can get behind it, to both put their name as a group on the petition and actually sign it individually. Um, and initially it was drafted to both UKG and AFA, and Steve from UKG completely surprised us. Now, I think... The fact that UKG has taken the initiative to do so without anyone asking, mind you, yeah. um, should be really good encouragement to AFA to get with the times and get with the movement. You know, I, it's my expectation that we should still move this petition forward and formally ask them to do it. But at the end of the day, it's a business, and if that's still a, a big source of revenue to them, it may not get their attention. But what? may get their attention, just like got Steve's attention, is if they think that they will lose membership because people won't sign up with them or, or get stuff graded or shift what they're sending to AFA to UKG because AFA continues to do U-grades, and maybe that will get their attention. Is it the AFA U-grade not just Star Wars, but they also U-grade uh, many other toy lines as well, Jace? I, I don't believe that's true. Um, I, I think what, what it is with Affer is... In recent years, if you look at the amount of U-grades that are on the market and you look at the amount of breached cardbacks that are for sale, I think it's in decline anyway. I think I think the vast majority of U-grading that was going to happen has happened, and now it's it's less of a revenue stream for them than it was a couple of years ago. So I think now it's an easier thing for them to actually turn their back on it and say, you know what, we'll 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 go with opinion on this. So, Chad, if you're out there, mate, join us. What about the? Um, what do you think this will do to the value of a U grade? If a majority, I'd like to say, or at least a vocal majority of people now have stood up and said that they want it kicked out of the hobby, what does this do to the prices? Does it? Uh, does a U ninety now become just a ninety? 
I, I think, you know, the, the there's people have said, well, the, there's a limited supply of these things, therefore the value will go up. But you're not going to be able to collect these things in, in civilised circles because nobody's going to want to really associate. If you say, oh, I'm, I'm building myself a U90 loose set, people don't want to know about that. People aren't particularly don't particularly want to see it when you've done it. People aren't going to want to collect that, I would say. I think there's going to be two pressures. Right, there's going to be the price. Some folks have said, "Well, if we banish U grades and they no longer U grade, is that going to increase the value of the U grades?" And I think that's garbage. Um, I think Jason kind of hit it straight, straight home. As more and more people get knowledge about it and, and, and understand the harm, there's going to be less of a demand for those that are out there. So any decrease in the supply will be counter counteracted by the decrease in demand. I don't see these things going up and. Yeah, you know, as Jason said, no one's going to be able to share them anywhere. Well, guys, I got to be honest with you. It's uh, it was a fantastic thing to come home to. I'm really proud of the work that you've both done on this. Well, it's it's only just started. I mean, we we're we we're about six or seven weeks into the campaign, leading to C7. We've got five or six weeks to go, and Afra are going to be there. <laughs> so we're going to be able to see Afra face to face and talk to them. Well, there is there is a. Jason, I have to warn you, there is a, a harassment policy at Celebration Anaheim. It's on the app, so please be careful. I don't want to well, bring we'll you out of jail. In fact, it's not, it's not the fact I'm, I'm worried about you getting into trouble. It's the fact that I will join you. But anyway... In, in, in all seriousness, I mean, I think, I think there's, I mean, there's other things I, I, I want to talk to Afra about. Obviously, I want to talk to them about Toy Tony and the fact that they haven't really moved over you know, their position in the last year and what to do about that. I think it's also important to point out that this ban on reproductions on Rebel Scum and SWF UK includes Toy Tonys now. And I know my position up until now has been fairly progressive, which is we need to identify what they are, mark them, and then we can, you know, we can all kind of sell those. But the line on Rebel Scum was we'll we'll stick Toy Tonys in with them, and SWFK has followed suit. So you know, wow, I did not know that. that. Are, you guys, are you guys going to do the same on your Facebook groups when it comes to Toy Tonys? Um. I think it makes sense that whatever what if we have one kind of encompassing rule for for the forums and for the Facebook groups, it makes sense. I did actually see somebody somebody was actually selling um, a C3PO removable limbs signed by Anthony Daniels the other day. So it was a toy Tony signed by Tony, which I thought was quite amusing. But they'd actually said, oh, it, you know, it's a toy Tony. It's signed by Tony. But yeah, maybe maybe we should just be outlawing those as well now. How do you feel about that, Ross? It, it, it's a great thought. I hadn't given it much much thought. And, um, I, I did see that, it, that those were kind of getting wrapped up with the reproductions on, on Rebel Scum. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Um, I think it's two totally different things, even though at its core, Toy Tony is a reproduction. I, it's certainly something that I'd have to talk with my, um, my fellow admins about. But I, I will note that in the groups that I admin, even though we don't allow the sales of U grades and, and probably never will, we allow people to post them. Um, the, the point here isn't to stymie the conversation. The point is to keep the debate going. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's people that are going to feel for and against no matter how far this movement goes. And I, you know, I think the debate and differences of opinion are what make life interesting and make this hobby interesting. Yeah. Now I, I, I think we're on the right side of the debate, but the debate should continue. Okay, guys, so the, the banner protest on the Facebook pages is up until Celebration Anaheim, is that correct? 
I, I, you know, my my groups personally, that's we said that we're going to keep them up that long. I'm, I'm kind of getting attached to it, to be honest. With you, I, I'm, I'm I don't know. I think it'd be hard to let them go. Regardless, you know, it's just like there's my 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 group's got close to fifteen thousand people in it now, and you always get new people coming in. If they see the big repo sticker there, they, they they may pay attention. I mean, the other day somebody started posting sales of repo stuff, so I deleted their thread and said, don't do it again, and they posted another one, and I was like, you know, there's a big badge up there that says you can't do that, so, you know, it does it does serve a purpose. Well, uh, the one thing about this hobby is it's never dull, I'll say that, and uh, what an interesting couple of weeks we've had. Guys, um, I'd like to say thank you for coming on to Star Wars Forum UK podcast, and we'll be catching up with you guys in about 30, 40 days at Celebration Anaheim. Really looking forward to it. Oh, it's going to be awesome. First beers on me, gents. No, oh, can't Hurrah. wait, boss. Can't wait. Okay, guys, thank you for so much for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll have an update from you in the next couple of weeks. Right, that was a great interview, and big thanks to both Ross and Jason for that. Now, on to the next headline was the Forum Figure of the Year Award. And, uh, Pete, got some details on this? Yes, Stu, your, um, your annual Forum Figure of the Year is, is picking up a lot of pace, I think. I always thought that, that uh, Star Wars fans no, had no originality, and went in the end with Boba Fett, uh, <laughs> rather than my choice, which would have been Princess Leia Organa. So, Stu, how did it go overall then? You reckon this year? Well, we had near enough twice as many voters on each round, which was uh, which was really good. And funny enough, Boba Fett beat the Hoth Stormy in the final, but he also defeated last year's winner, the Stormtrooper, in the first round. And Boba Fett last year was knocked out by the Stormtrooper in the quarterfinals, so uh, people may be changing their votes. But Fett, to me, probably did deserve it. He knocked out Yoda, Vader, Jawa, Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight, so he knocked out some of the big guns, including last year's winner. So I think Fett, overall, is quite a deserved winner. He's a popular figure, a popular character across the uh, across the boards. So, yeah, let's see if he does it again next year. So, lads, that's uh, two quite big topics there. Right, so what is people's thoughts on, on what's been happening on Facebook, the protests and uh, the stands the, the forums have been making? I thought it was amazing. I was especially surprised by UKG. I'm really happy with them changing their mind on the U-grading. I think it's a good stance as well uh, on Repro. And congratulations on the guys for making a grassroots movement make such a difference. You know, it seems to have really worked. I'm really happy with it all. It's absolutely brilliant, the fact that everybody's united. Very, very few groups who haven't displayed the banner. And if anybody rears the head, they're, they're kind of getting shot down quite quick and they're not coming back. Whereas if you go back a month, there was a lot of arguments, a lot of trolls. And this is brilliant. You know, ed- educate as many people as we possibly can about why these are damaging our hobby. Well, I think Rich nailed it on the head when he said education. You know, the whole part of this is, you know, our culture has changed, doesn't it? I don't have any of my own. You great stuff. I've never been interested in that. But it was socially acceptable a while ago. And as long as people don't start getting out the pitchforks and being really, really antagonistic, because the community doesn't need that. You know, we've all just combined together. It's been fantastic what, you know, the likes of Jason and, and Ross have done. And it's just as long as everyone can remember, it's part of the education because some people were doing this and maybe they just don't quite realise, you know, how everyone else feels. Wonderful points of views, boys. And what about the forum figure? Um, let's just have a quick round. Who you voted for in the final and who you originally would like to have won? Um, Grom? Well, obviously, I'm going to vote for the TIE Fighter pilot who beats Luke Bespin and then he beat the Emperor's Royal Guard. So I thought, wow, we're beating the heavy hitters. And then he got knocked out by R5-D4 of all people. So considering I didn't expect him to get the past the first or second round, 
Uh, interestingly, Pete Gowdy keeps on protesting as he does every year, but he was actually right. The Emperor's Royal Guard should have beaten the TIE Fighter pilot. And who did you vote for in the final? Fett or the uh, Off Stormy? Off Stormy all the way, man. Loved that skirt. Pete? Yeah, Off Stormy was, you know, the closest thing to Princess Leia, so, because we're in a skirt. So, that was my choice in the end. But boo, boo, Fett. Boo. And what about Jez? Jez? I was, and this has nothing to do with the Gerald thing, because obviously this was a while before the interview. But I was just, you know, always got to go for the underdog if it wasn't Luke X-Wing. I think there was a couple of us that pushed for Squidhead. And, um, yeah, that he just fell at the first hurdle, I think. And Rich? I wanted all 5D4 to win. And when he, when he smashed the TIE Fighter pilot in the quarterfinals, I, I had high hopes. But then, then he went. In the final, you know, you've got a figure with quite a decent weapon with a skirt. Much better legs than fit. And then you've got a, a pretty useless... Boba Fett with a naff gun. Uh, I, I'm astounded that Fett won. Yeah, it might be a cooler character, but as far as an action figure is concerned, Hoff Stormy should have won. Rich hates Star Wars. I used to love the Boba Fett figure as a child. That's just me, although I didn't vote for him in the final. I vote for the Hoff Stormy too. So, finally, we've just got a uh, short interview with Ian Sanderson about his new acrylic displays. Grant, can you tell us a bit about these displays? Yeah, Ian has now started, because he's always selling the uh, the sort of foot stands and the, obviously the acrylic cases with GWUSA. He's now actually got stands with the Star Wars logos on it, and I think he has a Power of the Force logo as well, so be interested to see where these lead to. But we do have an interview with Ian, so we should check it out. Right, now I want to give back a warm welcome to the show to Ian Sanderson. Good evening, Ian. Hi there, Stuart. How are you doing? Not too bad, mate. How, how's life over the uh, over the pond? Yeah, it's not too bad. Not too bad at all. Settling in. I figured out not to drive on the wrong side of the road anymore. And I think they understand me. The only thing I've noticed is the, uh, they don't... You do those telephone automated things and they can't understand a word I say. I keep getting through to the operator. But if that's the worst of my worries, then it's not too bad. Not too bad at all. Right, so basically if we're going to chat tonight about your new plaques which have come up for, uh, for sale. Can you tell the listeners what they are for people who haven't seen them? Well, basically, I mean, how I found them, they're actually made over here. So they're not, I don't, I, I obviously I, you know, everybody knows that I'm, I'm selling the, the, uh, the GW acrylics over here with Christian. I mean, that's been fantastic. I'm sure you can give me a little bit of a, a platform to say how wonderful that is in a minute. But no, so I was looking around for other bits and pieces because I, I think there's a you know, there's a lot of ma- uh, you know, mass market at the moment for display items, and if I can get them all under one roof, then it, it just cuts people's costs. So I was looking around for other items, and I found um, some six-inch um, Black Series stands that people have been asking me for. So I, I spoke to the chap who made them, and he sent me a list of what he did. And he had these plaques, and he he focuses a lot on um, modern stuff. So he he never really sort of introduced his stuff into the vintage community. So I, I was like, do you know what? They look really good. And I you know I got it to the price. I thought oh, I think I can I can move a few of these. So um, so anyway, so basically what they are, they're all cut out of acrylic. They're they're two pieces that slot together. And I mean, from my point of view, I think they they just look fantastic on the end of uh, on the end of a shelf. I mean, I know Dan bought one recently that he's put with his Empire Strikes Back cards. You know, it's just something a little bit different that people can improve their display with. You know, when you're spending all this sort of money on the cards, you know, you want to have something that's a bit different in terms of displaying it. So that's what it is. So I say I approached this chap and said, well, you know, what can we what can we do? And he said, pretty much anything. So I was like, all right. 
okay, now I'm not the most creative chap in the world, but, you know, I, I think I know what sort of collectors like because I am one myself. So I said to him, can we do the, the logos, the film logos? Said, yeah, no problems at all. So that's what I've started off with. So at the moment, I've got in Star, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Journey of the Jedi, Power of the Force. The Star Wars one caused a bit of contention because we put, <laughs> or he, he put, a new hope at the bottom. And I, I, I think that's, that's split collectors, you know. I, I don't think uh, everybody wants, <laughs> wants a reminder that it was uh, a couple of uh, films after them. So I've I've gone back to the drawing board on that one. I'm going to do both and see see what people say whether they want the new hope on there or not. And I I've put a competition in place. I need to I need to revisit this and market it a bit more. But what I've said is that anybody who buys one, I think I said before the 20th of March, will go into a draw and then I'll I'll make them a um a personalised one. So they mm-hmm. can have I don't know you could have you know, you were doing this weren't you for your for your um the naming of your room. So this will be perfect for you. But you could have Stuart's Dungeon or whatever you so desired on there. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it, it's really good. It's, you know, the, and then they, they, I think I'm selling them over, over there for 12, 12.99. Postage is a couple of quid. So, I mean, you, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's half the price of, uh, half the price of a, a loop farm boy these days. So people have just got to literally purchase one plaque. Just buy one and then they will get they're in the draw. And I, I think at the moment I've sold maybe five or six through the forum. So you've got quite good odds at the moment. Buy one, buy one and you can get a free one. So. <laughs> there you go. They've been well received, haven't they? Generally, what I've seen. Of. Yeah, I mean, over, over here I, I've sold out of them. I, I've got I've got about another 20 of each on order. I sold. I, I put them up on Facebook, and as I say, within I think within two or three days, I I sold out of all the stocks because I only ordered a, a small amount to see what happened. I've sold out of them, and and the only the only issue I've got is the lead time on them. I think it's about two or three weeks, so I I'm going to have to order in more bulk in order to get stocks of them. It's like it's like anything, you know. Until I I might think it looks really good, but until somebody uh, until people buy it. Then uh, I don't. I don't want to be holding. Uh, I don't want to be holding too much of it. You know. Otherwise, in uh, thirty years' time, people might be buying my instead of the uh, rays or clatoos, they might be buying my plaques. That seems like. Storage box of a yeah of your plaques. <laughs> Storage box of my plaques. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unearthed in somebody's uh, in a, a salesman's a salesman's garage. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, where can the listeners find these to purchase? Obviously, you're on the forum. Um, Just through the forum, drop me a PM on on Facebook. I haven't put them on IRS yet. I'm, I'm always scared about putting things up to say on IRS, you know. But yeah, drop me drop me a message through the forum. Drop me a PM or drop me an email if you've got my email address, which anybody who's ever purchased anything from me has. So yeah, you know. And as I say, I've got I've got the the plaques. I've, I've got the stands, star cases. But obviously, caveat out here in case Christian listens to this, they are only for storage or for uh, postage. You do not want to display your items in star cases. You should use GW acrylic cases. The other thing I'm, I'm, should have very, very soon. I don't know if you saw them. I've got the, a new stand that you're going to be able to put labels on as well. Oh, right. Again, going down the sort of, you know, bulking out your display, increasing your display. So these, um, at the moment, I, they're going to come out with, we've, we've got three different labels for them. So Palatoy, Kenner and, uh, Levy. So they're basically, um, a rectangular, clear rectangular stand. 
suitable for all the figures. And then at the front, you can stick one of these labels. They're, they're clear labels. Um, so perfect for your variant collector. So, you know, if you've got four or five of a different, of a different figure, you know, you've got a, a, a Lady one, a Kenner one, a Palatoy one, then you can label them all up. Um, and again, that's something that, you know, if it's well received, we'll look at, we'll look at doing other ones, PVP, maybe Meccano. And then the other thing we're going to do with them is do figure names. So you can buy a sheet of a hundred, ninety odd there, uh, ninety odd, well, not a hundred, but ninety odd there, uh, ninety odd figures on there. Oh, nice. Just going to say, while you're on GW Acrylics, have you and Christian got any plans to um, hit Anaheim with them while you're there? We are indeed. We are indeed. I, I think as of today, he's out of stock. I was out of stock last week, so um, so yeah, we're going to hit Anaheim and get lots and lots of pre-orders because we're both due stock in. About the uh, that sort that sort of time, or just after that sort of time. So yeah, I've uh, I've ordered my uh, my badges today. So uh, so you can look at if you're going to Anaheim, you can look out for me, and you can get a, a GW Acrylic USA badge. And yeah, yeah, I mean we're going to do a bit of. I think we'll try and do a bit of networking. It's always it's like you know like the furthest from that you guys uh, you, know, you guys at the weekend. It's as much as everybody knows each other on the forum you know, until you sort of get to them. you see people, you put names to faces. Then um, you know you can't really count them as a as a friend. So I think that that'd be nice to to meet meet you know some of these people, some of these some of these names. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to meeting Mr. Ross Barr as. Uh, Everybody in the world knows Ross Barr. Um, and then I got some great news last night, although you have to come back to me on this one at a later date to see if it is. But I uh, I believe I'm sharing a room with Todd Osborne now. Come back with lots of stories, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I could come back with all sorts of things, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, you might, that, come, but, you might uh, not come back. <laughs> I might not even come back, yeah. So, uh, so no, I got a message from him last night, and uh, he's been given permission by the wife to uh, to go. So, um, so yeah. So no, so that'd be nice. I mean, I've I've been speaking to Todd for about four or five years now, and he, he used to do my job for me in, in picking stuff up in America and sending it back. So, um, so yeah, I, I think I owe him quite a few beers. I owe quite a lot of people a lot of pints at Anaheim. So, uh, <laughs> I think I, I I put my credit card behind the bar, <laughs> behind the bar. I think. <laughs> well, Ian, it's been great to uh, catch up with you. Pleasure. I mean, I, I, I say I, I do ramble on a bit, and I, I probably add to the number of hours that you, uh, you guys, uh, guys do. <laughs> but I just want to say, uh, you know, from from my point of view, um, I mean, I was saying this before we went on. Is I, you know, I what you guys have done is amazing. I mean, I was on the I was on the first podcast, and you know, I listened back, and I was like, oh my god, I sound like a right tit, and I'll probably listen back and think the same on this one, but. You know, I, I wasn't sure how well it would do and who would actually listen to it. But it's the first thing. As soon as you, as soon as I see that sort of update on Facebook now saying the podcast is out, I'm, you know, I'm probably one of your first listeners. I want to commend everything that you guys do. I know, you know, it must take a huge amount of work for you guys to put this all together. So, uh, so no, so there's my little plug at the end. Of, uh, <laughs> not a plug for my stuff, but a plug for how, how well you guys are doing. Thank you very much, Ian. Right, and there you go. Thank you, Ian Sanderson. And as you just heard, if you want to uh, order one of these, please, please just contact Ian on the numerous ways that he has just explained. Right, I think that is it for this month's Star Wars news.
about a different kind of vintage Star Wars molly pack. Three pack. Too loud. Three pack. I said that was too loud. I want a three pack can of one, one now. Yeah, we all do. Not one, not two, but three figures in it. Greedo Bosca, maybe even Warus Man. They didn't do that one. Or give me Darth Anakin and Ben Kenobi. Or that one. Han Solo, Luke Farnboy, and a solid Doma too. Hey everyone, find out about which three packs they did do by asking the question on www.starwarsforum.co.uk. Peace out, man. Now onto this month's interview, and I'm delighted to welcome tattoo artist, painter, and layer focus collector, all the way from the States, it's Bruce White. Good afternoon, Bruce. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Not too bad. And uh, also joining us tonight is obviously part of the podcast team, it's Pete. You right, Pete? Hello. So, Bruce, I've spent many hours going through your collection on forum posts, trying to determine what kind of collector and man you are. So, can you confirm to the listeners that you own a cosmetic beauty bag? <laughs> Yes, unfortunately, I do own a Princess Leia beauty bag, yes. It's part of the oddball collection. <laughs> Is that the whole reason you collect Leia, so you can um, you could buy that one purchase without looking strange? <laughs> That's it. That's it. I had to have that and the soap and the shampoo, you know, and all that. <laughs> you, you haven't gone down the um the Princess Leia rendezvous? Line it, yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't. I can't. Yeah, that's the one line that I I haven't crossed yet. It just, <laughs> it just seems buying little girls' underwear seems a bit strange. So <laughs> I'm just gonna leave that. <laughs> Grant off the podcast has got a pair. He's um and recently he's just added four more pairs of underoos to his collection. So yeah, a little bit peculiar. Oh, I think I, I think I saw that in the in the acquisitions thread. <laughs> I think you're trying. I think you're trying to sell them to you, Bruce. So be careful if you come to Anaheim. He could be there with his underoos in hand. Except oh, so for the archive party costume contest. Exactly. Don't suggest that to him because he will probably will wear them. It's a. To mean he will wear them. He will be wearing them. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> right. Let's rescue this. So let's start at the beginning. <laughs> let's let's start at the beginning where it all began. Now, on a thread entitled Where It All Started on the Star Wars Forum UK, you post up a couple of cracking photos. Firstly, is a picture taken at Christmas where you have some lovely Star Wars booty. Can you describe to the audience that photo and what Star Wars I'm to- uh, toys I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, that was... Um well, it was to be Christmas 1978, and um, yeah, I ended up getting the the Kenner Death Star PlayStation, and I think the X-wing fighter and the Tie fighter, the large size Darth Vader action figure, and a land speeder, and uh, yeah, it was just all the Star Wars stuff. That was that was probably my best Christmas ever as a child. Well, that's, a, that's a great um, haul, isn't it, to get it going? Yeah, what's really funny is I was talking to my mom because she gave me because I was asking her for all these pictures and and uh, she looked at it and she said uh, she said yeah you know because your little sister was so young 
that she never really remember her first Christmas that they spent most of their money that they had saved on me. So that's how I ended up getting getting all this crazy Star Wars stuff that I've been begging for, you know, you know, for six months. So you said that was about seventy eight. Uh, yeah. And also you added a second photo which you posted, which I think you state on the picture that it's nineteen eighty and a birthday. Uh, yeah, I think that one I got the large size uh, Chewbacca action figure. Yeah, it looks like chewy and fat in there. I'm just enjoying the wallpaper here. It's amazing. That wood panel effect <laughs> wood. Is, is awesome. I'll tell you what, you could get away with that haircut it's now, a little... without a doubt. Yeah, right. I wish I could have that haircut now. You can't be another bald uh, Star Wars fan. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, so Bruce, your childhood. Have you got any recollections of first seeing the movies? I saw the original Star Wars. I didn't actually see it in 77. I think I saw it in early 78, because I remember... My mother took me, and my sister had just been born like a couple of months before. And so every time there was an explosion on screen, my little sister was screaming because she's this little baby. And I'm just saying, shh. <laughs> Mom's, she can't help it. She's so young. So I'm just like, it'd be quiet at Star Wars. So yeah, that's, that's what I remember seeing Star Wars first in the theater. So when did you first get toys? Was that Christmas, the first time you uh, laid your hands on them? And did you have any figures previous? I think I got some loose figures I know Princess Leia was the first figure I got, probably my birthday of 78. I'm going to think my birthday is in July. And I, got, I had some loose figures before that. that I kept collecting um, up until Empire. I don't know why I sort of stopped collecting at that point. Have you, are there any kind of uh, particular memories of picking up certain figures or toys at all, apart from obviously the Christmas and birthday? Oh, I remember... <laughs> oh, God. I remember... Uh, one after the uh, was it the diecast uh, ships came out, and I saw this Millennium Falcon in the store, and just begged and begged and begged my father for it until he finally purchased it and bought it for me. I think just to shut me up. <laughs> so I'm like, please, please, it's only you know ten dollars, which was probably you know what thirty back then or something. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, so I do remember that. <laughs> And, uh, I still have it. It's Bruce, did you um, did you play with your figures or did you display them? Right? It seems to be something that that kids kind of it's it's almost a split thing. I I had friends who just had the figures, took them out of the packaging, and then they just stuck them on the side and didn't really play with them. Um, but I was one of the ones who who like reenacted giant epics, either doing the films or making up my own stories. Well, what what kind of player were you as a kid? I played with all the with all the three and three quarter inch figures. The the large size figures are the ones that I just kind of displayed because, you know, there's no real chips to play with them, you know, yeah. with, you know, there's nothing to put them in. So they ended up becoming almost statues just sitting on my dresser. Played with, oh my God, yeah, I played with, with my loose figures a lot when I was a kid. I mean, I ended up losing most of the weapons and I think all the lightsabers, you know, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I play with them a lot. Your Princess Leia figure ended up with one eyebrow, didn't it? <laughs> I didn't notice that. It did. Reading up. It did. It did you did. pluck it, Bruce? Did you try and pluck the, <laughs> the, uh, the eyebrow? That's what it was. He was using his I cosmetic bag, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was shoving her back and forth into the trash compactor, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. But that, or maybe she was kissing Han a lot and just scrubbed the eyebrows off. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But, uh, yeah, eventually when I, I brought all my, my loose collection from my parents' house back home, and, uh, and I still had all, most of my figures, and I ended up uh, repainting her just to, just to spruce her up a bit. 
because I mean, I'm never really going to sell her, so it's not like I'm, you know. Obviously, in those photos, I, I don't see Princess Leia anywhere, but you have just said she was your first uh, first figure, and you've always mm-hmm. liked her. So what is it about Leia over the other characters that um, makes you want to focus on her? Well, as a kid, I mean, I had, I mean, she's the only girl, so I developed this huge crush on, you know, on her and Carrie Fisher when I was young. And uh, I don't know, I like how feisty and kind of spunky she was, you know, a little bit powerful. I mean, when, she, I mean, when, you, when you really think about if you if you forget Carrie Fisher's sort of English dialect when she first goes in front of Governor Tarkin and she, and she says, you know, Governor Tarkin, I should be glad to find you here holding Vader's leash. You know, recognize your foul stench, blah, blah, blah. I mean, okay, she just called Vader a lap dog. And she just told Tarkin he was stinking of the place. So, you know, here she is, you know, without any fucks left to give. She's just been tortured, and she's still mouthing off to these, you know, to the most fearsome people in the galaxy. So I was like, I mean, that that's a powerful chick right there, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty ballsy. You kind of go for a woman that likes to mouth off. (laughs) (laughs) Now, regarding Carrie Fisher, I came across quite a nice story, which I'm hoping you can elaborate on, which I found on Rebel Scum that you posted back in 2009, that you'd been to see her on stage in her wishful drinking tour, where you ended up stage. So, could you tell the listeners this story? Because it was a great little... uh, (laughs) Yeah, so my partner and I went to New York to for vacation, and we went to see her one-woman show. I had bought tickets, and we were sitting down front. It was a matinee, but it seemed like most of the people down front were slightly older people, for whatever reason. So at one point in the show, she invites someone to come on stage, um, and no, and nobody raises their hands, and so I give everybody a minute. And then I raise my hand, and she motions for me to come up. And then I don't even remember walking onto the stage. It was just so bizarre and just weird. And uh, and then once you're on stage, if you've seen the show, basically you just kind of become her meat puppet for a little while. She tells you to do this and do that, and uh, and then. She, she puts on a Princess Leia. She puts a Princess Leia wig on you because what is it she says in the show? She wants to. She wants to show everyone in the audience that this hairstyle can make anybody look like an asshole. So will you try on this wig? And so this wig descends from the rafters, and she puts it on you. It, it's just, and you know, everybody's laughing because it looks ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> on just about anybody. But uh, she takes you. After the little scene, she interacts with you, and she takes you backstage, you know, and you know, she gives you a kiss, and then you get a picture taken, and then and then we went um, back out for intermission, and somebody, this, some woman randomly asked me, was that stage? And I was like, are you kidding? I was like, no, it was not stage. She was like, did you hear me? King on stage? No, I was not acting at all. And uh, and then the show starts again, and uh, and then starts tormenting me again. She's like, you know, just as a thank you, Bruce, for helping me with the show, I wanted to present you with this. And then she gives me this. It's this um, inflatable love piggy, is what it's called. Um, it's basically, you know, those blow-up animals that have like a, a, a like an orifice where they have sex with kind of a thing. And uh, she had bought this thing and autographed it and, like, gave it to me. It was just... just it was, you know, she's like, did you already have one, do you? And I was like, no, I don't have one of these. And then she kisses me again, and, and, uh, 
it it was it was just it was completely bizarre and just and really a lot of fun. It was just it was definitely worth you know, the whole vacation and everything. It was awesome. <laughs> did, did you still have the in, the inflatable? Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 in a frame. I thought you were say it was much loved. <laughs> Oh no! Oh god! No, <laughs> no. The box and the and the photo are in a frame, in a, in a shadow box hanging in my hallway. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So and, you uh, have been kissed by the princess. Not many people can say uh, that. Uh yes, yes, twice. Oh. <laughs> that's actually marriage. Right. So let's get on to the layer focus then. On Friday, the fifth of December, two thousand fourteen, you posted on the forum in the top five wants list, and your top five wants at the time was a Palatoy twelve bat layer, a Clipper twelve bat layer, a Toll Toys twelve bat layer, a Canadian GDE twelve bat layer, and an ESB Princess Layer proof card. On Saturday, the third of January, you posted in the latest acquisitions that you'd bought a Princess Layer ESB proof card, which was something that was on your hit list. Um, that didn't take you long to hit. You know, to knock that item off your list. How hard was it to find? Uh, well, it was pretty hard. I'd been, I'd been posting, you know, wanting to buy threads. Well, on Rebel Scum mostly for a while, and finally, um, another collector. I was kind of more looking for an offerless one, but but yeah, he had one for sale, and uh, so I, I said. Sure, you know, <laughs> it's like okay. Um, the price I thought was a little bit steep, but you know, you know, it's the only one. So what are you gonna do? But um, it, it wasn't too bad. But so yeah, I, uh, yeah, I was I was happy to to knock that off the list. I'm still still like to get my hand revenge proof, but apparently there's a lot of people looking for the layer revenge proof to complete their revenge sets. So that's going to be something that's going to take a while to track down. I'm right in thinking you've got a Star Wars Empire and Jedi proof card now for Leia. Yes. You really do do just want that revenge to complete that run. Yeah, it'd be be nice. I mean, mean, there's there's tons of Leia proof cards out there, unfortunately. But but yeah, it would be nice just to have that, that one. And the rest of that hit list, I couldn't find any evidence that you've purchased any of those other items. How rare are they to find? At this point, they seem pretty pretty difficult to track down. I think a lot of people are just holding on to what they have, and so when it does turn up, the prices just go through the roof. So you do see them come up, then? They are out there, and they are out. There. The last Toll Toys was either a twelve or a twenty back. It was a reseal with a really yellow bubble, and I ended up passing on it. And that was probably eight months ago. Out of all those, probably the Palatoy comes in more often, but she's still still a little pricey. I've been keeping an eye on um, on on kind of the price of the of the twelve back Palatoys, and it seems to that if you want a a twelve back Princess Leia, it seems to be anything a thousand pounds upwards. It seems so about one and a half thousand dollars, I guess, upwards, which is you know insane really, considering you can get a Kenner probably for a fraction of that these days. It is it has gone mad. Yeah, well, even the Kenner twelve backs have started have started hitting the thousand or more if they're graded. You know, if they're graded, yeah, it's sort of astonishing to me. Considering how they aren't nearly as rare, but I don't know. I guess people are chasing the grades or something. I, I don't know. When you um, mentioned the clipper on your list, there, Pete, you purchased a clipper card on a recent little <laughs> drawn over to Belgium, didn't you? Yeah, I think I think you've seen it, Bruce. Actually, I think you actually commented on it. It's a, a forty-five back clipper Princess Leia Return of Jedi card, but it's very sun faded. It's, I did see that. Did see yeah. That. 
I mean, I mean, I I don't know much about it. I mean, I, I'm not a, a focus collector. I I just want one of each Princess Leia on one of each card, and I've I've done that in a short period of time. So I'm quite happy with that, and I'll leave mm. it there for cost. But I just wondered, have you ever come across one of those before? I I don't think I've ever seen one of those. So I mean, even in that condition, that's a pretty rare thing to get a hold of. But no, I don't I don't ever recall seeing one of those. Because I mean, I mean, we're, we're trying to find out something about it, but um, even on the Clipper website, it wasn't featured as one of the actually on the list. So I mean, I I contacted the Kellerman himself to see because I haven't seen the book whether it's in there. Apparently, it's not in there either. So it's kind of a mystery. Uh, I mean, I can imagine that happening where. Uh, you know, there's a few, you know, layers that got sent over and had clipper stickers attached. But um, but I I haven't seen one. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's it's a pretty rare thing. I've been tracking prices for quite a while, but yeah, I'm looking <laughs> through my database and I, I haven't seen anything like that before. I I never thought I'd ever own something that was rare, Star Wars or not. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a complete accident that that Grant saw it. Grant Criddle saw it. In the corner of a stall, underneath some other bits and pieces, and, and just went, "Look at that! That's what you want, oh, isn't it?" And I think it was—I think it was, cost, cost about sixty, sixty-five quid in the end. It cost me, so it's about eighty odd euros. Oh, nice. I know it wasn't even expensive. Your layer mocks, and I'm talking about purely your um, Laragana original one. Now you have a hell of a collection of them, and your Kenner variants in your limelight. You have, when I counted earlier, fifteen different versions on Kenner cards. Is that still the same number for Kenner? I believe so, yeah. I haven't, I haven't added any Kenner lately. How many Kenner cards are you missing? There's either six or seven. I think it's six. Are these tough cards to come by, or they, do they come up relatively easy? I mean, they come up pre- frequently, but like I said, now that they're getting a little bit more expensive. And I'm saving for Anaheim, so I haven't bought any of those lately. But, uh, but the sticker variations, especially the Boba Fett ones, are, are sort of hard to come by these days. Also, looking through your limelight, you have some quite appealing foreign cards as well. You've got the Takara 12 back, the Canadian 20 and 31 backs, Hob 12 back, Meccano 12 and 20 backs, German 45 backs, Trilogo, a Resil Palatoy 41 back. Now, I know there are a couple more I haven't mentioned there, which I want to discuss in a moment. But regarding those ones I've just mentioned, which are the harder to come by from them? Because um, I'm sure that I've heard that the Leia Meccano is a really tough one to find, although there was that shipping box recently which had two or three in it, wasn't there? Yeah, that French find, those are actually Meccano Leia's on Return of the Jedi cards. And those um, were the, are the only ones known of that, apparently. Yeah, I mean... The, Everything is getting harder and harder to find these days. I mean, definitely Meccano, because there are just Meccano-focused collectors. Um, whenever one of those comes up, the price just goes goes nuts. So that that and and the the Harbert twelve pack are particularly hard hard to find. What do, what do you think that um, the, the the prices are going nuts and 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 the the, the rarities? <laughs> are occurring. Do you think it is just the the Force Awakens effect, or do you think it's kind of people of our age group who are getting to that point where they're they're getting a bit interested in Star Wars, decided to recollect their childhood toys, or a bit of both, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a bit of both. I mean, there's you know there's the new movie coming out and sparking interest, and then there's people our age who are you know who are more settled in their careers and they have a little bit more expendable income, and then there's also I think the third factor, like I was saying before, is the collectors that already have this stuff are just holding on to it. Yeah. So so the actual su- supply is becoming more limited. 
So, yeah, so therefore, when something actually does come up, you know, everybody goes insane and <laughs> loses their mind. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we've said a lot of that recently. I don't know if you, you watched the, the auction in Britain, the Vectors auction, when someone paid £15,000 for a, a Boba Fett Empire Strikes Back card. I mean, you know, that's an incredible amount of money, really, for anything. I know, I mean, yeah, I mean, good on you. I mean, my God. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's just like it's like wow! I just wow! I, it's amazing. That is that is simply <laughs> staggering, isn't it? Fifteen well, what's that? Uh, well over twenty thousand dollars, basically. You know, there are people out there spending that kind of money, but yet they're not showcasing their stuff anywhere, and that's just it makes it makes you wonder. There's how many black hole collections there are out there, and people are just really secretive and don't want to share. You know. I can understand to a point. I guess if you spent twenty grand on a on a figure. You don't really want to advertise that fact because it's in your collection. Um, but at the yeah. same time, yeah, it's a shame that that. I mean, we, I was hoping the person who bought up Boba Fett would come out and sort of say, "Hey, look, guys, I've got this figure. Look at the rest of my stuff. Isn't it awesome?" But I mean, mm-hmm. he might do in time. We just don't know. But um, I'm, I'm, I hope they do. You know, I mean, you could potentially, you know, post, you know, under, you know. A different handle and you know cause, oh look at me look at me you know but it would be really cool I mean oh, if somebody, yeah. somebody's spending ten thousand pounds on that figure imagine, I can only imagine what else they have you know and oh just, yeah, yeah it's just <laughs> it could be the only thing he's got they've got uh, that could be it I just wanted that one <laughs> they're happy and they retire on it <laughs> yeah it's, it's just on a, on a pedestal somewhere <laughs> with a spotlight shining on it <laughs> that's the only thing in the room <laughs> so carrying on with your foreign cards then I did notice in there that you've got a glass leak layer as well and uh, whilst reading up on this I noticed that it often came with, well I think it nearly always came with a Jawa blaster is that correct? yes and on rare occasions came with a silver Jawa blaster yeah yeah do you have mine actually has a silver Jawa blaster has a silver one mm-hmm yeah. Uh, see that? Now that's when I was reading up on it. Basically, was being told that that was the rarer one. Was it always packed with this weapon, a, a Jawa blaster, or did it sometimes come with its, you know, a proper blaster or with different weapons? I don't think I don't think Glassley made a, a proper Leia blaster. I think she always came with with some version of the Jawa gun. There's no knowledge of why they did that. Mm, not that I know of. No, I'm sure somebody else maybe might know something, but yeah, I have no idea why they did that. Maybe it's just because it fit in their hand. <laughs> no, no clue. <laughs> it's even stranger that at some point they decided just to produce it in silver as well, isn't it? Yeah, I like that glass link card. It's just so it's just it really stands out from the rest. And how rare is layer on a on a glass link? So generally they're difficult cards to come by anyway, aren't they? But um, is the layer particularly difficult to find on it? Well. Yeah, I mean a lot of the glass lead stuff is doesn't come come up that often. I think she's probably one of the easier ones I think to get a hold of, but she's definitely gone up in price. There was there's a seller on eBay that had one that sold a couple months ago that was pretty mint except it had like a sticker tear near the top of the card and it's and it, it ended up going for about a thousand dollars, whereas a couple of years ago it would probably have been closer to four hundred. See, that's just a prime so There you go. It's, yeah. How mental it's gone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You see that price rise in two years, and uh, also in your layer run of mocks, then the Hungarian bootleg, which oh yeah, is a peculiar looking thing. Any details of how you came across this item? That was just a random eBay auction, and I looked at it, and um, I. 
forwarded the auction to a couple of other bootleg collectors and had them check it out and see if they thought it was it, it looked right and uh, and they did and so and so I, I went in on it. Yeah, it, it's a fun one. Um, there's Hungarian things. They're released on a couple of different colored cards. I think there's I know there's a there's a red card that I have and there's a blue card and I think there's another color. I saw I saw an orange blue. one when I was looking up up the bootlegs. Mm-hmm. I found an orange and blue example as well as a red. And there's also different colored guns. Um, mine has a green gun. I think there's a red gun. That's right. Maybe a maybe a black one. I'm not sure. But um, yours comes with grey. I did. I did see that as well. That um, each of them had a different colour blaster when I looked them up. But uh, and is that a copy of her original blaster? It looks to be. Yeah, yeah. It it looks like they just yeah they just make a mould of the production weapon and started churning them out. And you've also got some loose bootlegs. Yeah, I've got some some unarticulated the, the Polish bootlegs i've got a, a pink one and a white one and a blue one and then the, th- the third generation which is the articulated one that has like the adat driver arms and legs um yeah those are those are fun little things they're not very pretty to look at but they're, they're they have their own charm from all your um foreign mocks which one's your favorite and which one's the rarest probably probably the mcconnor 12 pack Lost a couple of auctions over the past few years, and then at least a year and a half went by before this one came up at a French auction uh, last year. And I ended up bidding over the phone and finally, finally got a hold of it. <laughs> so I just checked that one off the list. I don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> you know? Also in your layer mocks, you have got a couple of KB two-packs. One with Squidhead, obviously a obvious pairing. And uh, the other one, with <laughs> yes. which makes a little bit more sense. But uh, how rare are these two packs? Do they come up very often? With the original layer, um, yeah, I mean, you can find them every once in a while. Usually they are, they are packed with, uh, with Jedi characters. I know one collector that has a KB two pack that actually has has um, Princess Leia and Darth Vader in it, which I would love to get my hands on. Almost never happens. You usually just see like Indoor Leia packed with you know whoever or Bosch Leia packed with. Those are the easier ones. The the original Leia is a little bit harder to get in a two pack, but it still doesn't really go for. I mean, they they still hover around maybe a hundred dollars. Um, so it's not they're not that expensive. I've, I've seen a few KB2 packs over the years, um, and they often don't come with weapons, but your Leia and Squidhead pack does have their weapons in as well, doesn't it? Uh, the Squidhead has a weapon, and Leia doesn't have Leia's a weapon. Leia's and the Blaster's not um, in there, no? Yeah, there's no Leia Blaster in there. Yeah, from what I heard, they just they were taking you know, overstock figures just out of huge barrels and just randomly sticking these things on cards. And, and so a lot of them just didn't have weapons. And uh, I also heard from a really um, this guy who's a who was a two pack focus collector that they were actually taking figures off of Jedi cards, putting them in these two packs. And that's the if you usually if you see a complete figure with a weapon and their helmet or whatever they came with. It's because they were torn off a card now, right. and put on these two packs, which I think is insane, but it, apparently it happened. The back of these packs are the packs that have got nothing on there. It's just like a plain piece of cardboard, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just plain white. There's nothing There's nothing yeah, exciting so about the Cheap to package up, I suppose, and like you say, using mm-hmm. it to stop. Yeah. Leia came in quite a few other multi-packs, didn't she? I know she was in the Hero 3-pack, and there was a Hoth layer in the Rebel 3-pack. Is there any other multi-packs you own, or...? Or in the lookout? Uh, no, and 
and I think they've all gotten far out of my reach at this point. Um, yeah, I'd love to get, I'd love to find a, a Hero Three pack with Leia, but I, yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> I notice you all have your Leia mocks in acrylic now, which can be strange after what we were talking about. And I believe these were purchased from GW Acrylic, who we were very well connected with here. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Ian actually um, lives here in North Carolina, um, probably about 30, 45 minutes from me. Um, so yeah, when I contacted him and uh, and he actually hand delivered them to my house, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and hung out for a bit and and got to see my collection. Um, I've yet to make it over to his place, and hopefully I'll get to get to go over there pretty soon. Maybe when he gets his cases back in stock, because um, I I still need a few more. But uh, yeah. but yeah, and they they're nice cases. A couple of more bits with Leia before we move on, then. Um, miss cards. Do you own any Princess Leia miss cards? No, no, I don't. Do you know of many? Uh, the only ones I know of are the ones that are, that are in, uh, in Gary Smith's collection. Um, That's he's right, got a, he's, got, he's got the yeah, Boo he's Shop, Bespin, isn't he, and Hoff on Poncho, yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are, those are really cool. Yeah, I like those, but I don't, I don't think there are in many, uh, like, original Starpups Leia that are miscarded. I did find one. I found a picture. It was a collector on Rebel Scum who had a... It's a Leia carded on an original R2-D2 card, on a Star Wars card, that I posted on on, a, on my thread in the, on the Star Wars Forum UK. And uh, that's a really cool-looking piece. That's that's really the only miscard that, that I've ever seen. Yeah, they look nice, don't they? But... Uh like you say, original layer, I've not seen many pop up. Mm-mm. So, no. we'll keep our eye out. We'll think of you <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> when we see one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah right. So, you, you have a few side focuses alongside your main layer. I don't believe the listeners will probably believe what I'm about to say, but your side focuses are layer best bin, layer hoff, layer endor, and boosh. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and, uh, and indoor layer and boosh layer, yeah. <laughs> How are these going? What kind of uh, numbers and have you got in your collection of these? I don't have nearly as many, um, just because, I mean, well, these figures came out later, so there's not that many, not as many, you know, Kenner cards to, to worry about. And I've decided to mainly just try to focus on, on the original Leia. Um, every once in a while, something will come up that'll, that'll spark my interest and I'll jump on it. But, um, but yeah, right now, I've, as far as Hoth Leia, I have five, and then Bespin Leia, I got seven, including a Palatory 30 back, and, uh, Indoor Leia, I have five, um, carded, and Bush Leia, I just have four carded. But I say, that's still a fair amount, isn't it? Yeah, not your main focus, yeah. <laughs> out of them four, not including the original layer, out of those four layers, which is your favourite figure? I think I like Indoor Leia out of those four. It may be a toss-up between Endor and Bespin, I think. So, before we move off the layer then, totally, you have what we refer to as oddball items. Mm-hmm. And obviously we've already mentioned your cosmetic beauty bag, which you take to work daily. But you have yes. many, many other items. You've got paint by numbers, soap, bubble bath, combs, toothbrushes, erasers, pencil case, right. Ben Cooper costume, which I've been looking at recently myself, um, mm-hmm. just so I could dress up for my wife. Uh, cups, <laughs> stickers, iron-ons, all sorts of stuff. And I love the oddball aspect of collecting. I clearly, and clearly you do too when it comes to layer. So before I ask you yeah. a couple of your oddball items, just want to know what attracts you to the oddball 
Well, I mean, it definitely has to be vintage, first of all. And I draw the line if it's too ugly. I don't pick it up. Because uh, I think Sigma made um, a mug uh, back in the 80s, which is just horrendous. And uh, there's a couple of, there's a, I think there's a Beauchelet, a statue, which is just... Uh, so I tend to kind of stay away from it. And plus, there's so much other stuff. Yeah, she's on an awful lot of stuff, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, careful, because uh, Stu's, uh, Stu's a bit of a Sigma mug collector, so you just ruined his... his oh, box. sorry! <laughs> You're not going to believe it. <laughs> the, uh, the layer mug, it uh-huh. was only Friday that I managed to pick it up, and Ian is uh, dealing with a transaction. So there you go. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, God. Yeah, it's yeah. just so it's just so weird looking, and I'm just like, ah, Jesus! It's like, yeah, I can't, I can't <laughs> do it. I mean, yeah, I yeah, I, I, I like I like the, the the oddball stuff thing that I love in your oddball things, and it wasn't that long ago. I don't think you put it in the latest acquisitions, and that is your transparencies, which you purchased from Kim Simmons. Uh, yeah, they came through uh, Tom Derby, who uh, who used to own the Cloud City collectibles, and he had tons and tons of these things. In the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, uh, and apparently still has some stuff left. But, uh, but yeah, they're all um, transparencies for the, the packaging for the 12-inch yeah. uh, layer figure, and uh, different, showing how to do different hairstyles and, and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, those are really cool. Yeah, I quite like the, um, the prototype one with the holster attachment and the home blaster as well. A bit different, wasn't it, which wasn't used, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, well... They ended up using that on there's a there's a 12 inch Bespin Leia prototype figure that didn't go into production and if you when you when you see pictures of that it actually has the same uh, the same holster now uh, built with the holster attachment. So basically, let uh, we need to move on from from Leia because uh, we're going on about it for quite a while. But what's your favorite odd boy <laughs> out of your Leia stuff? I don't know. I just picked up that Helix uh, pencil case. I really like that. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Pizza. It's usually it's usually. Oh. Yeah, it's usually the newest thing that I've that I've picked up that I that I'm really enamored with. I love the iron ons, but I'm you know, nev- unfortunately probably never gonna be able to actually put them on a t shirt. But yeah, yeah, I like the pencil case. Of all your layer stuff, what what's the best item to sniff? <laughs> careful. <laughs> careful how you answer this one, Bruce. It's all right. Careful. He hasn't got any underroots. We've okay. established that. <laughs> yeah, just be careful. Could be arrested here. <laughs> well, I've tried to sniff the cologne splash in the beauty bag, but it doesn't really have much of a scent anymore. So I'm I'm forced to go in and uh, and smell this strawberry scented uh, eraser that um that I recently got. I actually had to um had to get uh, Lee Bullock to buy it for me because the seller on eBay on eBay UK wasn't shipping to the United States, and I couldn't believe it. That's for this. Because it was relatively cheap, you know. And so I emailed Lee, and I was like, uh, can you bid on this something for me, and I'll pay you back. And he's like, what is it? It's an eraser. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, sure, mate. Just go ahead. All right, that's fine. So, yeah, he bid on it, and then uh, it shipped it to me. So, yeah, kudos to Lee for doing that for me. Now, one thing outside of Star Wars that I, have, I haven't actually seen in your collection, but Ian made a comment on your collection about it after he visited you, and that is your Barry White singing alien. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I have a... Um I'm a big fan of the of the Alien franchise, and I have a I have a big Alien collection. And my partner <laughs> took 
He took this, uh, this, this, um, and these novelty shops, they have these figures that, you know, you press a button and it, and it sings a Barry White song. So he cannibalized this thing, and I think it, maybe it was a teddy bear at some point. I can't remember. But he, he took all the outsides off of it and constructed this, this face hugger, um, one, and then also a chest burster one. So it's like this huge, like, you know, sort of worm, uh, you know, with giant metal teeth that, uh, that, yeah, it actually, and, and the mouth actually moves and it sings, it sings a Barry White song. It's, it's quite something. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> I'm not doing it justice. It is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Bruce, you're a tattoo artist by trade, um, which is clearly where your artistic side comes in. Have you ever done right. Star Wars tattoos? I have. It's 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 been a while. I've done a well. I did a Princess Leia portrait actually on a friend of mine uh, years ago, and and I've done you know a couple of Clone Wars tattoos, and another friend of mine got this huge like uh, Star Wars space battle. Oh, wrapped around his lower leg. But yeah, I've done a few. I don't. I don't get a lot. Of, a lot of you know people asking for Star Wars tattoos, unfortunately, which I did. But yeah. But yeah, it's 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 always fun when somebody actually mentions it, and my ears perk up. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll take that one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> now, uh, have you got access to a uh, Facebook right at this minute in time? To Facebook, yes. Yeah, right. I'm just going to um, post up. I found five Star Wars tattoos which. Uh, intrigued me and I just want to um, I'll put them up in the show notes so the listeners know what I'm talking about but I just wanted to get your artistic impression of them as tattoos okay so just while I'm adding this now number one is a tattoo of uh, C-3PO's head but the customer's decided he wants this on his foot I'm assuming it's male foot anyway looking at the size of it and how hairy it is but uh, 3PO takes up mm. the whole of the top of his foot so, glorious yes Interesting. Yeah, so I'd just like to get your artistic uh, impression of it, and how painful would that be on the top of the foot? Um, the top of the foot can be pretty painful, pretty sensitive, especially going down towards the toes. I mean, because, you know, there's there's not a lot of muscle or fat on the top of the foot, so it's it's a lot of skin and cartilage, basically, you know, and tendons. So, yeah, it can be pretty pretty sensitive. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah I thought, I thought being, um, it looked pretty good with the uh, the way he looked. So you'd be you'd be proud of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty cool. But when he looks at it, it's upside down. <laughs> when he looks at yeah, it, the that's person, true, yeah, it's yeah. going to be quite odd. <laughs> if he was laying on the sofa, yeah. someone was at the other end. He could make them talk, <laughs> couldn't they? I think that's why. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. right now, oh, number two. Now this oh this God. this man, I think, is a bit of a plonker. Uh, he has got Darth Vader tattooed on his cheek with roses. <laughs> Good old romantic Darth Vader. Uh, with roses around it. Uh, now, oh if, my god! If someone came into you, would you try talking them out of having that? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. I generally don't tattoo faces at all, so yeah, I probably wouldn't do this. <laughs> to be quite honest, the the little body with the big head reminds me a bit of um, Spaceballs as well. Like it's got a massive helmet. I couldn't quite believe he'd had that done. So number three is a personal favourite of mine. So now I'm going to show you this picture. This depicts Chewbacca's family from the holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> here's a, okay, here's a funny story about this tattoo. 
I actually did this tattoo when I was apprenticing. Is this your work? Um, this is, yes, this was, I did this 15 years ago <laughs> on a friend of mine. And so it's not exactly representative of the, the, the work that I do today. It's still, I like the design of it better than the actual execution, but it's still well, actually, not the, bad. The Chewbacca looks really good, doesn't it? But it's, um, yeah. It's the choice, isn't it, more than anything for me, that's yeah, gone exactly. through Becker's family. Yeah, well, if you knew my friend if you knew my friend Lee that I did it on, then it would make perfect sense to you. <laughs> and is that, is that the back of his leg? That, yeah, that's on, the side, that's on the side of his calf, yeah, on the side of his leg. Does he have either other Wookiee tattoos, or does he have other holiday special tattoos? <laughs> you know, is it... Um, I think... I think this is the only. I think this is the only Star Wars tattoo he has. He has a uh, one arm is completely filled up with Fantastic Four characters um, from the okay. comics, not the movies. And the other arm is the Inhumans from the Marvel comics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and he actually has uh, the robots from the movie The Black Hole, the Disney. Movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He has, I think he has. I think he has. One of those on on each side of his neck. So really, what what yeah. what? Um, so, old, old, yeah. old Bob and Vincent. Yep, exactly. All the, all the guards. Yep. That is funny. In a bit later, we're going to uh, go onto your artwork in a minute, and I know you com- you did some commission work for a picture of <laughs> this family for Sky Payne as well, which we'll get onto in a bit. How peculiar! Mm-hmm. Two people have asked you for Chewbacca's family, <laughs> which is a. <laughs> I'm astounded, absolutely astounded. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put up tattoo number four then. Now this man here okay. is in a gent's ear, and he's got a Death Star inside the top of his ear, and a TIE Fighter down at the low with some sort of blaze coming out the back of the TIE Fighter, coming away from the Death Star. So, what, what do you uh, think of this one? You're not gonna tell me it's yours, uh, are you? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, God, I would not even attempt to do this. It's just so small. <laughs> That's got to be painful in there as well. Actually, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Actually, I don't know. Pinching mine sure. at the moment. I guess it'd be easy to anaesthetise that or something. It was too painful. So do you think that's done quite well, considering the size of it? <laughs> considering the size of it, yeah, it's it's, it's not bad. Yeah. Oh, God, these people with their <laughs> facial tattoos and ear tattoos. I thought, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm afraid of what you're going to show me next. So oh, got- well, yeah, that's just... Bruce, that's justified. And I, I really, I really do hope this isn't yours, okay? Because this is the final one, then. This is a strange Vader tattoo. Oh, God. It is basically a penis yeah. with Darth Vader's helmet. <laughs> and uh, oh, it's got God. a black outfit with a pair of balls hanging out the bottom. So, Oh, my God. So, so what do you think of that? <laughs> what don't you oh think of that? Oh, my God. I thought he was kidding until the picture actually loaded. Oh, my God. Wow. I don't understand. In fairness, it's quite well executed, isn't it? Got a few <laughs> sure. There's three or there's three or four warts on that um on those balls though, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, that's a that, that's a little bit Oh my god. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's let's move on. <laughs> right, so oh god. Being a being into two artists, you you're clearly an artistic man and when I looked at your artwork on your website, velvetgeek.com, correct? Yes, that's it. Yeah, um, I was quite astounded actually. Your uh, your paintings are beautiful. How did you get into painting? I mean, I've always drawn since I was a kid, and I actually I went to to school for art. Um, went to um, university. I started painting on velvet, I guess five ago. Um, and uh, it's it's not it's not an easy thing to paint on. 
but um, the, the results can be, um, I think, visually interesting because there's that heavy contrast between the um, the paint and the black of the velvet. So yeah, I got I got into painting on velvet, you know, a few years ago, and, and so that's what I've been doing. As far as that, I said still paint on canvas every once in a while. Yeah, I noticed that most of your paintings are on velvet, but they really do look fantastic. Now, I know you do commissions, oh. um, and obviously we've just alluded to this a couple of minutes ago, that you commissioned a piece for Sky Paint back in 2013 for the anniversary mm-hmm. of the holiday special, <laughs> which is just randomly. <laughs> <laughs> I still, still can't get my head around that they're both yours. It was a... Like the Weezer cover album, I've got the album, the blue album, wasn't it, where the four band members yeah. are standing, and you've got the the four members of the Wookiee family standing on there. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about this piece and the inspiration for doing it like that album cover? Yeah, well, um, Sky's a, a really big fan of the band Weezer, and if cute. you look if you look in the in the painting, uh, Lumpy. Chewbacca's son is actually holding a hammerhead action figure. That's right. Got that on my And, and apparently, um, two of the members of the band actually became friends when they were kids, um, either playing with Star Wars figures or trading Star Wars figures or, or, or something. I don't remember this. I don't even remember the story. But apparently, hammerhead figures into the, the formation of the band somehow. And uh, so Sky asked me to do the portrait of. The, of Portrait of the Wookiee family, you know, based on the on the Weezer album cover. So, so yeah, I, I gladly took that on. It was it was fun. It was fun to do. And this piece doesn't actually look like it's on velvet, which is a uh, strange. Yeah. No, it it it's on canvas. Yeah, it's actually on canvas. So, which which makes it a bit easier because um, doing really small details. Um, even though the the canvas is actually twenty by twenty, their faces on that on that scale are still pretty small so you can't really do like really tiny detailed faces like that on velvet so yeah we I did we did that on canvas and he wanted it to be you know the backgrounds too so so yeah but yeah I really I really like that one and uh, I always end up posting it you know whenever the anniversary of the holiday special comes up (laughs) 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 happy life day everyone (laughs) Um, so how many stole paintings do you think you've produced, roughly? I love your slave God. painting, by the way. Particular, particular favourite oh, going through your work, yeah. Oh, thanks. Jeez, um, I don't know, at least 20, 30? I did a few for some shows, and I've done quite a few commissions, and I did... I did a couple of pieces for, um, I did one piece for the Rancho Obi-Wan charity auction for last year. Oh, yeah. And, um, I did a piece for the Celebration 5. There was a charity auction for Make-A-Wish. I did a piece for that. Um, so, yeah, it's, I've done, yeah, I've done quite a few over the, over the years. And do you do many, um, commission pieces, generally? Yeah, I do. I mean, when people ask, right now I'm getting ready to do another solo show, so I haven't had as much time to fit in commissions as I'd like, but I'm kind of winding down on that project, so I'm... So yeah, I'm, I'm going to be taking more commissions here in the, in the near future, probably in the next month or so. Brilliant. So obviously, I just mentioned your uh, website a minute ago. Where can the listeners uh, find your work again, and how can they go about getting a piece commissioned if if they're interested? Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, velvetgeek.com, and I also have a Facebook page, and the email is bruce at velvetgeek.com. And yeah, if you want to um, shoot me an email, if you have if you have something in mind, give you a price. And uh, I also have 
a few things. If you go, if, if you go to gallery1988.com, there's a gallery in LA that I deal with mostly. That's where I'm having my next show. And they have, they have a few things left over from, from past shows that I've done. No Star Wars though. So honestly, listeners, go and check out Bruce's work. He's an incredible artist and uh, it is just brilliant to look through your work. So, so finally, Bruce, you know, it, we're pushing on here and uh, obviously you're in the middle of your days, all right, for us sitting here in the evening. You're off to Anaheim, yeah? Uh, yes. Pete's obviously going out there. So, hey. Pete. Bruce, what, what are you looking for over there? Because you, you said you were saving your money up. So, uh, <laughs> what are you hoping to find? I'm assuming you're, you're talking about saving money to find something in the room sales, maybe. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Just whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> I can find. Yeah, usually on the dealer floor, past couple of celebrations, I haven't really found all that much. It's usually been room sales. We're yeah. A few pieces. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to. I mean, I'd love to find a proof card. That would be awesome. But yeah, I don't. I don't really have my sights set on anything in particular. Yeah. Did Did you um Did you ever Did you ever feel tempted by putting your art in for for like the art show at all? Because I mean, just look at those pictures. I mean, using Valve, it seems to really. I mean, I, I something I've never considered using. I've kind of a, a bit of a hobby artist myself, or used to be, and uh, I've never occurred to me to use something like Valve to paint on. So, but it, it seems to bring the light out. Beautifully, because you got that contrast oh. with the with, with the dark background. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I've thought about it, but you have to be an officially licensed Lucasfilm artist. You have to either have worked with Tops or you know some other licensee to even get invited to participate in Artist Alley. Um, so, and that's something I've never really done. So, yeah. yeah, so I'm kind of out of the running as far as that goes. Yeah, I had another friend ask me if I was, you know, are you going to set up a booth at Celebration? I'm like, I don't know if I don't know how legal that would be. <laughs> you know? Just do it in a room somewhere. I mean, it's not like I'm, se- it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm selling prints. You know, they're just, everything's a one-off, everything's a one-off custom thing, but there is a legal gray area that, yeah, I wouldn't want to, you know, wouldn't want to even go into Well, it's, if you bring your pens, Bruce, I've got a Princess Leia Marvel number one blank sitting here, which I want to get someone to draw Princess Leia on it for me. So if you if you're bored for five oh my minutes, God. I'm gonna track you down. No pressure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no pressure at all. Yeah, might take me more than five minutes. <laughs> so have you have you ever thought about getting involved in the tattoo stage there? Because I, I believe that's getting really popular now. Um, each year it gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, um, yeah. Shane uh, has asked me if I wanted to participate before, and I just you know, I mean, this is my vacation, so <laughs> I don't really want to work. I mean. I mean, I know I'd, I'd make a lot of money and stuff, but I'd rather, I'd really rather have time to hang out with my friends and go to panels and stuff than, than just be sat at the booth the whole time, you know, wondering what every, what other cool things are going on while I'm having to do this tattoo, you know. Well, I, mean, I hope, yeah, Bruce, that you, you, uh, you take time to come to our panel because <laughs> we've got a podcast stage booked, believe it or not. Oh, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll definitely have to stop by. So are you guys going to the archive party? Yes, we all are. Everyone who's coming is going. We're all booked in. So. Oh, nice. You'll yes. see, Gron. He'll be wearing his Princess Leia underoos. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll know who you are, because you'll have your cosmetic bag under your arm, won't you? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, I'll probably be wearing a Princess Leia t-shirt every day, so, so I'll probably cool. won't be too hard to find. But yeah, it's going to be awesome. I can't yeah, wait. I'm looking forward to it. And, and Carrie Fisher's going to be there. 
<laughs> yeah, we um we actually met up with her. Well, not met up with her, but we met her in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in, 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 yeah, it sounds like that. she's our friend. Yeah, yeah, just bumped into her. Um, over in Belgium, we we think we queued for the best part of the day, didn't we, Sue? Yeah, yes, yeah, so <laughs> finally, finally got. She didn't. She didn't kiss me or give me a inflated pig, though. No, but no, <laughs> I'm extremely jealous of that now. <laughs> 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 well, so there you have something forward. You have something to look forward to. <laughs> well, Bruce, we need to start wrapping this up. One final question, which I ask sure. everybody: If everyone's having to leave the planet to start over on another planet, and you were told you could only take one piece of your collection due to space, and money was no object, so it doesn't, you know, no point. You won't be able to sell it out there. What one piece would you be taking with you? Okay, like, I'll I'll take I'll take the Meccano twelve back with me. Wonderful. Well. Bruce, it's been an absolute blast, and thank you for spending so much time. You know, this has been with us for an hour and a half up here, and it's been great oh, to speak with you and learn about your collection oh. and your, your love of the holiday special, Chewbacca. <laughs> 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 that's right. That's right. Well, should, should, I, should, I, should I bring my DVD to, to, to Anaheim? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, and we'll catch up with you again later in the show for this month's Rapid Fire. Thank you once again, Bruce. Oh, thank you, Gus. Right, so now over to the latest acquisitions, where uh, Jez is going to take centre stage here. Are you ready, Jez? I am ready. Take it away, then. Hello, what happened here? Ah, good. New acquisition. First of all, it's been another bumper month for the collectors. You may have noticed I've been suffering from my usual problem of not having enough time to check out the LA thread as often as I'd like, which results me in having to go back to my last post and then view about 20 pages and pretty much construct a super statement commenting on everything that has been posted or bought, and it takes me quite a while. It's actually quite fun to do, though, because it allows me to notice trends in certain individuals who must simply be on first-name terms with their postman. Um, there have been some very busy boys and girls showing so many lovely purchases, so many guys to mention. Rob P. Marsh, in particular, though, must have shares in the post office because he seems to be posting something pretty much on every page at the moment. We've had so much stuff, loose, carded, boxed, sealed box, die-cast, proof posters, Helix, Sigma, oddball halls, neighbour halls, and the list goes on. However, there are a few which I'd like to discuss this month. Most of the items I'm going to be choosing are ones that interest me or I know nothing about. Anything goes, and I'll be choosing things from 5 quid to 5k. I'm also um, keen to receive direction from the listeners as to what should be discussed during the LA thread. So if there's something people have seen and want us to investigate, please send us a PM. First of all, though, Grant, what I'd like to do is, is bring up the whole Leddy negative card back, which you mentioned last podcast um i just need to clear that up you know you mentioned you bought a 30 back lily lady tie fighter pilot negative card back i found myself thinking what the hell's a negative card back now i am the first to admit when it comes to star wars collecting and to borrow a phrase from black adder i'm as thick as a whale omelet however the chances are that some other people out there were probably thinking what's a negative card back so that's the first thing which i've had to look into now your card back Grant was on page 1631. 
With regards to it being negative, I suppose it's obvious, really. The term negative refers to the image as opposed to the card back being a bit pessimistic. But the term is only in relation to a Liddy uh, card back, but not all of them. And this is where it can get a bit crazy for focus collectors, a bit like yourself, Graham. Fortunately, it doesn't appear that there were any Greedo ones, Stu. However, Pete, dude, there were plenty of Leers. Rich, I don't know. I know you don't collect mocks, so you're off the hook. Fairly sensible. So the figures were first released on their, well, hopefully I'll get this right, Imperio Contractica, the Empire Strikes Back cards. And in short, up until the 30 back card backs, they used black and white drawings on the back. Now, these weren't negatives. These were just black and white. So largely due to the fact to keep the production costs down. And they were still dipping their toe in the Star Wars market. Then in 1983, we had El Returno del Jedi cards were released. Still not quite up to your card yet, Grant. This card was a direct translation, but didn't really feel right. So a few months later, it changed from Returno del Jedi to Regresso del Jedi. And this is where, for focus collectors, as I say, it can get quite frustrating because there's even more for them to collect. Now, your card came out in about April 84, but they decided to up the game and produce the 30 backs. So we had two different cards, positive and negative. Now, the first question to come out is, was this an error? And which came first? Was it the uh, images on the black, which is the negative, which is what you've got? Or was it the other way around, the images on the white? Any thoughts on this, Grant? Uh, Jez, I didn't actually know the negative card existed till only a few months ago. I was thinking that if I just got a 30 back, a Lily Lady TIE Fighter pilot, that's me done. And obviously, nightmare situation, there's now a negative out there. And I really don't know that much about them at all. Okay, well, a- any of the other guys got any leddy card backs? I haven't, but um, are there 50 or so of these card backs? And from my understanding, didn't the positive ones come first and then the negatives a printing error that, that was just done in such vast quantities that they really thought it's not really worth destroying these and running them off the game, we're just going to use them up? I'm really not sure about that, Rich. The, r- the reason being is because I've heard some say, oh, well, we think the uh, the white background ones came first, followed by the black, the negative, which, which seems a bit strange. I think producing so much ink might have been even more expensive. But if it was an error, why did they repeat it on the 50? Because the 50 backs also come in a positive and a negative, which makes me think, well, potentially, were they produced in, in two different locations? Uh, and one location had the negative and one location had the positive because... As I said, if it was an error, why repeat that error when you do the 50 bag? It's a good question. I'd imagine it'd be something down to just stock, I guess. It's like you say, if, if there's two or three factories with that stock sitting there, they're not going like to throw it away. So I'd imagine it'd be two sites, one site, whatever. And they thought, right, there's no point getting rid of this stuff. We'll just print on it and go with it. I just can't see why. If, if they've already cut. Cut well, costs with not having a print, you know, full colour printed back. There's no point in uh, in getting rid of um, stuff they've already printed, is there? Really? Well, I've looked into this a little bit more and, and been asking a couple of the guys who I, I would class as the specialists. Because one of the questions which I'd seen asked on RS was um, from Joe, who had said that he hadn't seen Lumat in a negative. That's the only one which I'm aware of. But obviously, I'm I'm quite happy to stand corrected because at the end of the day, this is um, a learning process for us all. Um, but the only one I've been told is is Lumat in a negative. But the the thing is with these, you know, it's just not as well documented at the moment as everything else. You know, we've we've got the Kellerman, we've got everything else going on. 
um, but the, just the information out there isn't great. But from what I've seen, from a focus collector point of view, there are going to be some figures who have got the different versions of the actual title. So you've got the Returno as well as the Regresso, and then the 30-back positive, the 30-back negative, the 50-back positive, and the 50-back negative. So, um, yeah, quite, quite a few cards to get for people. Finally then, guys, well, I, I really like them, but they didn't do a Luke X-Wing one. And having said that, I'd happily welcome anyone into the bosom of my collection. So um, if there are any out there which I see, I'll be sure to try and, uh, tr try and get one. The next thing I want to discuss in the LA is um, something which Dublin Jeff has put up. It was great to see Jeff posting again after his collecting sabbatical. He's uh, pretty much back with a vengeance. What Jeff does for the forum is pretty special, really. Jeff, you can see in the past, has done some Luke Farmboy reference guides, which are fantastic. Gamorian Guard reference guides, Princess Leah Hoth reference guides. And the one in particular which I'd like to discuss now is his Han Hoth. Now, I've seen Jeff collecting some fantastic hands, and I could see, I knew exactly where he was going to go with this. And he certainly hasn't let us down, because when you look at the reference guide on the forum, you can see the work which he's put into Han Hoth and the variance which he's, he's described in great detail. Everyone should have a hand off, so you might think to yourself, well, why on earth are you collecting that on the LA thread? Well, the reason, twofold, really, is A, to highlight the fact that Jeff's doing this, and to talk about the difference in uh, variance, and also to point out the fact that Leah was a lucky lady, because when you look at the Han Hoth, which has got the large Hong Kong COO, he's got a massive thumb. Now, that's one of the variants which I've seen there. In short, he's got so many different variations which he's identified. He's got the large COO, the small COO, made in Hong Kong. Now, there are various sculpt differences, which really, I've got no idea how many different types he's got now. He's just listing. Every time you look at his reference guide, he's got more and more. Now, first of all, Rich, you're a loose collector. How many Han Hoths have you got and what variants? I've got four Han Hoths, and honestly, I couldn't care if they were made in Hong Kong, made in Taiwan, or made in the South Pole. It makes absolutely no difference to us. Um, the ones that I've got have different colour legs, and I've looked at Spoons' collection of Han Hoths, and, and his are amazing. He, he must have a dozen, perhaps 15 of them. But some of the legs for me are a little bit too close, so I've went ones that really do stand out as more major variations. But an interesting thing about Han Hoth is that's the very first figure that I purchased that got me back into collecting Star Wars. I paid £10 for a Han Hoth of eBay, and, and that's where it all snowballed. So I'm always going to have that little special something for Han Hoth, because without Han Hoth, I wouldn't even know you a lot. My, uh, my hand half is only a childhood one, so I wouldn't even know what COO is on it, but I've got a few carded ones, but that's a different story. What I find is quite interesting with the hand half is we know that a lot of the Palitoy ones came with the Stormtrooper blaster instead of the normal Smuggler blaster. So I wonder if people actually bother displaying it with the Stormtrooper blaster instead. Yeah, well, the ones which I've got displayed have just got his regular blaster. Um, what I quite like about this one with the blaster as well is obviously his, his holster. Now, I don't know if obviously everyone is, is aware with regards to the holster that you can um, shove the old blaster in there with his magazine in the clip. We don't have that many loose figures which can hold a, a blaster. So, um, Grant, you gave us a bit of a quiz earlier on. So, uh, just off the top of your head, what figures have we got which have got a holster or a facility to hold a weapon without using the hand? Yikes. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to be quick. Don't, don't be looking it up or I'm going to have to fire. R2 Sapper! Yeah, R2D2 with his pop-up saber, I guess. 
Very good. Um, that was mine. Oh, was that yours? Sorry, Pete. I didn't hear you. Um, uh, um, uh, oh, man, you need to love Star Wars more. I do. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> Thing about the Endor characters? Oh, oh, Leia Poncho and Luke Poncho. God, oh, my word. So, yeah, I, I particularly like that about the Han Hoth. I, I like his detailing. I like the fact that you can use his holster as a holster. Um, and I think that's that's really, really smart. But one of the things which we were looking at with regards to his, his guide, yeah, you're absolutely right, Rich, that they've got, you know, different pant variations, different trouser variations in colour. But I've got a, I've got a poppy handhoff and, and three loose ones. And all of the loose ones have all got different coloured trousers, but they've all got the same um, COO on the back, all the small Hong Kong. Um, so it, e- even though they are physically different, they look different, one of them's got a very pale face. They've all got the same um, variant on the back. They've all, they all come from the same place. Um, but it was just, Jeff's just gone into so much detail with regards to this. And it was just definitely worthy of note. He's, he's noticed some which have got five-sided belt buckles, some which have got six-sided belt buckles, um, the difference in pockets, the difference in belts, the difference in pleats on the scarf. Um, it's just gone into so much detail, and it's just um, thanks to people like Jeff on the forum that people can just do a great deal of research and look into different things. I know his Luke Skywalker farm boy was particularly popular. I've just got one, which is my, like Grant, I've got my original one. I've not really touched on the sort of minor variants as yet. I've kind of gone for the major ones, but I won't touch that until I've actually finished my loose collection, and then I'll... I thought, yeah, um, it's kind of something that interests me a little bit to get a few variants, but it does seem a lot. You know, I've been on the forum now for about four four years or so, four or five years, and it's the actual vintage reference library. is something which I just haven't looked at. I've avoided it very much like I've avoided the modern, and um, I just don't actually give it enough credit. That I just wanted it to highlight the fact that these, these things are there, and um, and it's just great to see. Jeff starting to buy more and more stuff and put them in the LA thread because we know that they're all going to go into his vintage library. The next thing, as I said, I want to be dipping in and out of various different things, loose, carded, things I, I don't really know a great deal about, just um, for my own education as well. But there's one thing which came up, Savory 100. He got a theatre programme, which we saw, and I thought to myself, right, I've got one of those in my collection. Now, initially... Savory 100 didn't actually know what it was. He just put it up there because this is something which he had rescued from um, from his house when he had bought it prior to a move. And it was just, he found it stuck in a book whilst he was looking for something else. So put it in the LA thread. And a couple of us went up there and said, yeah, you've, you've got a theatre program there. Now, this is something which I think, I think belongs in a great deal of collections. I certainly like the fact that I've got it in mine. Now, these are readily available on eBay. Certainly don't cost the earth. We're talking... Uh, most of them are coming from America, between 10 and $18, which when you, when you consider the exchange rate for what you're getting uh, with regards to a piece of Star Wars history, I, I think is great. Now, I've got mine in front of me, and uh, we've got a few different releases here, a few different um, releases and runs. Now, mine is the second run, which has got a sort of pebbly finish to the uh, cover. The first edition has got a much glossier finish. Now, fortunately, for Savory 100, he's actually got the British edition, which is really rare. It actually says it's from Jermaine Street, J-E-R-M-Y-N Street in London. Now, these are fairly sought after because most of the ones available are, as I said, are from the USA. So when we're looking at these theatre programmes, pretty much can be classed in four different releases. So as I said, 
Um, the first, which has got the glossy cover. The second, which has got a sort of pebbled cover and slightly faded with a bit of a pinky hue page. We've got a third, which has got a slight textured cover variant, um, American-wise. And then we've got the Brit one as well. Bearing in mind that the Star Wars was released about six months later in the UK. So pretty much four out there, but it's just the first and second release, which are far more common. It was Todd Chamberlain, who um, I got mine from, and I was speaking with him about it earlier on uh, online, and he was just telling me about the fact that he got these in a, in a large sale a few years back, and is, they're actually starting to run out with regards to what he's got available. Um, he's had them for a while. Uh, in fact, he thought he had a British version um, but actually, he doesn't. He that one has escaped him accidentally. So, um, so even the British one, which Savory 100's got, unfortunately, Todd doesn't have anymore. So there we go. Yeah, I've got one in my collection, which is which is looking quite nice in the cabinet. Anyone else got one of these? Yeah, Jez, I've got one, and you've just sent a sense of dread because I used to have a really beaten up one, and I like you, I bought one from uh, Todd Chamberlain in the States and replaced it, and now I've got a horrible feeling. What if that beaten up one was a a rare British one? But I think, you know, if anyone goes on online and has a look at what Todd's got for sale, he's always had one of these up on eBay, and they're totally worth getting. I mean, they're not very much, are they? No, not at all. Um, at the moment, we've got them going for 12 yeah, twelve to $18. The, the $18 is the first edition, the smooth, glossy one. The $12 is for the pebble cover. Um, and they're listed as unread warehouse stock with light corner wear and stresses along the binding. But I have to say, the one he sent me was absolutely mint. Mine's boxed up, but I have a feeling it's a British one. I certainly bought it in this country. Yeah, well, I'll have to have a look at some. What a story of Stuart's life, that is. Picking <laughs> stuff out of his garage. <laughs> Where was this program actually given out? Uh, was it just major premieres, or was it was it like premieres around the country? I mean, I mean, it seems like there's quite a few of them, so I'd imagine it was it was in a lot, lot of cinemas. But I, I mean, to be fair, I was only young at the time, but I can never remember having a, a chance of a program or anything. I mean, oh. I, the only thing I remember is different is that always used to be a small feature before the main feature, but um, that's about it, really. It's certainly nothing which I can remember. Um, all of Todd's stuff came direct from George Fenmore Overstock about 12 years ago. George Fenmore operated a number of different companies from the same address in New York, selling mostly movie programs and some other movie memorabilia. And their business model was to sell programs in theatres during the open, original theatrical run and then sell overstock via mail order. And eventually the company went out of business, um, possibly around about 1984. And um, in the early 2000s, that's when the old stock was sold from storage. And I think Todd pretty much bought every copy. Yeah, I'm just thinking that um, I remember going to see the premiere of Attack of the Clones and they gave out a program for that. So I'm wondering, and uh, you know, you can get the Japanese programs. They, there's quite a lot of sort of programs all around the world you can get. So I'm wondering if these are only for premiere events in certain cinemas. I cer- I've certainly seen some uh, Japanese and, s- and some other um, nations ones listed on eBay and the like. Um, but it was just the uh, the American and the Brit one which took my interest initially at this stage. Okay, so there we go. That's something which I think. Uh, Pretty much anyone can get added to their collection. 18 pages of 1977 vintage greatness. And as I said, if you have a look on Pop Toys and and others are available on eBay, you can get yourself one of those. Or if need be, I could probably bring um, some of the guys back in the UK. I'll see if I can look out for some whilst we're in Anaheim. Well, the, uh, the next one, which I thought really worthy of note, 
is uh, Dr. Ball MD has got the old Droid Factory R2-D2. Now, I know earlier on, Rich, you mentioned this, that you had, you had picked one up. First question I've got, do you consider this part of the vintage run? No. Yeah. Not, not as a loose collector, no. If I was putting together a loose run, no, not for me. But I do hey. want a blue snag, so yes. No, no, it's evil. It looks wrong. Um, oh, by the way, does anyone know if his does his leg go into his body at all? Just out of interest. No. Or does it just stay there? Well, the no then, definite no. I absolutely do count it as part of my loose run, along with the Dianoga, the Probot, the Hofwamper. Damn straight. You're ticking them all off for me because I, you know, my thoughts were. It's not part of the original run for me, but then I guess it's no further away than Salicious Crumbs, Sice Noodles, etc. So I'm going to have to get one. Yeah, and that's something which I've been looking for a while. Um, I think they look great. I think we have to establish that just because it's not part of the loose run doesn't mean, in my book, doesn't mean I don't want it. <laughs> I would like to have one because it's quite interesting, but I don't consider it as a loose run figure. But yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it is interesting. It is very interesting. It looks a bit odd, though. It kind of looks a bit too far back, almost. Um, I think what you'll find as well, because obviously these have all come from droid factories, not so much in the UK, but in the States, you can always find bits and pieces of the droid factory. So, you know, these are quite easy to assemble bit by bit. But the issue that you will have is that the sticker comes off pretty easy. And you can also, you got to remember, you can take that leg out, the, the, the central leg, and it'll just stand up like a like a different version of the original R2-D2. But I think it's, yeah, they're great. Rich, now you've just got yourself one of these uh, whilst we were at Father's from. Yes, um, I'm just waiting for it to be delivered because the guy I bought it off was going to assemble one for me for, from three different collections that he had. Now, there's one which sold yesterday, or rather didn't sell, going for 59.99 droid factory with a couple of bits missing but with the r2 so they can't sell these droid factories for want um for love nor money with an r2 for about 60 pound but some people are buying loose r2s for over 70 which just seems a little bit crazy for me at the moment i know that we were looking earlier on at coos on han hoths but i was just looking at is there a difference between the droid factory figures from the kenner and the palatoy and from what i've seen that there's no coos but the Palatoy version has got a wavy line on the first blue block on the sticker just under the dome where the Kenner one is just straight. So when you when you get yours, Rich, just keep an eye out and you'll be able to see if you've got a Palatoy one or a Kenner. With regards to value, I don't, I don't know which they would say is, is worth more. If you look at it from a box point of view, the Palatoy is definitely worth more. So that's definitely something to look out for. Having said everything which we've done about the droid factory itself is definitely one which i now want to add to my collection i have seen some people just cannibalize a a beta r2 rip a uh, a leg off and just shove it up inside a regular r2 which which looks pretty crazy yeah there's a bit more of a variation than that um the blue wavy line is probably the most obvious thing to spot but if you look at the sticker um you don't even really have to study the sticker. You, you can't see quite a few differences. The thickness in the lines is, is different. The, the grey box in particular um, stands out on the Palatine one, the Palatine one more than the Kenner one. But also the legs uh, would assemble the the droid. On the Palatine one, the legs have got holes in them which which push into the body, whereas the other way around on the Kenner, they've got um, these pegs that push into the body of the Kenner. So so they are they are quite different. But I, th- I think this is a fairly recent discovery. For, um, I remember reading something on Rebelscorm. Um, I think it was from Bonsai Trient, who, who started a post on the store's forum um, quite recently. Going back six months ago, where he put on Rebelscorm that, is this a new variation, a new discovery? 
and uh, there's been quite a few photos added to that. Um, so it's, it's amazing that after all this time, new things like this have still been discovered. So that's the four out of the five. The last one which I wanted to talk about is Joe's 8D8 QC card back, his Trilogo card back, which he was given. I know, like uh, most people, I'm sure, the QC with regards to the checking of it just to make sure that it's been you know, quality assured, checked. There are loads of different sticker variations, though, and, and, and what do they mean? Now, having looked at this a little bit more, there are some which are just a QC sticker, which you'll just see. QC, that's it, whacked on. There are some which have actually got it just handwritten on a mock itself. Now, how easy would that be to fake an exchange? And there are, there are others, then, which have got multiple signatures on which are obviously part of the process. Now, this isn't just Kenner. These are the, you know, the foreign ones, the licensees who are signing them off to say, yep, we're sending these to the U.S. to say that, yep, we're happy. You know, every, everything is great. Um, these were generally hoovered up by the collecting pioneers um, early on in the, in a collecting world, and now we're slowly, you know, moving on. They won't be leaving, cer- certainly some of them won't be leaving collections for a while uh, because they do take pride of place You'll see quite a few on Frank's website, on his on his baggy website and his mailers. Um, for me, I don't see the massive, massive appeal. Um, I certainly wouldn't turn one down if, if one came my way, but I just I just can't see it happening soon. I, I, we we've got quite a big premium added to a to a to a card back or to a mark or, or to whatever just because someone has said, "Yeah, this is good enough to go on sale." But the fact that they were on sale anyway, all the stuff which we've got was on sale. To me, that's good enough anyway. I mean, is anyone actively going to be looking for one of these things? Uh, yeah, I, I would love to have a piece uh, quality control sample. I think a lot of the Canon ones as well, you have a sticker on the back with the signatures and you can trace the signatures back to actual former Kenner employees. What's interesting about this one is the you've got this black QC sticker, which we're not 100% whether these are legit or not, but what has happened is these have started popping up in different collections and different card backs every, all around the UK. So, you know, we don't know, I don't think the community actually knows or could sign off that these are actually 100% legit, but they probably are and they probably could be. And even if there was thousands of these taken off the line, the reality of the situation is is there's not going to be that many of them left. And those that are, if you're a focus collector, what's the chance of it being on your figure? So I reckon these are highly, highly desirable. They're not supposed to leave the factory. So there's also an interesting investigation there to say, why did they leave the factory? How did these get onto the market? So, um, yeah, I I think these things are great. And I'm hoping that the one that Lee gives Joe, I hope it does turn out to be a QC sample. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, it certainly looks it. I mean, for a start, you know, Lee gave us to Joe, and you know, and what a what a great, generous thing to do, really. And 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 Joe quite clearly loves it. He's spoken to me whilst I've been looking at this with regards to the QC sample stickers. Some of them are just, as you can see, without any signatures at all. Just happy. Yep, that's it. Quality control, and it's off. And we've said that there are some with several stickers on. The green ones have got. Um, I've, I've seen photographs of the green ones, the green stickers, which have got I think up to six signatures on. You'll see quite a lot of them have got the little blue bar um, along one side or at the bottom. But you can see that these pretty much trade um, trade hands in private. And that's just the thing. That's just the way it is nowadays, I guess, with things like this and, and pre-production. There's something that, that interests me about that, that card as such. I mean, having also worked a bit like Rich in, um, in that sort of process where I know it wasn't uh, you know, toys or anything, but um, it was other mass-produced items. Um, I'm assuming that this, this, was a, this was a made figure then. So... 
I mean, th- this isn't a, a QC on a printed card as such. It's not just a card that was produced and they checked it out before it went to have the figure stuck on it. This is actually um, a finished item, I'd imagine, because the figure was removed by somebody. So I wonder where it went down the line and then was removed. Whether um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised whether um, someone had maybe taken it from a factory and given it to their kid, who had then ripped the, the figure off, off the top, or maybe they ripped the figure off actually in the factory itself just to test whether it actually did come off easily or it did stick on there. I'd be, that's quite an interesting process. I wonder if any of the documentation that came with it actually reports to that, that, that the figure was tested, but I'd imagine then you'd have a different set of circumstances. Yeah, I'd be quite keen to know more, actually, and if, if anyone's got any information on that, then please um, give us a call. I mean, the majority of the stickers are actually too small to have detailed notes written on them. But the, there are some index cards which were stapled to some products. And I can't see, you know, with those index cards, they certainly wouldn't have wanted to go out, you know, on, on the old shop floor and such. And, and I certainly can't. Would I remember that as a kid, seeing a, a QC sticker on the corner of a Trilogue card? No, I doubt it. So I don't think these things were ever intended. A lot of them are just to double-check the production process as well. There are some which I've seen which say with regards to a, I think it was a Hoth Wamper, where they were talking about the the colour on it, saying, yep, this colour needs to be like this, like it was in 1981 on a 1983 sticker. So they just want to make sure that their original sort of run, you know, the, the Cromlin or the Proof, which was event, you know, originally there designing the picture, that still a few years later, that picture hadn't changed or, or the inks and everything were like that. So it's just part of the old run where they just say, yeah, happy with this, uh, and then the run is allowed to continue, or they just maybe change a little bit of ink in, in the printer or what have you. Remember, though, that the QC refers... I mean, the QC refers to the product that they're testing, so they're actually putting that down the line, the figure's getting attached to it. Um, so it's actually for friends to product rather than does the process work, can we actually... Do we need to change the machinery? This is actually... The product is actually... You know, does the figure stick on the card? Does it stay on the card in the bubble? That sort of thing. So I, I, I would imagine this found the hands of a, an employee that that went back home somewhere. I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, guys. So that's um, that's the end of my LA, my my first LA, and it's it's been a bit crazy, really. I've, I set myself a challenge of of looking at five things which I knew nothing about. Um, one could argue that I still know nothing about them, but I, I've given it my best. Um, we, you know, we've looked into them, but as I said, this whole process for me and, and hopefully for, for the podcast guys is, is this is an educational process. So if, if there's anything which people can add to or um, just correct us on, please, you know, I've got a fairly thick skin. Um, give us a shout and, and tell us if, if we're going completely off, off um, the beaten track. But it's been, uh, it's been really cool. Thanks for giving me this opportunity, guys, to have a little look at this sort of stuff. And uh, I'll be keeping a really close eye on the LA thread over the next month to see what else the guys and girls are getting. Thanks very much. Hey guys, the next track that we have has some mild explicit lyrics, so if you have a young Padawan around, I would suggest that you skip five minutes. Cheers! The day you left, you broke my heart, at least that's what you thought. But the only thing you really broke was... 
was the X-Wing I just bought You said we were the perfect fit You said we'd never fight But you couldn't date a guy who watches Star Wars all the time And you also said, I can't commit But we both know that's a lie Cause I've been deep in love with the same three movies Every day since I was five I wanna feed you to the rancor I wanna throw you in the Sarlacc pen You were low on midichlorians But I didn't give a sip You disappeared like Alderaan You're as cold as hot, it's true And now I'm better off Cause Star Wars is better than you Since you left And I don't miss you much But I miss the Blu-ray box set That you swore you'd never touch I used to hope that you'd come back But you'd never find my place Cause I live a long, long time ago In a galaxy far, far away You were low on midichlorians, but I didn't give a sip. You disappeared like Boba Fett, you're as cold as milk is blue. That's why I like Star Wars better than you. a trap, I'm not the droid you're looking for, when I figured out how to use the force, it forced you out that door, but it all made sense when I found your phaser hidden in a drawer, well I hope someday they beam you up, you closet trekkie In Anakin's last young class Your heart's as cold as carbonite And as black as Mace Windu You are Bantha Fodder And Star Wars is better than you I wanna feed you to the Wampa And turn you into frozen shit My new hope is that you get to me Breakup song could make some cash, but Mickey Mouse might sue. Still, I'm better off, cause Star Wars is better. That's why I like Star Wars. You are bad, the fodder, and Star Wars is better than you. We should have had that for Valentine's Day last month. A big thanks to Dave from APG. You can find more of APG's work 
at facebook.com slash apgcleveland or on youtube.com slash apgcleveland. You can also find some of Dave's original solo acoustic work at facebook.com slash shadowburn. We'd really appreciate it if you guys could check out their stuff and give them a like or subscribe. And we'll have some more tracks next month. See you there. Okay, welcome to this month's event section. Uh, we've all just got back from our uh, usual multi-time-of-the-year trip at Farthest From 8. Uh, guys, I'm going to do a quick round table individually, so we can, and then we can have a little discussion at the end. But I want you to uh, to include the number of Farthest Froms you've been to, just to check that no one's actually slipping here. So, uh, Jez, uh, you did uh, a presentation at this month's Farthest From, so could you tell us a little bit about your Luke Skywalker X-Wing presentation? Um, what was the one thing that you really learned from it? Well, Grant, the reason I did the Farthest From presentation is because I've now been to six of six. these Farthest From, and, um, and I've picked up a great deal from them. You know, the presentations which we've been given, you've given two, I think. I think pretty sure Rich has given two as well. Not quite sure about Stu yet or Pete. We'll more of that in a minute. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've been looking at it, and I've been thinking, right, it's time for me now to give something back, and let me see if I can give a presentation to the Fathers From community, which, again, was another challenge to myself. So I just suggested it to Dave Tree. Dave Tree took me up on it. I said, yeah, well, why don't I do a presentation on collecting or beginning to be a focus collector? Obviously, I knew nothing about this, so I then had to call in all the favours from people all over the community, uh, from RS as well as Star Wars Forum UK, to say, right, help me out, you're the specialists here, what information can you give me? And what I learned was, well, it was fantastic, the information coming back from the forums and from all these people who were just falling over themselves to be really, really helpful just blew me away. Anyone in particular, Jez? Well, in particular, a massive shout-out to Mark Carraway, um, a.k.a. the guilty one on, on all of the forums. The information which you know he was just readily given to me, um, I think sent me about... 64 high-res photographs it was fantastic the amount of stuff and the, the tips he was giving me was, was fantastic um, Stefan uh, gave me information on the Meccano stuff was just brilliant and again Gus Lopez I contacted him to say look can I use some of your images of your forum of your website rather uh, you know Gus was really really helpful and said yeah for sure you know crack on everyone within this community you know I said can you help me out I'm trying to learn a little bit more here now and, and pass it on and as I said, I was just blown away. It, it was great. So, so the big thing from my point of view is the whole process for me was just learning more about it and learning what's out there and, um, and just ab- absorbing all this stuff. But as I said, yeah, complete, completely overwhelmed by the generosity of people, but in particular Mark Carraway. I owe that guy several beers. Um, there was another presentation there as well, wasn't there, guys? Uh, Mr. Paddy Toy himself. Jason Swift did one on card backs. Any thoughts on that one? It was very interesting, actually. I thought it was going to be... Um, when, when he said there were 68 slides, uh, I just thought, oh, my God. But actually, it, it was really good. He, it was fun the way he did it. It wasn't just monotonous facts, and he involved the audience quite a lot. So it was a pretty good presentation. And he had the worst line. I don't know if any anybody can remember it. It was something on the lines of, when it comes to card backs, do not bend, do not fold... Bassa stickers equals gold or something like that. That was, his, <laughs> that was his even motto. I mean, that was utter crap. That he needs he needs to stick to his day job if that's his, if that's his strap line. 
Yeah, I thought he did a really good job, actually, and there's no doubt that that guy seriously knows his stuff. Uh, there's obviously a lot of collectibles for sale there. One of the things that stuck out for me personally was uh, Mark Ferris is there again, and I find I love his dealer table because his dealer table is better than my collection. And he had the original Pally Toy poster that we were talking about in episode two. Is there any, any collectibles there that you stood out on the stalls that, that really grabbed your attention, except for Nick Isla White's bag of thousands of weapons? I was quite chuffed that, uh, and I forgot to take my list, that there was actually a couple of people selling Marvel comics, because uh, in the two I've been to before that, there hadn't been anyone really selling comics, so uh, it's nice to see um, a lot more sort of other stuff rather than just carded figures or figures themselves. There was actually, a, I, I felt from what I've seen, that there was a lot of bigger range of, of collectibles, so um, yeah, I picked up a few comics and hopefully made some contacts to get a few more. Yeah, there was a great variety there this time. It wasn't, and it wasn't just the Star Wars stuff as well. Now I know that we were all there for the Star Wars, but it was actually great to see, from my point of view, a few other bits and pieces and a few Transformers bits, which took me back to my childhood. There was a complete different mix. I mean, I I had my eye on a uh, Luke X-wing helix pencil case, which uh, Mark has for sale. But you you looked at you know the coin up and, and Richard. They had a whole variety of, of different proofs and uncut proofs and, and various di- different bits and pieces. So you could quite easily spend um, a pound. There were there were beta figures for a pound. I don't know what the most expensive thing was there. I think it was probably in the region of about fifteen hundred. I don't four know if anyone's four. Was four thousand. Yeah. What was what was the four grand one? It was the it was a big palatoy poster, wasn't it? The one that was on the wall. There's the uh, the. Big poster of the Chewbacca bandolier. That was four figures, but I'm not sure the price on it. But it's definitely four figures. You know, so so for us to to all be together in a let's face it, a relatively smallish town hall, and to have a variety of stuff like that was was just cracking. Well, it's great to see everyone as well, and we've actually, Pete, am I right? We have an interview with a friend of yours, Spanish Dan. <laughs> Is that his new name, Spanish Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Why do we call him Spanish, Dan? Because he's Dan because... and he's from Spain. Ah, that explains it. Jesus! You were there. And in fairness to Grant, I've got him saved that in my phone book, Spanish Dan. <laughs> that's, that is his new name. We can't have his, his name on the forum is Dfran8, I think, but that's, that's silly, so we, we have to get him to change his name. Well, let's check out that interview with Spanish Dan. So um, I'm here with Dan Franco who I should be spending time with in a hotel room in an American city somewhere we don't know where. But anyway, so Dan, you looking forward to uh, going to America then? Oh, definitely. It's going to be my uh, third American celebration. So What? <laughs> yeah, it meets a few, uh, unfortunately, but uh, I'm not missing this one because uh, this one comes with a episode 7 announcement and hopefully a trailer. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be one of the biggest, I think. Now, Dan, you've been at Farthest From with us a lot. Now, you, you've been showing us your pictures, and we've seen a lot of famous people. So, uh, what, how on earth do you get into that? I mean, is, it, is, is that something you've done as an early career, or are you, are you, didn't you run a magazine or something? Yeah, I used to run a magazine. I used to be the editor-in-chief of a magazine in Spain called Maverick, and uh, because of that, uh, my job was pretty much going to see films, all day long and interview all the celebrities, directors, actors, producers, etc. So yeah, and getting paid for that. 
getting paid to do that. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. <laughs> so you, you, you're also a bit, of a, a bit of a mini collector. You've got a collection somewhere at home, back in Spain. Can you tell us about what's in your collection? Do you have any sort of focus? Uh, no focus at all. I think it's a little bit of everything. Uh, well, I have a lot of uh, books and sticker books and everything printed, something like that, uh, cards, you know, the top ones, uh, this kind of stuff. Also, I collect loose vintage and uh, modern, but uh, I like to consider myself a fan before a collector. So I do collect because I love the films, but uh, uh, I always go for a Darth Vader over a Blue Snaggletooth so far. I hope I don't lose that for the, for the moment, but uh, I think hanging around with you guys may change that, I think. <laughs> I think really you need to speak to Grant because he's the one that persuades you to buy stuff. As though, now, you've been at Farthest From, it's your first time here. What, what have you made of this small but perfectly sized event? Uh, a couple of uh, good talks. I'm learning a lot. I'm, I'm starting to consider today, this morning, uh, maybe starting over my vintage collection. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah, I know, but I'm so jealous because every, everybody has a, such an amazing pieces and I have nothing in, in this country. So I'm considering, I just uh, talked to Nick a few, a few, a while ago, and he was making a budget for me about how, how much should I spend to, to have at least one set complete set of loose uh, vintage and i'm considering i don't know i i may start a celebration <laughs> it's so all your fault. what was your budget just out of interest for a whole loose collection uh well nick told me roughly around 1200 something like that which uh, i may i may need to sell my motorbike or something <laughs> yeah i think i think that's fair same motorbike maybe you know sell the wife some of that Oh my, oh my. <laughs> the thing is, I, I don't, I'm not only in, in love with Star Wars, I like some other stuff. Uh, so, and, and now in London, my, my flat is it's tiny. So, I, I need to think about that as well. But uh, I, hopefully, I will be moving by the end of this year to a bigger place, and it's going to be my, my, my perdition. I don't know. You can always go micro collection, it's quite small. And it's vintage. No, 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 no. Uh, actually, I'm going the other way around because I'm in love with the, this Hot Toys collection now. Oh, yeah. I think they are brilliant. And, uh, well, uh, Boba Fett, uh, Chewbacca, Han Solo, uh, the new Obi-Wan is coming up, the Alec Guinness version. Oh, my God. And they are big, very big. But uh, still, I'm going for them, I think. I think you should go vintage instead. So this this uh, magazine you, you did in Spain, what was that? What, what did that cover? It was mainly film, all film related, especially blockbusters and stuff. And also we had sections about TV, video games, merchandise as well. And yeah, it, it was very, very nice. Uh, it came to me after collaborating with the Spanish Insider, Star Wars Insider. Okay. So uh, yeah. And, uh, and that actually got you to meet quite a lot of famous people. And it, didn't you meet J.J. Um, Abrams at some stage? I did uh, twice actually for uh, the movie Star Trek, the first one. He came to Spain to show a little bit of the footage like 10 months before the release of the film and I got to meet him and then he came the, the week it, the movie was released in Spain and I got to interview him as well as Soy Saldana and the rest of the, you know, Chris Pine, 
Eric Bana, all the cast. And it was a nice experience. And, I, and that, that day I played a little bit of Visionaire because I told him that he would be an amazing director for the live-action TV show of Star Wars. And he said to me that uh, it would never happen because he was attached to Star Trek. So if I if I get the chance to talk to him uh, a couple of minutes in Anaheim, I'm going to remind him. <laughs> you do know if the film's bad, it's your fault. If it's good, it's also your fault. So you can claim it either way. <laughs> uh, is, am I that important to be my fault? Yes. Oh my God. You are. I'm sorry, but you are. It's all your fault. We've got to pin it on you. It's the only person we know connected. So it's your fault if it all goes wrong. Uh, if it's my fault, uh, I should get paid for that. <laughs> You know. <laughs> so as as far this from goes, and you're, yeah. you're, you're but now it, the power of the event has almost got you thinking about reinvesting into vintage. Yeah, I mean, it, it, would you come to this sort of event again? Is it your sort of thing? I mean, what's your, what what's what's your sort of thoughts on the whole Father's from experience? Uh, I think it's very cozy and nice uh, and uh, small in a way, but uh, I think there's uh, room for improvement. I I I put out uh, some events myself uh, in Spain like I, I don't know if you heard about the Star Wars conference in Sitges 2004 we had David Prose there we have uh, Steve Sands with uh, Jeremy Bullock some other stuff and I was thinking when I was hearing the talking the talks and everything I was thinking what would I do to improve this kind of show and I was coming with a lot of ideas but uh, yeah it, it gave me the back to start collecting again especially vintage and also uh, as a part of the, the the fun yesterday night was really fun uh, at the curry restaurant and the pub and everything nothing bad happened honestly listeners yeah nothing nothing bad happened exactly everything was perfect <laughs> So, boys, Anaheim, uh, podcast stage, what do you boys now have planned? A big party, stew in America. That's what we're going up to. More about the podcast stage. <laughs> oh, <laughs> OK. Well, what, uh, strip bars, no? What we can announce is that we've managed to have a great chat with our friends at GW Acrylic, and they are going to give us a bunch of acrylic loose displays to give away, well, a limited number, but to people who come to see us on the podcast stage, they should be able to pick up a GW Acrylic display, which I think will be awesome. It's probably three and three quarter inch loose figures, that. What else have we got planned, Pete? Well, we're going to try and follow the kind of the format of our show. Uh, we're going to cover what we've seen over the previous days, because our, our, we're actually on on Sunday, which is the last day of the convention, between 12 and 1 o'clock. Um, so it's free to get in. Just come along and uh, and take a seat and watch us idiots on stage. Um, so as many people who have come in as possible, please, 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 please turn up. Um, but we'll we'll cover um, stuff we've bought, stuff we've seen. And hopefully talk about the people we've actually met as well, because obviously we're, we're going to try and bump into as many people as we can and get information from them, uh, find out what, what they've been collecting, and maybe hold a few little little mini interviews as well. Yeah, we'll definitely should do a few little interviews. I'm sure this hour will fly by. Uh, we're also setting up the equipment as well, so we'll be able to record this live and hopefully have this in our next podcast. I should also say as well that Sublevel Studios has been kind enough. I mean, his art is absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, he won't be, even though he was selected to come to Celebration Anaheim, he's not going to be able to make it this time, but he's going to give us some proofs, and he's actually signed them as well, so we'll be able to give away some of his fantastic art. So... If, you know, for any other reason, we can bribe you to turn up and you can pick up your stuff and we, we, we won't hold it against you if you cheese it after that. 
Okay, guys, the uh, rundown for the next series of events that are coming up that are going to make us march towards Celebration Anaheim. First of all, March 19th, Sci-Fi Weekend in Pathwelly in North Wales. March 21st to 22nd, Cardiff Film and Comic Con. March 28th to 29th, Sci-Fi Southwest in Towbridge. March 28th to 29th, Newcastle Film and Comic Con. April 4th, there's Yorkshire Cosplay Con in Rotherham. April 4th to 5th, First Contact Day Weekend in the Space Centre in Leicester. April 15th, Stoke-on-Trent in Staffordshire University. April 26th, Wales Comic Con in Glindu University. May 2nd, The Stars of Time at Western Supermare. May the 4th, Star Wars Family Fun Day in Burnley. May 30th, we have Mersey Comic Con in Liverpool and also Granite City Comic Con in Aberdeen. May 30th to 31st, Manchester Film and Comic Con. May 30th, Mersey Comic Con in Liverpool. And finally, April 16th to 19th, Celebration Anaheim in California, USA. And lads, are any of you going to any of these conventions? Yeah, I'll be at the Newcastle Comic Con on March the 28th and 29th. So if anybody sees us there, come over and say hi. I should be dead easy to spot because I'll either be in a wheelchair or I'll be in crutches because I will be partway through my um, ankle surgery. So Yeah, I'll be at uh, Cardiff Film and Comic Con as well. So uh, give us a shout if you see us and uh, we'll have a catch-up, which would be great to see you. Also, we'll be at Star Wars Family Fun Day in Burnley as well. Really looking forward to that event. And hopefully we'll have an interview with one of the organisers next month. So obviously, everyone appearing somewhere or other so if anyone sees any of the boys come and say hi and uh, come and have a chat and if they've got their mics on them they might just grab you for five minutes Right, now over to Rich for this month's Boom Story. This month's Boom Story is coming from a photograph that was doing the rounds on Facebook, and it was a a Liddy Leddy Repro Weapons Hall. I'm calling in some extra assistance on this one, so I'm going to have an interview with Paul Ford, which you may know better as... R2 Detour over on TIG. This month's boom story was originally scheduled for February's episode, but in order to do the story justice, we felt as though none of us were in the position to give all of the facts. So we reached out to TIG, and I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Ford, TIG Forums. So a big hello to Paul, and thank you for joining me tonight. Hey, hi Rich, how's, how's it going, you okay? Yes, I'm absolutely fine. So before we start discussing our boom story, would you like to give our listeners an overview of TIG, uh, where to find it, what its purpose is, and what would our listeners find if they visited the site? Yeah, yeah, TIG, is, um, TIG, TIG was formed in 2009 as a resource for vintage Star Wars collectors, collectors of action figures and accessories, just to identify and initially repro accessories and weapons, and also to identify originals. Uh, it's kind of expanded over the years to include uh, things like accessories for play sets, um, vehicles. You can find you can find TIG at online at uh, imperialgunnery.com. Okay, if any visitors came over to TIG, they would find uh, a pretty good breakdown of all the weapons and accessories that are issued with vintage Star Wars figures. For example, uh, Imperial Blasters, Rebel Blasters. Uh, this will then go on to uh, 
rifles and all the way through the range, uh, like cloth capes, vinyl capes. And in each section, it would be a breakdown of what, what variants are available uh, that we know so far. And also underneath these, the, the reproduction versions of them. And we just try and uh, give pictures with, with anything that we can identify and as much information as possible about these. Excellent. So do you cover all of the vintage lines, such as the 12-inch figures and all of the foreign licenses as well? Yeah, we, we initially try and cover all the Kenner accessories. Um, we have got a small section for the 12-inch, and we try and add in as many foreign variants as possible uh, whenever they come up. Yeah, we, we, we try and cover as much as we can, basically, and uh, we rely on collectors from all around the world to supply us with information and photos. So I think what you're alluding to there is TIG really is a big community. Um, so how do you f fit into this huge community, Paul? Are you a moderator or are you a developer on TIG? Um, my actual role is just as editor. Um, I'm responsible for the majority of the content that's uploaded onto there, as in writing the information, uploading the pictures, um, the layouts. There's, there's some of the other guys as well help out with uh, like the graphic design elements. I also have supplied fair few photos myself of items that I have in my own collection. So really, I'm kind of like uh, just editing. That's, that's, that's my role within Imperial Gunnery. Great, sounds interesting. Our boom story this month is about the large cache of recently discovered Rep War Liddy Lady weapons um, that were outed earlier this year. I think it was outed around about January time. I've got some general questions about those, if you don't mind answering those tonight. Yeah, yeah, go for it, Red. Okay. When were these weapons discovered? Okay, they were discovered um, around about November 2014, so they're still still quite relatively new. And they were first found on uh, eBay Mexico. Now, it was uh, one of our TIG team members, Ozio, who's actually based in Mexico. He discovered them initially. And not only was he able to order a few sets quickly, he was also able to meet up with the guy that was making these. Um, the seller originally wanted to market these reproductions to uh, collectors that didn't really have much money to spend or weren't particularly interested in having original accessories in the collection. Ozio, who met the, the seller, I think two, maybe three times, he tried to convince the seller to mark them up as repros, uh, you know, perhaps to put a little stamp on them somewhere. First, the seller was interested in this concept because he was stating that he didn't want to see anybody scammed further down the line. But unfortunately, uh, this doesn't seem to be the case because these repos are continuing to be sold on eBay and, and also Facebook as well. And some of them have been advertised as, uh, as real. So really, sadly, it looks like the seller has uh, gone over to the dark side and set up camp and decided to stay. How long do you think that these have been in circulation? We, we'd say since, since November. That was when Ozio first uh, discovered these. So, yeah, a relatively short time, really. Should we be worried about these weapons? Are, are they close to the originals or are they quite far away from them, so like some of the earlier weapons? Yeah, some, some are, are laughable, really, because there are all sorts of odd colours and uh, odd shapes. But there are quite a few in there that, yeah, they're a bit scary, really. They're a lot close to some of the originals. And I think, again, as you know, if, um, on an auction site, if you, if you pop a few of these in on a photo, it's going to trick people, unless you're asking for close-up pictures and more information. 
Are these a, a full range of leddy weapons, or, or are there only certain types? It seems to cover most of the, the range. I'm, I'm not a, a leddy expert myself, but mm. from what I know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot that this guy's made. Ouch. That cover things from, from like the blasters mm -hmm. up to uh, spears, uh, force pipes, belts, uh, Yoda snake, for example. Um, and not only that, the, the guy also wanted uh, to make some, some of the cloth capes. So we saw a couple of photos of these, and uh, they're not very good, to be honest. But it's worth pointing out this this guy, he's, he seems very new at the game, and he, he said to Ozio that um, he wanted to perfect his designs, he wanted to make them much better, much more realistic. And I think, you know, for things like some of the cloth capes, like Jawa, removable hood, yeah. uh, squid, squid head, and uh, what's the other one? There's another, the big fortune. Yeah, the big yeah, yeah, big fortune. That's right. Yeah, I think some of these command big prices. Yeah, that's that's just for the, the cloth cape. So, so yeah, these, it's a bit scary. Some of these. Yeah, it certainly is. I'm just you know a bit relieved that some of them are so bad. What are the telltale signs that these weapons are not legitimate? Yeah, the the telltale signs uh, they're made from very flexible resin. Um, at first, they're, they're they're so flexible that you can bend a lot of them over into all kinds of shapes. For example, uh, some of the Ewok spears, you can actually bend them into a full circle. Wow. Uh, overall, they're quite a poor shape, and some of them might have some air bubbles present in the mould. In hands, they're mostly easy to tell that they're fake, but as we said earlier, there's, there's a fair few that are quite close to the original. You might also find with, with some of them, especially when they're new, that there's a strong plasticky smell to them. Um, now, the good news is that OCO did uh, the float test, I'm sure a lot of people know about the float test. And the good news is they all sink like bricks. So that's, yeah, yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably uh, one of the greatest towels at the moment. Yeah. For the drop test, they sound exactly like the original, so that's not such a great uh, towel. Now, just going back to the, the flexibility of these, at first, when they're new, they're, they're very, very flexible. But what we noticed was after, just after a couple of days really, they began to, uh, to harden, to become more rigid. Mm -hmm. And uh, after these first few days, they started to resemble the originals, you know, the, the same sort of behavior. Yeah. And then after, after a couple of weeks, they became so rigid um, that they started to break. They just, uh, just literally broke into pieces. So we've uh, decided to call these the best before repros. Because it seems like they have uh, an expiry date. It's about an expiry date of a, of a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just about a couple of weeks. Uh, for example, the um, the Yoda figure, if you try and attach his, uh, his belt or his snake after a couple of weeks, it'll, it'll just snap into pieces. When, mm. you, when, you first, when, they're, when they're new and you first attach these, uh, they're attached just like a normal accessories for Yoda. Yeah. But um, after a couple of weeks, no, they've had it. it. It's worth pointing out, it's not all of the accessories that do this. It's just some of them. What we've noticed so far. Got a question about repo items in general for, for Letty figures. Now, as we know, these, these figures were made and released in, in quite limited quantities in Mexico. Is there really a demand for these items such that it's worth going to the bother of making repo items? I think so, yeah. I think um, the Letty figures have managed to stay popular for a good few years now. I think some of the accessories, some of the figures, they do command high prices. Also, I think there's uh, people who are interested in loose figures will often have a few of the leggy figures in the collection, if not uh, aspirations for a full run. It also appeals to focus collectors as well, who just like to have an example of one of the, the leggy figures in the collection. And also there, there seems to be a lot of interest in um, 
the lady card bikes as well. That's, that's very, very popular and has been for a few years. Do you th- can you pinpoint why these lady items are so appealing? Because I think the outside of the Kenner and the Palatoy, they're the, probably the next most um, sought-after products. Yeah, it might be just because they're so uh, unique, really. You know, they tend to come in a slightly different moulds. You know, there could be some uh, little variations with them. Uh, a lot of them will have numbers or letters stamped on them. Also, a lot of them seem to be a bit darker as well. So yeah. certainly with the accessories, a lot of differences, and, and in, indeed the figures as well. Yeah. So does d- every Leddy figure come with its own Leddy weapon? Do, do none of them use the Kenner ones? Yeah, I think they're all, for, for my knowledge, uh, very unique to the figure. Yeah. And again, it'll be down to you know, different colours, different little variations. Quite often when we mention on a podcast or on the forum that um, we've discovered a, a repo item, we get a lot of people claiming that because these were made in Mexico and the quality control wouldn't have been as high, how can you be sure that some of these items are repo? Now, obviously, you've said that Ozio has met the guy who's made this recent batch, but you've identified, I don't know, possibly thousands of different repo weapons. So how, how can you be sure, sure that these are repo? Yeah, with, with the with the guy for these, the weapons in question, that was... Uh that's quite unique because the guy was very open about what he was doing. He, he said he wanted to aim for the marketers, collectors that didn't want to spend money and weren't particularly interested in original accessories. So, so he was very upfront about it. I say that initially he was he was very keen to to look at ways in which he could mark them as a reproduction. I think we relied mainly on collectors. Of lady people have been collecting for a number of years. They've got a very good eye. They know what's uh, what's genuine, and it's it, it's just being aware of uh, who's selling what through eBay and probably more recently Facebook. So my last question for you: If a listener at the podcast discovers either a repo weapon or a weapon which doesn't match any of the images on TIG, what should they do? Contact imperialgunnery.com. There's a, there's a contact section on there where you can email the, the team. Also, you can go to the TIG forum. And um, there's a section on there, content and uh, reference library. So you can uh, just make a post on there and put some pictures up, ask any questions. Um, but yeah, if you don't see anything on, on the website, yeah, just, just contact someone from the team and we'll look into it. We're pretty good at responding in a timely fashion and getting back to people. So, you know, you never know if you find something we haven't got, it could end up uh, going up on the site eventually. Excellent, Paul. Thanks for a great interview. All of us, the podcast team, will heartily recommend every listener signs up to the TIG forum and certainly checks the TIG website out to help identify repos and protect our hobby. Now, we're particularly looking forward to the release of the app that we discussed last month. Do you have any idea of a likely release date for this app? Will we expect it sometime later this year? It's, it's kind of on hold. At the minute, we're just looking to uh, kind of overhaul the site with new pictures. Um, so, no, I can't really say anything about the app at the moment. Uh, it was something I wasn't involved in personally. Mm-hmm. So I was aware of it, but I think at the moment it's just going to be put on the back burner for a while. It's, right. From what I know, I think we'd still like to do something like this. So uh, we shall just have to see is all I can say at the moment, Rich. Yeah, brilliant. So it's so your big push at the moment is to upload lots of new images to go on, on the website, yeah? Yeah, we've had a big push for new, new pictures and we've had a really good response. It's been good as well because... Because during this, we've discovered around about 10, 14 new variants of uh, weapons and accessories to sub-variants. So it's, it's actually been good. It's made us uh, find some new stuff to add as well. Brilliant. That we didn't previously know about. So that's all good. We've also uh, repaired some of the older pictures as well that weren't weren't perhaps the greatest quality. Yeah. Some of mine included as well. So no, it's, it's been good. It's been nice to give the site a, an overhaul. 
And, and finally, one last push for take. What was the website again? ImperialGunnery.com. Okay, thanks, Paul, for a great interview. Hey, thanks a lot, Rich. That's great. Oh, Cheers. No problem. Brilliant. And I'm sure we'll have more TIG stuff on in the near future. Okay, so once again, thanks very much, Paul, for that great interview. So, guys, these repro items don't seem to be too much of a concern at the moment because of their poor quality, although it is frightening that the guy won't mark these as repro. So a little light at the end of the tunnel. Anybody got anything to say about these items? Yeah, what concerns me with some some of the foreign weapons or some of the more rarer kind of odd variations on the weapons, as soon as people work out that you can actually sell these for more than, say, your standard cannon blaster, you're going to see a lot more reproductions of these. And especially towards, like we covered a, a few months ago, with the Bib Fortuna capes, those becoming reproduction. In the interview, they discuss about the Jawa hood becoming like a reproduction. And it's just starting to turn into a bit of a minefield, to be honest with you. I'd love to start a Lily Letty collection, but just listening to that made me really anxious about the idea of buying loose figures again. Yeah, for these items, which we don't typically see, I mean, as Paul said, the drop test works on these absolutely fine. Um, how long will it be before the floor test works? Then we are going to be buying items and comparing them against images on the internet, which isn't always ideal. It's going to come to a point where we're going to need somebody to distribute these weapons. Maybe it you're buying, you know, a huge group of, of, of weapons to pass on to others, because I'm with you, I'm, I'm scared of buying these weapons now. Yeah, I've noticed as well with some of the, say, for example, some of the Lily Letty weapons as well, you're not talking, you know, four or five pound a weapon, you're talking, you know, a lot of money per weapon. I, that, that to me is a major concern. But thankfully we've got guys like Ozio out there who are, you know, doing the best for the community. Uh, and once again, big shout out to him and keep it going, buddy. <laughs> month's oddball section. After looking at autograph preservation and display with Frank's autographs last month, this month we will continue our march to Star Wars Celebration Anaheim by looking behind the scenes of the autograph track with Squidhead himself, Gerald Holm. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Gerald. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic having you on. You are our first Star Wars celebrity to be actually on the podcast. Oh, well, I really am. Well, I'm doubly honoured, and thank you. So what we're going to do tonight, my section of the podcast, we concentrate on sort of like the collecting aspects of Star Wars. And um, as we move up to Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim, I'm basically doing a bit of research on autograph and autograph collecting. So we thought this would be a brilliant time to have someone like yourself on to describe a sort of behind the scenes on the autograph track and what sort of the other side of, of you know, the autograph table. Okay. And then hopefully we'll pass you on then, because uh, I know that Leo's questions are far more exciting and far more interesting than mine. <laughs> Probably fresher. <laughs> a younger brain is always fresher than ours. <laughs> okay, uh, Joe, my first question is, post-Return of the Jedi, when did you first get involved with the autograph circuit, or were you already a part of it? Good grief, no, it took me a long time to get involved. In fact, I can remember distinctly, it was 2003, and it was because of the internet, you know, my details started to be on the internet, because my agent, my acting agent, I'm still an actor, her address was on the internet, so people started to write to me through my agent. Now, this is before I had a website or anything like that. 
And I started getting these letters. Sometimes there were photos enclosed. People would say, please sign them. And I was amazed, and I just sent it back, signed them, and sent it back. And then someone called Graham Miles, actually, you might know him. He's very big in the autograph circuit. Uh, he, he's very good at tracking down people who have never signed before. And he's very good at identifying people in photographs whose names aren't yet known. And I actually helped him with that, but we can talk about that later. Uh, and he wrote to me and said, Can I, I've got a friend coming over from New York uh, with some photographs for you to sign, and we'll pay you. I thought, what? You get paid for this? <laughs> and uh, so I said, yeah, come to my home. So they came to my home one day, and he said, uh, would you like to do a convention? And I said, what on earth is a convention? I swear that's true. I had no idea what a convention was. And he said, well, you get lots of, say, Star Wars people, or it might be sci-fi people, and they all go to this convention where Star Wars fans meet, and you sign autographs. And I said, well, I've got no photographs or anything to sign. And he said, well, the place I've got in mind for you, where a lot of people sign for the first time, it was called JediCon in Essex, uh, somewhere in Essex. I forget exactly where in Essex. I run by a guy called Paul Miley, who I think is back doing shows these days. And he gave lots of Star Wars actors their first signing experience. And he printed one photograph. He printed Squidhead. I didn't even know then, this was in 2003, that Squidhead was now called Tessic. And that there were action figures. This guy, this fan, Graham Miles, who came to me the first time, he told me all this. Uh, I didn't know there was a Mon Calamari action figure till then. He told me about that. So when I did that first signing, I said, but well, why didn't you get any Mon Calamari photographs for me to sign? And they said, we didn't know you played one. So do you see, there was lots of stuff people didn't know. Lots and lots of stuff. Uh, so was this quite a surprise to you, uh, Gerald, that Star Wars was still, you know, a serious part of pop culture in the mainstream? Well, it was a huge surprise because, you know, for many, many years I, I had hardly even spoken about it. You know, I, I can remember it was on my CV and I would go to auditions and stuff and nobody ever mentioned Star Wars. You know, never. These days, everywhere I go, people talk about Star Wars. You know, I go to the doctor or I go for a test at the hospital or something and it's on my notes, Star Wars actor. And, you know, so I carry little photographs with me these days which I didn't do 10 years ago, 20 years ago, because everybody seems to know somebody who's either a fan or the son is a fan, like young Leo there, he's a fan. Yeah. Uh, or they've got a brother who's a fan or, or they've got a sister who's a fan. So, yes, I, I was very, very surprised, and I'm doubly surprised now because it's still growing. It's still expanding. But I was going to say, you know, at that first event that I did in JediCon in 2003, I got a phone call from a guy in America, and he said, would you like to come to a convention in May? I said, where? And he said, Detroit. And I said, but, 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 but I don't know anything. What, what, what do I do? And he said, we arrange everything. We pay for everything. I said, I've got no photographs. And he said, well, I'll tell you who to contact at Lucasfilm to get the photographs. And he mentioned Steve Sansweet, wow. who I'd never heard of before. Now, of course, he's a legend, Steve Sansweet. He's become a close personal friend. Anyway, I rang Steve, said who I was, I faxed him my contract and my call sheets and some script I had as a Mon Calamari officer just to prove I was who I said I was. And he put uh, six images for me, uh, Mon Calamari and Tessic Squidhead. And you know, that's what I've been using ever since. And they're what I had printed for my first event in America. So that's how it all started. Wow. Is this something, you know, when you get a job uh, as an actor, 
uh-huh. you have your own agent. Is, does that work the same on the autograph track? That you know people contact your agent, or do they come straight to you? Now that's a very interesting question. It varies. Uh, the big stars like uh, Ray Park, uh, he always works with the same agent. Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, sometimes they work with one of two agents, as they're not exclusive to one. Uh, some people are exclusive to one appearance agent. They're not agents like acting agents. They're more appearance agents. I'm on the books of several appearance agents. Sometimes I get a gig from them, but mostly they come from people I know, and mostly the invitations come from some fan I've met. You know, and they say, well, would you like to come? This is what happened when... I got a letter from Poland, and some Polish fans said, I'm coming to London, could we meet? So I said, of course, I'll come, come and I'll show you where I worked in London, and, you know, recording studios with the Rolling Stones recorded, things like that. And at the end of the day I spent with these Poles, they said, we're going to get, get you to Poland. They'd never had a, an actor to Poland before that. And uh, sure enough, they did. So I was the first Star Wars actor to go to a, a convention in Poland. Many more have been since, but that's how I get a lot of invitations, through fans. Wow, that's amazing. Um, Are you ever uh, limited to the conventions that you go to? For example, if you are purchased by one convention, does that mean you can't go to another, or are there limitations in in any way? Very often that does happen. You're not always contracted. It depends on the size of the convention you go to. You don't always have a contract. Very often it's just trust and word of mouth. You always have a verbal agreement you know, uh, what you're going to do in return for whatever you get. Sometimes you get, uh, as well as your expenses paid, that's travel, hotel, and meals. Sometimes you get a little fee. Uh, sometimes you get a guarantee. That means they guarantee, because, you know, don't forget, if I go away from home for, to America, say, for five days, that's ruling me out of work for two weeks. Yeah. If I leave, leave home on a Thursday, get back on a Tuesday, I have to tell my agent I'm not available for work for two weeks. Yeah. Right? So, so you've got to have some guarantee that you will come home with a certain amount of money. And if you don't get that amount of money, then the organizer makes it up. Right. But, but uh, I've, always, I've always made the guarantee. But uh, I don't think I've answered your question, have I? Uh, yes. Very often, if it's a big event, there's a clause in the contract. You're not allowed to appear... Uh, within 100 miles or 200 miles or 500 miles for a month beforehand and a month after ha- afterwards or three months beforehand and three months afterwards, which I think is fair enough. Yeah, uh, absolutely. One thing I have noticed, not with yourself, but I have noticed with uh, some of the guests that they have at conventions is that their price fluctuates. Is that because the organizer sets the price or is it up to the client to set the price? Another very interesting question, Grant, and this is changing as I speak. This is changing. It's a mixture of lots of things. Uh, I can remember I went to a, a convention a couple of years ago in Belgium, and all the signers, all the ones who are sort of equal to each other, you know, there's a huge big star like William Shatner or something. He's going to charge more than everybody else. Yeah. You, you understand that. Yeah. But, but all the people, of all, all, all the guests such as myself who are on the same level, we agreed on a certain fee, uh, price, and one person was adamant it should be more. And, you know, we just dug our heels in and said, no, 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 this is enough. So eventually they came down. <laughs> Grudgingly, they came down. You know, it was five euros difference. So we were all the same price. But sometimes you go to an event and one person charges one price, the person next to them is another price. Uh, 
I, I tend to be the cheapest, <laughs> the cheapest signer. I, I think most, a lot of people are charging way, way, way too much. I mean, you were at Celebration Europe, weren't you? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, where we met, and some people there, the prices they were charging, I just thought were ridiculous. Especially now, the, the new thing that is happening, I don't know if you're going to ask me about this, but uh, I was in Rhode Island last November, you know, Rhode Island in America. Yeah. Uh, 17,000 people were expected, about 40,000 turned up. It was gigantic. Uh, one guy came from California. I asked him, why? Why come from the other side of America? Just, just a, to meet little me, and he said, well, because you're a vintage guy. Huh. He said, I, I'd go anywhere to meet you vintage guys, and you hardly ever come to America. Isn't that incredible? And I said, but you've got people here from the prequels. Not interested. I just want to see the vintage guys. <laughs> Which is very nice, but I mean, uh, each to his own, I suppose. Lots of people like the prequel people. I was wondering why nobody was asked to be photographed with me. Well, you see, the 12 years that I've been doing conventions, well, 13 years now, no, 12, uh, that's what happens. People get a get an autograph, they, uh, a signed photograph, and very often, more often than not, they say, can we get a photograph with you? And I say, sure, and they come and we get photographs together. But this wasn't happening in Rhode Island. And eventually somebody said to me, are you charging your photographs? And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, if I get my photograph taken with you, do you charge me for it? I said, of course not, no. Uh, that, I said, that's only with the big stars like Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill. Uh, do you remember at uh, Celebration Europe, they yeah. had photograph sessions, and they charged a lot of money to be photographed with them. I said, but the rest of us don't charge. And they said, but you do. Well, I said, well, this is news to me. I've never heard of such a thing. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but this is a new development. And sure enough, I found out later, the person to my left who was signing autographs, the person to my right, they had little notes on the table saying, this is how much it will cost to get wow. the photograph taken with me. And I sort of refused to do that. But then the problem is, Grant, if you refuse to do it, it makes everybody else look bad. Yeah. Well, so I was to, I met up with uh, uh, Jeremy and Maureen Bullock uh, in November, uh, and I was saying to them, you know, are you aware of this new development? And they said, yes, we hate it. We hate it. We're not, we're not going to do it either. But you can't not do it because it makes everybody else look bad. So what Maureen does, she has a, a jar on the table. And if somebody wants to be photographed with Jeremy, she said, pop something in the jar. It doesn't matter whether it's 50 pence or a pound or 20 pence, anything, whatever you want. And she gives that to Great Ormond Street Hospital here in London, which is a children's hospital. They were treating one of their grand, the bill of grandchildren there, and so therefore they were raising as much funds as possible for the hospital. And she said after a few conventions, she counted what was in the jar, and it was like 800 pounds. Wow. Which she took straight to Great Ormond Street Hospital, you know, for their fundraising. So I think, I don't do that many because I'm still working at as an actor, I don't do that many conventions this year, but I think I'm possibly going to do that in future. You know, I'll get I'll get a something from Guide Dogs for the Blind or something, and I mean this is if I'm with other people who are charging to be photographed, and I'll say you know pop a dollar or a pound or something in that, yeah. just so that the people around me don't say, "Joe, you're making us look bad." 
Yeah, I, I think it's a very sad development of the of the convention circuit, of the autograph circuit. Gerald, I notice on the autograph track, a lot of the same faces turn up. I see Femi Taylor a lot, I see Pam Rose, I see Tim Rose, Jeremy Bullock, Dave Prowess, Kenny Baker, a lot of the same faces. Uh, uh, once you've come back to Star Wars in 2003, mm -hmm. And you're back on the autograph track. Was it nice, first of all, to meet old friends? And, and do you keep communicating with each other and working out which events to go to together? Well, one of my best friends since 1978, one of the first things I ever auditioned for was a BBC children's TV series. And I met a girl called, there called, she's now a lady, uh, at my age, uh, Ailsa Burke. Right. And I don't know if the name means anything to you, does it, Ailsa Burke? No, it doesn't, sorry. Okay, well, she's credited like myself. I don't know if you know where I am in the credits of Return of the Jedi. Right at the end, under Ewoks, there's a group of mime artists. Right. And there's, there's nine of us. And Ailsa Burke was one. She played a man a man. Tim Dry, Sean Crawford, yep. uh, myself. There are nine of us, Paul Springer. We were hired to be featured in the scenes with Jabba. Right. We were supposed to be heavily featured. That's why we had the same contracts as the actors. As it turned out, we rehearsed bits with Jabba before filming, but once they brought everybody else on the set, you know, all the extras and the crew and the lighting people and stuff, we sort of got lost, which is why we aren't featured more than you would think we are. However, uh, many of us will play creatures in Jabba's palace, plus Mon Calabaris. Yeah. And I think four of us, uh, myself, Sean, Tim, Paul Springer, five of us, went on to play Mon Calamari. So I knew Ailsa Burke before I filmed Return of the Jedi. Ailsa, by the way, in recent years, she's been doing a lot of choreography, including Doctor Who. Wow. Yeah, so she's still around and, and working. Jeremy, funnily enough, I can remember Ailsa, Jeremy, and myself chatting a few times on the Return of the Jedi set, Revenge of the Jedi, as it was then. And funnily enough, I used to meet Jeremy at auditions. Two or three auditions we would meet up. So I saw him. Tim Rose was a friend of Ailes's. So I used to see Tim Rose uh, before coming back to, to Star Wars in 2003. But yeah, that, that first year I did, I think, four conventions. The one in Essex, then in May in America. And then towards the end of the year I did one in France and one in Belgium from an via an appearance agent. But the second year grant... I did like 20. Uh -huh. And every second weekend, I was going to a different continent usually, you know? And it was just too much. It just took over my life. And I don't know how Jeremy Bullock does it every week. He's in a different yeah. planet every week. Uh, I couldn't do it. I could not do it. And my acting agent said, listen, you've got to come to a decision. Are you going to give yourself totally to conventions? If so, fine but then you can't do acting work. Or do you want to come to some sort of an agreement, you know, where you're going to do four or six conventions a year? You know, because, and she said, and I said, well, I'll give them up. I won't do any. And she said, well, you should. You know, you see the world, you earn, you earn some money. Uh, I love meeting the fans. I just adore meeting the fans. So we came to an agreement I would do between four and six a year. And that's the way it's been since about 2005. I tend to do between four and six a year. Do you find that you know, any of your friends, are they reluctant to do the autograph circuit? Yes, there are some. There are some people who do a lot of signing. Just a couple of people do a lot of signing. They don't want to. They do them because they have to, really, because they're not getting acting work. There are a couple who just 
don't like talking about it. And I totally understand that. Yeah. Totally understand that. They don't like talking about themselves. They don't like being, you know, having to sit there all day chatting to people. They don't want to do it. And that's fair enough. They're not antisocial. They're not unkind. They're not bad people. They just don't want to do it. Personally, I like it when fans ask me things. I remember one of the first things I did. In fact, it was the fourth convention I ever did in Belgium at the end of 2003. And I was still very, very green. And, you know, I didn't know what fans wanted to know. And all the stuff I remembered and stuff, I thought, nobody wants to know that. But, of course, now I know they do want to know that. They want to know everything. Uh, so I've got, like, a little uh, presentation worked out. But there was this guy came up to me, and he didn't say a word. He just put a, put a photograph in front of me. And I thought, maybe he doesn't speak English, maybe. Uh, but he was French, actually. And I speak French, so I was speaking to him in French. Oh, wow. And he said, well, actually, I can speak English. And, but I saw his hand, Grant, and his hand was shaking. Like, and I thought, why are you shaking? And he said, well, you're a Star Wars actor. And when, when I was a child, I had your action figure. I said, yeah, but that wasn't me. <laughs> he said, but yes, I know that, but now I'm meeting who was inside that costume, and what's, what's making me shake is you're so nice to me. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to talk to me. And I said, listen, come around. So I took him behind my table, and I sat him down, and I said, you're going to sit there until you stop shaking, and then you're going to ask me three questions. You've always wanted to ask a Star Wars actor. <laughs> and... Uh, and, you know, when you do that, it's a joy, because very often they'll ask you the most unexpected things that you haven't thought about. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe for 30 years, you know? You know, uh, because a lot of the people that you've been meeting now, you know, like myself and Jez, were just children when you worked on Return of the Jedi. And yes. It must be a wonderful feeling to think that you were, you were a part of something that basically that inspired a generation. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, until you're on the circuit, you don't realize that. You really, really don't realize that. And when I started to hear that from people, I thought it was a one-off. But then I'd hear it again and again and again. I mean, I have to tell you that we, as I said before, we were supposed to be heavily featured in Jabba's scenes, Jabba's palace, you know? But as it was, we were very often tucked away in the background. And we were very disappointed about that. Very, very disappointed about that. So when I started getting, getting invited to, to things around the world, I thought, well, why? I'm in the background. And a lot of people, Grant, told me, well, that's why we like your character, because you're always in the background. Yeah. And it's like, we can see you thinking and plotting and, and working out your shady deals. And, you know, so do you see what I mean? You know, I was looking at it from one point of view, but the vast majority of people, we're looking at it from another point of view. Yeah. So once once I uh, saw it from their point of view, I could understand what they what they mean. One of the things that I find is that you know sometimes I go to a convention and I see uh, an actor or an actress or uh, a member of crew who doesn't actually have uh, many people going up to to get their autograph. Right. Did you say that they, those people will be reimbursed anyway by the organizer for that? No, no, no not always. Well, they always get their expenses paid. Right. And it's happening less and less and less that, that you get a, either a guarantee that you're going to make a certain amount of money. If you're a big star, like I'm sure Jeremy Bullock must get a guarantee for everything he does because he's one of the leading lights, isn't he, of the, of the yeah. convention world, worldwide. But you know, very often people do, 
I think the more people, the more conventions people do, the less valuable their autograph is, if you like. I now, I didn't do much last year. I think I did two at the beginning of the year. Now, I didn't do anything till the end of October in Rhode Island, the week after that at Cardiff Comic Con, you yeah. know, the big, the big uh, showmasters one. And those two I did at the end of the year, it was like I was a beginner. There was a queue of people. <laughs> I, I, you know, in Rhode Island, there was a queue of people. And I've been to Boston twice before for conventions, so I didn't think I'd be doing well at all. But I did. Uh, the first day, I made more than I did three days at Celebration in Germany. Wow. And, and it was the same in Cardiff, you know, the, the following weekend. But the people who sat there, as you say, not signing anything, were the people who go to, a, you know, they keep turning up week after week after week. So everybody's got their autograph. Gerald, out of all of your experiences, what would you say is your favorite convention to, to go to, to work at? Oh, is that possible? Is that possible? I, I love the Poland one because I was the first one to be invited to Poland. Uh, and there's an Obi-Wan Kenobi Street in Poland, officially. The name is Obi-Wan Kiyobi Yego or something like that. Wow. There's a photograph on my website of that, of me there. Uh, the very first celebration I went to in uh, Indianapolis, Celebration 3, that was fantastic. I love, but I tend to love the ones where I can do a panel or a question and answer session. Yeah. Uh, I did one in my, my hometown where I was born, Belfast. Invasion Belfast, I did the first one there. And that was just fabulous. That warmed my heart. Spanish people, I just adore. Italian fans, I just adore. <laughs> and, and I could, yeah. So how can I possibly pick a favorite one? I can't. I can't. I don't know if you know about Swara, this, this thing I've got. It's called the Star Wars Outer Rim Alliance. No, I Swara. don't know what that is, Joe. What is that? Okay, it's uh, an alliance, international alliance, of Star Wars fan group. I set it up uh, a few years ago with fans from New Zealand, Turkey, all over the place. It lasted for a couple of years and then it collapsed because there were just too many people on the ruling council, if you like. Uh, too many people had too much to say. Uh, but we introduced it at Celebration Europe, uh, yeah, uh, where I had, we had a panel called Star Wars International Fandom. And the guys I work most closely with are from Star Wars Turkey. Who knew there was a Star Wars Turkey? There's a huge amount being done there. Wow. Uh, and my webmaster's from New Zealand, and another guy from TK421 Star Wars Fan Club in Belgium. So uh, I'll give you the address if you like. It's, uh, if I can remember it. Okay, the Facebook page is www.facebook.com slash the underline Swara. Okay. Uh, but if you go to the website, you can get to Facebook for, from that. Uh, let me tell you the website address, swara.info, and you can get to Facebook from there. And, and I mean, uh, people can join as individuals, or they can join as a group. And Swara is spelled, is that S-W-O-R-A? It's the first letters of the Star Wars Outer Rim Alliance. Fantastic. And I'm so proud of that, so, so proud of that. Ecuador is the latest country that's going to uh, apply to join. I had, if I had been invited to Celebration at Anaheim, uh, Mary Franklin, do you know Mary Franklin from Louisville? Yes, yes. Uh, well, she's going to be joining Reed Expo after Celebration at Anaheim. Okay. 
uh, leaving Lucasfilm. Uh, she said we could have uh, the equivalent, what we did at Celebration in Europe, uh, the international Star Wars fandom panel we did. She said we could do the same thing at Celebration Anaheim if I was going to lead it. The fans couldn't do it by themselves, but if I was going, uh, we could have it. Unfortunately, I'm not going, so we can't do it. But uh, is there still a chance that you could be invited to Celebration? I doubt it. I doubt it, unless, unless lots of the people fall through. They were originally going to have just have Disney said, we don't want many guests, less is more type thing. So they were going to have just about 30, which is not a lot. No. You know, when you bear in mind that they're the usual, what I call the usual suspects, that's the people who go to everything. You know, people like Jeremy, who's he's got to be there. Fans insist Jeremy's got to be there. Uh, Peter Mayhew, you know, people like that have got to be there. Also, the big thing at the moment is Star Wars Rebels. So they're going to have artists, you know, Star uh, voice people from Star Wars Rebels. Uh, there are very, very few people from this side of the Atlantic going to it, is what I've been told, I don't know. Uh, gradually, the, the, the guest list has crept up, they tell me, to what it usually is, something like 42 or something like that. Right. Uh, but originally it was going to be small, and then gradually it's, it's built up again. Well, it's a shame you won't be there. Uh, well, I, I, I just, I, everybody wants to go, Grant. You know, and there are possibly a yeah. hundred of us could could go. And I'm one of several people who did similar stuff on Jedi. You know, Sean Crawford played a creature in Jabba's Palace, who's also a man Mon Calamari like myself. Yeah. Same with Tim Drive, same with Paul Springer. There are several of us. And how do you decide to invite one and not the others? That, that's right, yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but my only sadness is, you know, I'm very, very, even though I don't do many events, I, I'm very involved with fans all the time. I can't tell you. The other thing I want you to know, which I think you, you actually mentioned the words, autographs and photographs, which is what I'm talking to you about, supposedly. Uh, there's a section called Autographs and Photographs on the Rebel Scum Forum. You know Rebel Scum? Yes, that's right. Rebelscum.com, it's, uh, it's basically a collector's site, isn't it? That's correct, yeah. Well, if you have a look at the Autographs and Photographs section, I have my own thread there, which I started. And it's about, it's my, I'll tell you exactly, let me click on to it. Uh, I can never remember what it's called. Right, here we are. It's called ROTJ History, Return of the Jedi History, ROTJ History, Gerald Holmes Creature Info. And it's basically talking about uh, who's who in the photographs, if I know. Because there's still a lot of people in the photographs who, whose identity we don't know. Uh, using my paperwork, you know, from wage slips and everything in 1982, when I was paid for it, working on Return of the Jedi. I've given the names to fans, and fans have sought out these people, one of whom is Amanda Knorr. I don't know if that means anything to you, but you can read about this in my thread, which is now up to 32 pages, by the way, it'll take you a long time to get through it. There's a lot of photographs and a lot of information. But Amanda Knorr was the blonde in Jabba's Palace. Oh, I know, with the blue streak. Absolutely well done. Jess, I think, was the name they gave her or afterwards. Right. Now, fans asked me about her, 
I tell them what I know about her. Actually, fascinatingly, she used to be married to Neil Morrissey. Do you know Neil Morrissey from Men Behaving Badly? Really? Yeah, she, they had a child together who's now a grown adult. But even on her website, and you can find the links to this on, on my thread, she even talks about being in Star Wars. You know, she talks about it and being Bib Fortuna's girlfriend. Who knew that? Now, I don't know if you came, any of you guys came to my, to the other panel I did at Celebration Europe, which was called, uh, Return of the Jedi Creature History with, with Pablo Hidalgo from Lucasfilm. Right, yeah. Uh, Simon Williamson was there, Tim Rose, Mike Carter, and myself. That's Akbar, Max Rebo, Bid Fortuna, myself, with, uh, Pablo Hidalgo, and he has lots of photographs we've never seen before. And basically, he went through the list of creatures in Jabba's palace. We talked about that. One of whom was Amanda Nor. And Simon Williamson remembered stuff. I remembered stuff. Mike Carter told a lot of stuff about Amanda Nor. And evidently, she was told, you know, your big fortune's girlfriend. Now, did you know this? She had some sort of a pump. This is the reason why she was always right next to Bib Fortuna, or very often right next to him. And she squeezed this pump, and it pushed air into that thing around his neck, you know, that uh, tentacle-like thing yeah. around his neck. And evidently that would go up and down. To, to hide that pump in her hand, that's why she was often so close to him, so, so the camera wouldn't see it. Now, who knew that? All these years later, we're still finding out new stuff. Yeah. Now, the amazing thing is, uh, so many... People, again, this is getting back to one of the questions you asked earlier. Lots of fans have contacted her over the years saying, would, would you come and do events and stuff? Do you want to do a convention? She's always said no. That's a shame. But at last she has said yes, Grant. Really? And she's doing one for, I think it's, uh, it's very, very soon. I think it's one of the Jason Joyner ones, so it's one of the uh, Showmasters ones. Okay. Uh, so you can look into that, and she's going to be doing her first signing, and I guarantee she'll be so busy signing autographs, she will do more. Big thanks to Gerald Holm for giving us an insight into behind the scenes on the autograph track. Later in the podcast, we will be hearing from Gerald again in a special interview, Squidhead Meets Squidhead, conducted by Jez and our new Star Wars celebrity reporter, who will have some more interesting questions from a Padawan perspective. Coming up soon. Right, now on to the watching of the market, or as Pete likes to call it, the ramblings of a loon. I don't think I call it that. I think that's Richard that's named it that. Evil Richard. Well, we had the second part of the Craig Stevens auction in the end of February, and Mr. Craig Stevens managed to raise, in the end... Six, just under, I think £66,000 in sales of his Star Wars figures. On this particular auction, we had this was the Palatoy uh, 30 backs Empire Strikes Back cards, and the estimates I think were probably a little high. Now, Jez, I know that you're, you're a big fan of um, <laughs> estimates and how they don't go for that. 
Um, anything in here that, that, that maybe took your fancy? Did you? In my in my phone, I wrote down about eight or nine different ones where I was thinking, right, okay, yep, I'll uh, I'll look at those and I'll look at those, and then straight away, you look at the estimates and you just thought, no, do you know what? I'm the estimates are so high, I'm not going to go for it. I'm not even I'm not even going to start. And it was the high estimates which put me off. They were enormous, weren't they? I mean, I think the cheapest one that was listed was. I think it was the Imperial Commander for eight hundred pounds to a thousand pounds, and that in the end only went for four hundred and eighty. I think everything else was kind of in the thousands bracket. I think there's a um, Leah Hoff was starting at one thousand two hundred, which was an incredible amount of money as well. Yeah, it was the Leah and the Landos were the ones which were were the lowest, and yeah, both of those came not considerably but below the estimate. And it was just that estimate initially. I think. When you couple it with the previous one, where everything went for more, quite considerably more than the estimate, yeah. I looked at these things and I thought, right, well, obviously, you know, these ones must be particularly special. Um, yeah, and and it just put me off. So I was really keen to watch it, but I um, I didn't actually didn't actually go for any clicks. So I, I was really quite surprised, particularly with the Imperial Commander. Yeah, I mean, did any of the guys have a go at this? I, I know that it was hard to watch. It was kind of in the middle of the... I think it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so probably hard for, for people with uh, regular ish jobs. Stu, did you fancy a pop, despite the fact you weren't buying anything but were? <laughs> um, no, not for me, mate. Not for not this time. I, I, I was watching the auction, but um, it was just loads and loads of die-cast cars waiting for stars to come up, so it wasn't... <laughs> The interest was, wasn't there to sit and watch the auction. It was quite a, you know, I, I thought it was a bit of a strange auction for 15 random Star Wars figures to be stuck in the middle of. Um, it was. It, 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 I mean, normally the Vector's auctions do, do start with a lot of sort of science fiction toys and then Star Wars toys and it goes into like the big stuff, um, kind of draw people in. But it was, yeah, it, it, it did feel it was kind of pasted on. I mean, I don't know whether that led to the kind of lack of, uh, meeting the estimates. I know that Craig came on the forum and was, you know, quite strong with his opinions that maybe certain factors affected the prices or, or people bidding. I mean, from a personal point of view, I, I just think that they that the estimates may be a little bit too high, and there's rumours of lots of other figures coming up in the in the future. I mean, Grant, did you, you get a feeling that maybe the estimates were just too much and and maybe too enthusiastic, and that and that's what kind of missed the price? It's it's really difficult to say because you're asking people to hand over several thousand pounds over you know fifteen or sixteen items and you know I don't really see auctions like this very often. It's usually when it's a couple hundred pounds a figure. I think it's a lot more manageable. But I you know for me I thought they went for an incredible amount of money. I was I, I thought yeah. the grounds there were to be happy. I mean several thousand pounds for one action figure. I think is incredible. It is. I mean to make out of the whole the two auctions um you know 60,000 well 66,000 pounds like it was i mean vectors must be happy they they must have made some good money and i think craig should be happy as well that he has made a lot of money that that's gone towards his his um house project in london i mean it's i mean if you put it into context you know these things weren't bought for lots of money they were collected over a number of years and uh i mean you know happy not be happy with selling what is basically some some kids toys for why you can buy part of a house. I mean, it's incredible, absolutely incredible to think about that. When we talk about houses, I mean, we're, we're just saying that, you know, the, these were bought for a certain amount of money and turned around to this. This has been a considerably good investment for him com- compared to, say, let's, for example, I bought a house in 2007 and, uh, and sold it at a £40,000 loss. So, you know, we're talking about toys here. And, and look at this. this. This is fantastic. I wish I'd invested in toys as opposed to in property. Um, when I look back, if I if I had a time machine, I'd go back and well, actually if I had a time machine, I'd go back to 1980. But um, yeah, what a, 
my whole point is, yeah, this, this is fantastic and, and so much uh, a good investment. So I, I would be delighted with the results he got. You know, with regards to these auctions, I, I know it was about a property and therefore property may well have forced it. But if I was to be putting up a really, really big auction like this, I would probably be thinking, right, episode seven, um, everything coming out, big trailer drops and all sorts of stuff like that, you know, pushing towards Christmas and people wanting to buy stuff for, you know, for loved ones and for Christmas and this, that and the other. If, if I was going to be selling something massive like this, I'd probably be thinking closer to a time of, I don't know, um, September, October, November time, I think would be ideal. I think Jez has got a really good point there, actually, because there are certain times of the day you have to take into consideration, certain times of the year, certain seasons are better than others. You know, for me, I don't know. Would it be better to sell these individually? Would it be better to sell them privately? Would it be better to sell them through another dealer? You know, you could get one of the main Star Wars dealers to sort of broker it for you. Who knows? You know, I couldn't actually look at the auction because I was in work at the time, and I can't look at an auction like that on on a works computer. If it was on a on a Friday night or a Saturday night or a Sunday night, I think, you know, you never know. I could have sat there and thought, actually, that's going really cheap and and put a cheeky bid on it. But uh, for me, Wednesday in the middle of the day just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I think that, that was very unfortunate. <clears throat> um, but I guess when you're, you're spending thousands of pounds on Star Wars figures, then you might might be, uh, you, might, you might have a, a quick time at work. But yeah, it's, I think people did offer um, um, to actually do it as part of the forum thing, but maybe he wanted... I don't know. Maybe he didn't trust the form enough. I don't know. Um, that's a question really for Cray to answer. But uh, it's it, it it was a strange timed auction, I have to say, because the first auction um, with the Boba Fett that was advertised over Christmas, and that came after a Vectors auction with Star Wars figures just before Christmas, which we covered. Um, so you had the, the a, a sort of understandable advertising and lead up to the one in January, and then. I think there were supposed to be two further ones, but they condensed it into one. Maybe in hindsight, a third one would have been better, but I think they've got more Star Wars stuff coming. Um, I know Kathy Taylor has been forwarding pictures on um, on her Facebook page of what's coming up in April, so I guess there must have been a slot they had to, to fit it in. So, yeah, it's, and the auction business is interesting. It's, it's something I've been involved with for a while, but the, the timings, I think, I think they're kind of stuck, really. Um, because there's going to be, I think, a lot of lot of stuff coming in the next 12 months on the lead-up. I think some of these collectors, which you know, collections that have been built up, are suddenly going to be. It's going to be too tempting. I mean, if you if you could buy part of a house with your collection, and you're thinking more of the future and thinking, you know what, I've got this great collection. Um, I could sell off, you know, 10% of it and buy, <laughs> and buy property. It's probably very, very tempting. <laughs> Okay, now the next item that came up, which I had to I had to cover. Now this hasn't been sold. I think there's been a few offers on it, but um, it came up on Jason Smith's Facebook page, and I think it, it's done the rounds already. But it's something I'd never ever seen or heard of. I mean, I'm not the most in-depth collector or nodule collector, but it, I just I, I was completely staggered by it. Now this is just, as far as I know, and you guys will correct me, it's just a standard. Empire Strikes Back Yoda card back, no figure on it, just a loose card back, in not the best shape, but not ridiculous. You know, a few bits missing on the front, and you know, a few bits of you know print missing. Um, the back itself is quite creased. You know, I mean, you probably for a normal Kenner back, you probably spend what five to ten pounds on a good day sort of thing. But it's being listed for five thousand dollars, or um, I think at the current rate that's about three thousand three hundred pounds. Now, what makes it so expensive is it's got a Bassa sticker on it. Now, I've never heard of Bassa until I saw this this card back, and I think it's a staggering. 
him that money. I don't think anyone was ever going to pay that, but I think it's quite interesting that if it does sell. I did a bit of research on Bassa. I, 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 I looked for the Rebel Scum forums and stuff, and they're just basically a redistributor for Kenner in Peru. Guys, have you ever, ever come across Bassa stuff? Does anyone own anything? I mean, I guess, Grant, you're the most logical person to go to for um, Peruvian carbacks. I mean, did, did they do a whole range? Did they do all the figures? Do you, do you know? Do you have anything? Bassa actually did some unique items as well. I think they did some 12-inch items as well, which were quite unique to the range. But I don't actually know too much about Bassa. I, I knew that they existed. But for five grand, which is basically, is it not just a Kenner card with a Bassa sticker on it? <laughs> That is exactly what it is. It's just well, a sticker. i got to be honest with you, Pete, and I mean this most sincerely. I think five grand is a lot of money for, this, for that sticker. Oh, yeah, which I'll come to in a minute. Rich? Yeah, I think uh, the Bassa do the Veda and the Chewy, but those 12-inch um, boxes like Grant's talking about are completely different to the Kenner and the Palatoy ones that we normally see. Yeah. Um, but these stickers are insanely rare. I was reading an article today where a guy who's got a, a toy shop in Peru, he's been trading there for over 10 years, and he's only ever had one item that had a Bassa sticker on it, and that was from um, Knight Rider. It was an old kit car. These products back, back in the time in Peru, uh, because the country was suffering from um, high inflation, the import taxes were huge. So the, the figures, I'm just, just here we had a $2 figure, they would sell for $6 in Peru. And because obviously the, the country was quite poor, there weren't many of these items around in the first place. So you had limited, you had limited stock with kids who couldn't really afford them and nobody kept them so it's, I'm not surprised that this is going for this price you just you just can't see Bassa uh, you just can't pick them up it's insane I, I can't see it going for that price I know it's been listed as that I still think you know uh, well like I said it is, it is ridiculously rare but I think it's quite an important thing to think about that if the figure does sell for that because I think if it does I think especially at this time of Star Wars collecting when it's, it's going to go nuts um, we are going to get a crazy market happening because if it goes for that, then you'll suddenly get anyone who's possibly got anything on Bassa suddenly putting it forward, thinking you know if they want to sell it, make some money. But at the same time, I think you're going to cover, you're going to, you're going to cause an amount of repro stuff because it is just, after all, it is just a sticker. I'm going through Gus and Duncan's comprehensive guide of Star Wars collectibles. Uh, you know, obviously the Bible for a lot of this stuff. Now, bearing in mind yeah. that prices vary, price, prices fluctuate. Looking on page 862, Bassa Slave One, boxed Slave One with sticker, Bassa sticker. Go on, you, you guess how much? A boxed item, <laughs> not a card back, a boxed item. I don't know, something crazy, eight grand. 150 to $200. <laughs> <laughs> right, so. Not, well, I'll have three. Like right, so, you know, this is obviously in Gus and Duncan's book, uh, and it's there, and then I go to page 865, I think, was the only other item. So. You look at this thing, I look up the index, and it just says Bassa, and it's just on these two pages. So the next one is action figure related, miscellaneous, um, Empire Strikes Back, Bassa, Tauntaun with open belly, rescue feature, 50 to 80. And I'm looking at it to see if, you know, if it's got the picture, um, again with the sticker on. But the previous one, the slave one, 150 to 200. So I look at that, and I think, how on earth can we justify that much money? I mean, that, that's just crazy. Certainly yeah, not interested at all. If I was a Yoda collector, all right, you're a completist. Imagine if that was a TIE fighter pilot. Would you want it, or would you think, no, that's just stupid? I'd say, that's so stupid, I've got to have it. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, people have made offers on it. So, you know, there's obviously 
people t- testing the water. I mean, the guys. I, mean, I don't think he's going to get that money for it. Rich, have you? Uh, when would this meet in your collection, Rich? A four, a three thousand pound card back? Not at all. But um, I, I what you said before about people having these lying around, then suddenly sort of selling. The, the point is, they're not lying around. These items are not available. Um, and this guy's obviously chucked it up for that amount of money. He's not going to sell it for that amount, but he may get trade towards that amount. Um, you know, he might be after, you know, DT figures, what fine vets. You never know what he's after. Um, so he'll he's setting that out there for other people to contact him to work out what they've got. And that that's happening more and more now because people don't have five grand to drop on these card figures. And, well, not even card figures, just card packs. Yeah, I, I don't really mean this. Uh, the thousands come out of the woodwork, but I think if if I think this is a pretty big price for what is a card back. I know it's very, very rare, but it's still a lot of money for what it is. And I still think that, you know, if someone does pay a significant amount of money for this, it, it's going to, you know, it. I think you will see whatever is out there, someone come to the fore. Because if it is rare and, it, it, and that cash is being paid, then, then it, it does tend to sort of weed these people out if they have, you know, anything lying around. Um, but I, I, like I said, I, I do fear for the if, if it does sell for a lot of money, I do fear the repro market will will go nuts because let's face it, it is just a sticker. It's not a production car back as such. It's just one sticker, and then that's going to be. I'm not saying it's easy to produce, but it's easier than other things to produce, and that's where I'd be kind of worried. I'll keep my eye on it and see if it goes. Like I said, there are people who put offers in for it. It'd be fascinating if the guy gets back to me and tells me what the offers are. Um, I have asked him; <laughs> he's thinking about it, but. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if that it does actually sell at some stage, so I, I shall keep you all posted. Um, we also had another auction from Aston's in Birmingham, or near Birmingham, I think it's Dudley, and they had a lot of very, very interesting things this time, which, which I have to say, normally with Aston's, they do a lot of, sort of more loose figures and uh, sort of few of the sort of lower-graded car backs, but there was actually a lot of stuff on this one, which was mostly resealed stuff, and figures with car backs had kind of been half-resealed and touched up in all, in all sorts of conditions, but... Um, a real, really fascinating auction that, that I think a lot of us did actually watch. There were two items I want to come to, but I just want to get your thoughts, guys, on resales because I, I was kind of half tempted because there were, I thought they went for a lot more money. I mean, it said they did average around about 50 to about 100 pounds and there were some 12 back resales and all sorts. Um, yeah, what, what about you, Grant? Is there something you've, you've, you've got in your collection? Any resales or any, any touch ups or anything? Not too fast on touch ups, but who were? Um, Sausage. To be honest with you, like uh, decades ago, I was like reseals are just junk. There's no touch, no chance I'd ever have a reseal in my collection. And I'll admit, when I first joined the Star Wars forum, Ryan uh, Blue Dog from Australia, he had a 12 back run of Pally Toy figures that were resealed, and I didn't know much about reseals then. And I thought, no, that's something I'm just not interested at all. And now I'm thinking, what a fantastic collection that was. The difference being several thousand pounds to have, you know, an example in your collection. And I think some of these figures, you're only going to be able to get them in reseals now. It's hard enough to find, I mean, some of the action figures I'm looking for from my collection, there's only five examples that exist, you know, like we had last month with the Boba Fett, the Paddy Toy, uh, 30 back, five examples, possibly ten. And then the reseal one went on eBay at the same time for £850 so I think reseals are definitely uh, as time has gone on and the decades have gone on and it's further away from when these figures actually came out I think reseals are a much more viable option and for certain figures you know a reseal was probably the only example you're going to come across I totally regret not buying a Lily Letty TIE Fighter pilot two years ago for about £200 I think it was on a reseal I would jump at that 
today, no questions asked. Right. There were two um, items that came up in the resales, which, which I think at first, I, because I didn't really know much about them, staggered me. Now, the first one was uh, a, a loose yak face, and its estimate was 70 to £90. Pounds. So it was Power Force card, um, and it had the coin, and it had the bubble, but it had, well, I think the, 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 it was listed with a badly repaired backing card. Now, someone off the forum actually bought this. I'm not sure if he's a, he's a regular member, but um, he did admit that he maybe went a bit, a bit mad. But then having looked at what an actual mint uh, Power Force Yak Face goes for, maybe in the, end, in the end it wasn't too bad. It actually went for £700. I think at the time, guys, we were pretty shocked at that um, until I think kind of thought a bit hard. I think, Grant, you kind of pointed out that actually maybe that's not the worst price in the world. But it, it, it was still a loose Yak Face with... A badly repaired card. I mean, guys, do you think seven hundred pounds was maybe a bargain in the end? Yeah, I think it's a case of if you if you're looking for a yak face, a card of power of the force yak face, this might be your only chance. I think especially what was good was the power of the force Anakin, which I think is far rarer than the power of the force yak face. So I think if someone's got that loose gap in their collection, this might be the only real serious alternative. Because I mean, I I, I'd, I try to find the last sort of yak face that was sold. Um, there was a, a Trilogue card apparently sold for around like $1,000 in like 2012, and there's also um, a Power Force one went for around about $3,000. I don't have much more details than that. People have just kind of talked about it. So that's kind of what you're up against. But yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I think at the first, the, the guy who bought it was, was um, I think I kind of leapt in on him, sent him an email, said, wow, that's, that's a hell of a price. But I don't know, maybe, maybe it's the only way you can get one at the moment. Um, the other one you actually briefly touched on, um, which came the same auction. Now, this was actually, it was a Power Force Anakin uh, figure, and it was listed, so Stu would be a fan of this, it was listed as a Star Wars figure. So if you search for Star Wars items on the auction, it didn't actually come up, which is a bit of a shame, really. So I don't know whether someone got themselves a bargain here, but um, at the time, um, I think we, we thought, well, this, this is an absolutely incredible, incredible figure. Um, so it was a Anakin's Power Force figure, and it came with this coin, but it was resealed on a repaired card. Yeah, but Pete, was that listed amongst all of the other figures in that in that particular lot? It or was, but it, it? it was. But if you went on the sale room auction and yeah. did the search, because they, they they only usually feature it as an interactive auction on the sale room, um, or unless you're actually there at the auction itself. So, you know, as, as a pre-advertisement. It didn't actually come up, so you had to try to find it, which is kind of, kind of incredible. Um, I was quite surprised that, considering how rare this is, and I, I, again, I didn't really—I don't think I've ever really appreciated how rare the Anakin Skywalker figure is on Power Force card. Um, but he actually went for four hundred and twenty. But considering it wasn't in great condition, um, that's still a pretty impressive price because it's just again a loose figure with a card back. So you're paying a lot of money um, for that. Now, again, I try to find it, and it's a lot of, lot of um, running around trying to find auction sites that maybe had one of these, but around a um, Rebel Scum post seemed to indicate that about three years ago, um, one came up and went for about two thousand five hundred pounds, which is pretty impressive. So four twenty maybe doesn't seem you know it's probably the best bet to actually own one of these figures or a, the card back itself with the coin on it. So and that concludes the market watch for this month.
And now for our special feature interview as we return to speak to Gerald Home in Squidhead Meets Squidhead. Hello, Leo. My name is Gerald, but some people call me Squidhead. Yeah. <laughs> do some people call you Squidhead? Yeah, my dad does. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Squidhead are very, very intelligent people. Yeah. <laughs> do you think so? Yeah. Uh, do you like Star Wars? Are you a Star Wars fan? Yeah. Good for you. Do you have a favorite film? Um, I quite like number five and six. Okay, so that's The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And have you seen number three? Yes, I've seen number three. Wow, that's a bit bloodthirsty, isn't it, for you? Yeah. How old are you, Leo? Are you, you're you nine, yes? Yeah, I'm nine. Okay, when are you going to be ten? Um, August the 14th. Okay, so you are a Leo, I think. Yeah. Hey, Gerald, it's Jez. How are you doing? Jez, I'm doing very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Um, I'm delighted to be able to speak with you again. I mean, who knew that, you know, when I uh, first met you, in July 2013, we'll be here, you know, a year and a half later on, talking about Star Wars and talking about the next generations of Star Wars, as in, you know, me being here with Leo. Um, Excellent, right, yes. The whole reason why we struck up our conversation in the first place. That's right, that's right. That's right. Well, of course, I'll always remember that he was the first of a squid head I signed an autograph for, from, from one squid head to the other. So I'll always remember that. For those people who who aren't aware, Leo, my son, one of a uh, pair of twins, he's got his twin sister, and um, they've always been uh, quite diddly to us, so he's always been squid, and then squid turned into squid head, and it's just stuck, you know, he's um, grown up in a bit of a Star Wars sort of fandom, and in fact, all the family love it, so when I saw you there, having not actually got any autographs off of anyone up until that point, you know, you were my very first for really? Graf and, and, you know, for Leo, and it was just, yeah, a really great experience, and, and he's still got his signed photograph of you up on his bookshelf. Oh, I'm and glad. Go. I'm honoured. I'm honoured. Now, tell and me, why did you choose Squid for him? Why that name? We preferred Squid to Shrimp, I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think when Leo was born, he was um, £4, 3 ounces. So, so know, he's always been a bit of a, a, a wee lad. And uh, so we just, yep, yeah, squid head, and it's just stuck, you know. He's got his, he's got his squid head action figure here next to the autograph and the um, additional photograph, which you were, um, you know, really good enough to give him, and even his uh, Mr. Muscle, which we haven't spoken about. Uh, right. But anyway, there we go. Um, it was fantastic meeting you. And, well, thank uh, you, thank you, likewise. Before we go on any more, what I'd like to do is, um, yep. Leo's just prepared a few questions for you. Fantastic. And we'll see how we go with those. Are you, are you ready, Leo? Yes. I'm ready. Okay, here you go. Hello, Gerald. It's me. Hello again, Leo. I've got a few questions for you. Okay. Um, the first one is, were you a fan before Return of the Jedi? Oh, interesting question. Was I a Star Wars fan before Return of the Jedi? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. Not as big as you. But if, if I had to make a list of my favorite all-time films that I've ever seen, number four would be on that list, A New Hope, it's called now. At the time, it wasn't called A New Hope. So it's episode four, which was the first one that was made. Because I remember seeing that when it first came out in the cinema. Long, long time ago, 1977. And it, it was famous all over the world. It had been a big, big hit, a big successful film 
in America. Uh, so by the time it came to here to us here in Britain, everybody wanted to see this film, and everybody was you know, there were queues around the cinemas, hundreds and hundreds of people queuing to see the film, and I was one of them. So I queued to see the film, absolutely loved it, and fell in love with Star Wars. So yes, so when we came to film Return of the Je Jedi, of course it was a big big thrill to be working on this series of films. Cool. So, um, who was your favourite person on the film set? Uh, do you mean actor or character? Um, actor. My favourite actor on the set? Uh, well, uh, the favourite one I got to know who I was friendly with, I don't know if you remember her, you'll have to ask your dad to point her out to you. There was a character called Fat Dancer. Uh, and in Jabba's Palace, there are two dancers. Remember? The Twilight Dancer who's very young and thin, and then there's a horrific-looking fat dancer. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, well, in, in real life, she was a very, very nice lady. Her name was Claire, and I got to know her very well because we were often beside each other, uh, sitting beside each other, standing beside each other, and that's how you get to know people when you're making a film because you only talk to the people who are around you because you have to stay in the one spot. So she was a new friend I made. Her, her name was Claire. But the favorite actor to watch, my favorite actor to watch, was Harrison Ford, Han Solo. Uh, he, was, he was just fantastic to watch because there were like 150 people of us on the set working all around Jabba. And that's a lot of people. It was very hot. The lights were very hot. There were smoke machines making smoke. So there was a lot of stuff going on. It was hard to concentrate. But Harrison Ford, who played Han Solo, he was so good at acting that it was like he was by himself. He could act like he was the only person there. And then when he was acting with Princess Leia, it was like they were the only two people there. I mean, if I say tune out, do you understand what I mean if I say tune out? He could behave like there was nobody else around him. He could really concentrate and focus. I hope you know what I mean by that. Yeah. So it was very good for, for me as an actor to watch this other actor be so focused on his work that he didn't see all the other stuff that was going on. How does it feel to have your own very own Star Wars action figure? How does it feel to have my own action figure? It's fantastic. <laughs> it's very, very special. And I'm looking at a picture now, Leo, that's on my wall. It's made by a guy, he's a tattooist in Canada, right? He does tattoos on people's bodies. And he's got lots of tattoos on himself. He's like a rock star. And he made this picture of Squidhead, right? And beside it, there's a tooth. And he gave me this at a celebration in America. And I said, what's this about? What's the tooth for? And he said, well, I was a kid about nine, but your age, Leo. Uh, and he was scared to go to the dentist. And the only thing that gave him courage when he went to the dentist was a squid head action figure. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, he, when he was in the dentist chair, he was squeezed this action figure and it stopped him from crying and it stopped him from being afraid. So that's why he identified squid head with a tooth, with the dentist with the tooth. So that's why he did this wonderful drawing of squid head with a little tooth beside it. And that's a treasure. It's above my desk here. I'm looking at it as, as I speak to you. And to me, that's a treasure. Brilliant. Your action figure is really good with a lot of 
accessories. Do you like the fact that you have a lot of accessories like a belt and a gun and Admiral Akbar just has a stick? Admiral Akbar, you see, he was a man of peace, right? So he didn't want, he wouldn't want to carry a gun. Yes. Would he? But, but the soldiers have to carry guns. But when we made the film, Leo, when we actually made the film, I didn't have a gun. I didn't have a gun as Mon Calamari. Yes. Uh, yes, I didn't have a gun as Squidhead in the film, but the action figure has a gun. But I think I like action figures that you can take the hat off and you can take the cloak off and you can put, take the belt off and then you can put it back on again. I like action figures like that, that you can actually play with. What a lot of people do, if you ever take my belt off, my squidhead belt, if you ever take that off, make sure you put it back on the right way up, because a lot of people put it on upside down. Yeah. Uh, is there going to be another squidhead in episode 7? Are you going to be in episode 7? Well, no, I'm not going to be in episode 7. I don't, there won't be a squidhead. There might be a quorum. You know, quorum is the name of the the race that Squidhead belongs to. Do you know that? Yes. I think in, in the TV cartoon, what was it called, before Star Wars Rebels, or the Clone Wars, there was a quorum in that, I think. Yeah, I used to watch that. Did you? Yes. Okay, well, there was a, there was a, there was a calamari man in that, and a quorum. So, who knows? There might be another quorum in Episode 7. There, there was talk when they made Episode 2. They were going to have Tessek, Squidhead is now called Tessek by some people, was going to be in Episode 2. So when they first started writing the script, the story of Episode 2, Squidhead was in it as Tessek. But then in the end they decided it wasn't going to be Tessek. It was going to be another character called Tikas. So there's another quorum in, I think it's Episode 2, called Tikas, T-I-K-K-E-S. So who knows? Who knows? You never know. Maybe Squidhead will turn up one day. I hope so. Yes. If you could get anyone's autograph, who would it be? If I could get an autograph, who would it be? Well, I've only ever asked one person for their autograph. Uh, it's a name you might not know, but you will know when you're older, because she's one of the biggest stars ever of cinema. Your dad will know, well, I think Grant will know. Her name was Ingrid Bergman, and she was a fantastic film actress. And your dad will know her from Casablanca and Gaslight and stuff like that. And as you get older, maybe you'll look at her films and learn to appreciate them. But she was the only person, because I met her when I was in a play in the theatre once. She was in another theatre in London. And I met her in between the shows, and we chatted. I just gave her my programme for the show that she was in and said, would you mind signing it for me? So that's the only, the only autograph I've ever got. But uh, if, if I were to get anybody else's, I don't know. Maybe Harrison Ford. Do you have any questions for me? Do I have any questions for you? Well, yes, I've asked you them before, but I'll ask you them again now because this is being recorded. Which is your favourite Star Wars film? A Star Wars film, probably Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. Okay, right. I suppose that's okay that you say that. It would be better if you'd said Return of the Jedi because that's the one I was in, but I don't mind. <laughs> I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. Okay. What age were you when you first saw a Star Wars film? Because you're nine now, right? Yeah, probably about six or seven. Okay. 
And did you see them in order? Do you remember? Did you see them one, two, three, four, five, six? Or did you see four, five, six, one, two, three? Yeah, four, five, six, one, two, three. Well done. I think that's best. I think that's best. Now, let me tell you about, I think Squidhead is a better name than, I've got next door neighbors, right? And their dad is a big Star Wars fan. So he called his sons Luke and Ben. <laughs> because he's such a big Star Wars fan. But I think you've got a better name. I think, you know, Squidhead is better than Ben or Luke. Yes. Much better. Now, if you were going to meet a Star Wars actor, which one would you like to meet? Oh, probably either you or Luke, Luke Skywalker. Okay, okay. Well, these these things are possible. You know, I, in fact, it's probably your destiny that we will meet one day. I think it's probably your destiny. Yeah. Well, I'll have to try and get to get to an, uh, get to a convention near you one day so we can meet. Yeah, that would be good. Um, my last question. Yes? Who shot first, Han or Grievous? <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you first. Who do you, who do you think shot first? Han. Of course. That's true. That's history. That's fact. Han shot first. Yeah. <laughs> um, finally, may the force be with you. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. I love being part of the podcast. Take care. May the force be with you. And may the force be with you, too. Well, Gerald, thanks very much indeed for that. You know, Leo's been really, really um, enjoying being part of the whole Star Wars thing. You asked him about the films he's watched. And uh, what was really good is a lot of us from the forum went to the Prince Charles Cinema in London. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, it was for the 30th anniversary of Return of uh-huh. And, in fact, Leo was eight, which was exactly the same time I was eight when my dad took me to watch Return of the Jedi in the cinema. They, uh, they had a special screening, and, uh, and so we went there. And it was just, you know, a replication of, of what happened 30 years ago uh, with Brilliant. my family. So there we go, Leo went. And who knows, hopefully, at the end of Anaheim, they might well be announcing that there'll be a celebration in London within a few years, or, or who knows, well, Paris or something. You know Steve Sansweet, yeah? You know who he is? Yes. Yeah. Well, I was talking to him recently. As I said, we, you know, we've become great chums. He thinks, and he's, he's, as he calls it, he's out of the loop. He doesn't know what's going on at Lucasfilm anymore. But he suspects that it's going to be back in London very soon, celebration. Fantastic. They wanted to go to Paris evidently once, but there's nowhere big enough in Paris to take 40,000 people, you know? So, I mean, if, if Steve says he suspects they're going to be back in London next time, then one of the highlights of my life in Star Wars fanland was for the 30th anniversary, which was in 2007, Right, for the 30th anniversary of the first Star Wars yep. being released. I narrated a concert of Star Wars music in Valencia, Spain. Uh, now, the only other person to uh, ever narrate a concert of Star Wars music was Anthony Daniels, C3PO. Right. So it was a huge honor. Uh, this happened because at the first celebration in London, I met some Spanish guys, and I was talking Spanish to them. Uh, when they heard I spoke Spanish, they remembered me when they came to do this charity event. Now, it was a charity concert with, a, with an orchestra of 52 people, and it told the story of Star Wars. And I was the narrator. I narrated this. I would tell a bit of the story, then the orchestra would play the appropriate music, then I would stand up and you know, speak. But the amazing thing about this was I narrated it in Spanish. 
Right. And, uh, you know, I hadn't spoken Spanish for like 30 years or something. And I got the script five days in advance. And uh, I think it was the bravest thing I've ever done in my life. I was absolutely terrified. I had no choice, you know. And I think there were about 2,000 people, 1,850 on the people. Uh, the concert hall was full. It raised 38,000 euros for a charity, which is a huge amount of money. And I think not, it's not just the highlight, one of the highlights of my Star Wars life. It's one of the highlights of my entire life. I bet, that's fantastic. You know? Uh, especially doing it in Spanish, because it, uh, yeah, I still can't quite believe I did it. You can probably hear it in my voice. Absolutely. I still don't believe I did it, <laughs> but I did. Well, all of this information, Gerald, is on your main website, which... Um, it is. There's even a picture of the... Uh, if you click onto the little thumbnails in the two photo galleries, yeah. you'll often find a group of photographs with captions telling you whether they were taken. And indeed, that's the situation with... Uh, one of the little thumbnails is a poster. C-3PO with some... No, 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 R2-D2 with some drums. And if you click onto that, you get the concert, the Spanish concert poster, plus a photograph of me rehearsing, and the medal ceremony at the end. Right. So, yeah, I think basically everything I've told you is on my website. Yeah. Well, we're looking at that now, and the website is, is a real gem of information. I mean, not to blow it all now. If people were to obviously just Google Gerald at Home, um, or just go straight to geraldhome.com, Yep. But all your links there, and links to even Lost Revenge script of um, That's right. additional lines, which you would have had. That's right. Obviously, the guys can look forward to checking that out. All the folks Excellent. Well, fantastic. Well, also, those uh, call sheets and uh, experimental dialogue scenes I had with Akbar as a Mont Calamari officer, yeah. uh, they're on the website. I reposted one of them the other day. Uh, so that's on Rebel Scum, my creature history, ROTJ creature history on the rebelscum.com forum. Uh, again, if people can't remember all that, they can just Google ROTJ History, Gerald Holmes Creature Info, and that'll take them to that thread. And there's a ton of information there, lots of photographs which you will not see anywhere else, even on my website. Fantastic. And talking of websites, obviously we're doing this on behalf of Star Wars Forum UK. Yes. You've got our own threads on there which are... Um props and autographs as well and it would be absolutely fantastic if when you've got the time by all means please join join up and, and put something on the autograph thread with regard to yourself and, and a link if you like to your own bits and pieces and then that way people can keep an eye out for, for where you are and where you're doing signings in fact okay what, what is it your address exactly what is well that's SWF UK that's what the group's called but it's the Star Wars forum.co.uk so quite simply www.starwarsforum.co.uk okay and at the bottom uh, once you've um, joined and used whatever username you wish i mean for example i suggest that you you may wish to try squid headed yeah i'm on a few forums i usually call myself calamari men fantastic because both my characters are from mon calamari absolutely <laughs> yes so, um, yeah, and at the bottom, uh, props and autographs, even say hi in the main thread there's an introduce yourself, and that would be great, um, and a real good source for um, all the UK Star Wars fans to be able to uh, to check it out and, and find out what you're doing next, because I'm okay. sure going to be really keen to know. I'll look into that. Thank you very much. So, uh, one other thing I just wanted to mention was, um, whilst I was reviewing your website, is um, you've got a club in Spain. Can you just tell us a quick bit about that? 
I do. Uh, it was set up uh, because of a group called Hollered Estela Seville. And I was actually a guest at one of their conventions not so long ago. And as you probably know, Seville was the location for Naboo. And again, we can see photographs. Can you see photographs at this on my website? I'm not sure if they're up there yet. But yes, uh, they took me around. And Do you remember that scene where, where they walked through the, the wonderful plaza? in Seville, over the little bridge, and r 2 was behind them. Yeah. I, I can't remember if that's on my website. I shall have a look and see. Okay. Anyway, that's the group, and they said, can you start a club with us? It was their suggestion. I said, yes, I'd love to. What shall we call it? That's said, well, both my characters, Tessic, Squidhead, and the Montcalmary officer, they inhabit the same home world, which is called Montcalmary. So why don't I call the club, the Calamari Men Club. So there you go. That's what it is. Thanks. There are a few honorary members, like Steve Sansweet's an honorary member. Uh, it's mostly Spanish people, but there are a few honorary members. And uh, I'm going to make a little note to myself that Leo's going to be an honorary member. And next time I meet one of you guys, I'll, uh, I'll give him a card. Oh, that's, um, that's amazing. What do you think about that, Leo? Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. In fact, I might go out ask your dad to send me your address and I'll send you it. I'll email you the photograph of um, what we took in Essen um, when we were with you and, uh, and we'll exchange some stuff and I'll, I'll send you a link for our forum as well. It's been an uh, absolute pleasure and um, let's hope for a celebration in London before you know it. Okay. Jess, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Cheers, Joe. And uh, happy travels and, vol and enjoy your collecting and enjoy your visits to to conventions and uh, may the force be with you all. Right, now I want to welcome back Bruce White for this month's Rapid Fire Round. You ready, Bruce? I think so. Your favourite Star Wars movie? Star Wars, A New Hope. Favourite Star Wars scene? When Leia is first brought before Governor Tark. Favourite on-screen character, need I ask? The Princess Leia, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> favourite part of the prequels? Pass! <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few people said that. Your favourite dialogue from any of the Star Wars movies? Governor Tarkin, I should have known I'd find you here holding... Here's Leash. I should have recognised your foul stench when I was first brought on board. Optimistic or pessimistic about Episode 7? Cautiously optimistic. Which character would you like to see a spin-off movie about? Yoda. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Mark Hamill. Your favourite character costume? I don't know. I, I like Luke's outfit in Return of the Jedi. Your favourite Sith? Darth Vader. Your favourite lightsaber jewel? Luke and Vader in the Return of the Jedi. Your favourite figure as a child? Uh, Princess Leia. Oh, and your favourite figure now? <laughs> uh, Princess Leia. <laughs> Uh, which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? I think Tarkin. <laughs> Favourite vehicle or playset? The X-Wing fighter. Vehicle or playset you wish they'd made? Rebel Blockade Runner. Favourite Star Wars book? The Kellerman book. Favourite Star Wars poster? The Hildebrand poster. What was the last vintage Star Wars toy you purchased? Back Meccano, Princess Leia. And finally, what is your Holy Grail item? Princess Leia first shot. Wonderful, thank you very much. No problem, thank you.
Right, that is about it for another month then. Before we go then, the rapid fire round question, boys, that we've uh, started doing the last couple of months. This month's question I've chosen off the list is which cast or crew member would you most like to meet? And let's hit Jez with that as it's his uh, first. I'd just love to meet John Williams. Oh, fair enough. Pete? I would like to meet Princess Leia's stunt double from Return of the Jedi, who looked pretty much like her as a body double. So, because I'm a complete perv. She was at um, London Film and Comic Con last year. Amanda, yeah, but... Amanda something. Oh, gorgeous. <laughs> Rich? It's going to be a toss-up between Ben Burt and Rick McCallum, obviously because they are both geniuses in their own way. Uh, but, but I'm going to go with Ben Burt because I think he, you know, so, some of the sounds and sound effects that he put into Star Wars is really what made it for me. And Grant? George Lucas. Who's he? The, the guy who created it. Oh, I, I thought he was one of those guys who played in Ewok or something. Right, okay. <laughs> what about you, Stu? Mine would probably be either George Lucas or if I could have someone that's dead, I would love to have met Alec Guinness. Harrison Ford would be another good one as well. Yeah, yeah. Three to list loads of people now, Grant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got the list. If you hadn't said Alec Guinness, we wouldn't have had any actors at all then. I think Stuart's time Porky Pies is actually he wants to meet all the Ewoks. Come on, admit it. Well, for a reunion. Yeah, exactly, a reunion. He could, he could feel at home there. Yeah, some of those Ewok parties, by all accounts, were quite uh, raunchy over at uh, the, the New Forest over in the States when the recording returned the Jedi. Exactly, Rich. Right then, so let's go on to this month's feedback. Yeah, we've had lots of positive feedback for last month's episode. Loads of people said it was probably the best one to date, which, you know, I think partially that was because of the Gary Smith interview with it being so well. I'm not so certain myself that some of the other parts of the, of the podcast were as good as previous attempts, but um, thanks for all the good comments, guys. Uh, you know, they're very, very pleasing to hear. What most people enjoyed about the Gary Smith interview was the bit where he reminisced about seeing older boys playing with the toys in the streets. And I think a few guys could relate to that way that saw the figures being played with by other kids and, and it brought back a lot of good memories for them. So, so that bit was quite popular. Um, the Death Star box discussion was also quite interesting. A few guys wanted to point it towards the SWCA. So uh, we've put a link up on that on the forum. So if anybody wants to go and find out more about that and see the photographs that Yehuda put up on there, um, then visit the, the thread on the forum or head all over to the blog on the SWC and have a look at all the great blogs up there yourself. Lots and lots of positive praise for being selected for the celebration stage at Anaheim, the, the podcast stage, and we're, we're really pleased with that, and we've got some uh, great ideas um, going forward, which you'll hear. We've heard a little bit about it in the show, but you'll hear more in the next. Uh, a lot of people at FF came up to us, uh, Fathers From, and they said that they'd been put off by the four hours podcast. And it's something that we've discussed many, many times. Um, but thankfully, the guys who had said they were put off, that said that they listened to an episode because they wanted to hear Gary or they wanted to hear uh, Joe O'Brien or somebody like that. And they said the time just flew by. Um, please can I stress that these podcasts are not designed to be listened to in one go, although I know a lot of people do that. Uh, we'll put sound bites in there for you to pause and come back to the next day. And just like Grant's discovered the mute button, uh, there is a, a pause button. One guy put on the on the forum that he's quite a technophile. Really, to write a complete another idiot's guide on how to download our podcasts, we need a complete another idiot to write that. Thanks for, thankfully, Jez has volunteered for that. So he's going to do a guide from an idiot to show an idiot how to download the podcast, how to put it on your mobile device, and how to use the pause button. So, so cheers, Jez, and everybody keep an eye out for that. If you guys feel as though that you're picking on me too much, which I'm a bit surprised at, because, you know, it, it doesn't happen, does it? 
Uh, it's it's water off a duck's back. It all goes over in your head. I think I think the guys know what they can say to me and what the content. We'll just leave it at that. But all in all, a really a really good discussion. Oh, um, and I've got to mention the autographs. Now, what was interesting is we had two completely different viewpoints on these autographs on whether Frank's autographs were were perhaps advertising their own product too much or whether what they were seeing was actually genuinely true. Many people have said, look, I've had autographs for 10 years, 20 years, and there's no signs of deterioration. But if you listen to the interview, Frank's autographs were very, very clear on the fact that it's a lot of it's how you store it. So if you store it in you know, a, a cool environment that doesn't get sun, um, it has breathing space, and depending on the plastics, then your autographs may not deteriorate as quickly, but they will deteriorate at some point. Um, so it's just something to bear in mind. It's a little bit of advice that Frank's autographs given out, and... Um, you know, send off, send off for one of these uh, samples, um, and try them and see what they like. You know, but we're, we're not telling you that you've got to go and buy these. We're just giving you a bit of advice. Okay, so all in all, keep the feedback coming. Yeah. Saying we pick on you, Rich McLean, a coin note, and I think it was Lom. All the Northerners then. Yeah, Rich McLean's a big one to talk actually, because I can remember at Farthest from standing in a circle when Nick had opened his bag and him doing a bit of a bit of a piss take impression of you in a Geordie accent. <laughs> So then, that is about it for this month. Jez, how have you found your first full podcast? Pretty mind-blowing, actually, Stu. It's been, it's been full-on. It's been a lot to do, a lot to take on, and uh, really enjoyable. Thanks very much. Before we move to our goodbyes, I just want to say a huge thank you to Bruce White for taking his time for a chat with us. Um, cracking interview, really enjoyed that. A huge thank you to Gerald Home um, and Leo, obviously Jez's son, who gave us that great interview <laughs> towards the end of the podcast there. And also big thanks to Paul Ford, Ross Barr, Jason Smith, Ian Sanderson and Dan Franco for also taking their time. I think eight guests has it's a new record, isn't it, for a show? Also a huge thank you for to Christian at GW Acrylics for the donation towards our Anaheim giveaway. If you want to contact us, you can email us at swfukpodcast at gmail.com find us on facebook or follow us on twitter at swfukpodcast so that is that so it is good night from jez see you later guys good night from grant thanks for listening good night from rich yeah guys and it's good night from pete rocket ships are exciting but so are roses on a birthday <laughs> and it's good night from me and remember only you can decide with star wars toys This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of Star Wars Forum UK. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swfukpodcast.com at gmail.com if you don't like this podcast tough are Star Wars products going to have the durability of say that old favourite the teddy bear teddy that's fun that's right okay right okay three two right now over to Rich for this month's boom story 
Right, for this month's Boom Story, I was picking up on a photograph that was spotted on Facebook in January, and we went for... Good it up already. Five, four... Right, for this month's... Buns. <laughs> Five, four... For this month's Boom Story, I picked up on a photograph that was making the rounds on Facebook, which was um, a group of Lady Lady repo items. And I think these were advertised as the six different incarnation of rep war weapons from from the Lady. Oh. Amateurish. It is. <laughs> right, five, four. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to keep it shorter. Five, four. This month's boom story was. This month's boom story is coming from a photograph that was doing the rounds on Facebook.